November the 11th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. A couple happy birthday shout-outs before we get into uh, this podcast. My mom. Happy birthday to my mom, November the 11th. And then Milo, my son, turns three years old on November the 12th. So a couple of big birthdays coming up for me uh, in the next few days. Happy birthday to the both of them as we get into uh, a pretty loaded episode of That's What G Said. We're going to talk NFL Week 10 with Eric, game by game. We dive into Friday and Saturday best bets for Del Mar. This week in wrestling with Chad Cooper and then Andor, episode 9 and 10. We recap both of those. Two episodes left in Andor Season 1, a fantastic show. And we are joined by Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster to talk Andor. This episode of That's What G Said is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets. Go give them a follow right now. A great live stream schedule of free analysis to help all of you become a better, better. Everything's free over at BTV. We'll have an NFL Week 10 preview with Eric. You hear him talking NFL with us each week. Eric's also over on BTV uh, Bets, at BTV Bets, talking college football with us. So I was going to talk college football on this show, but we're already so packed that I didn't even know if I'd, I'd have enough space to do so. So if you want to hear about college football, NCAA football, week 11, where we go through some of the biggest games for the week, we preview those Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. If you follow me on Twitter or go follow BTV Bets, that will play live at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, or you could check it out anytime following that on Friday. Now let's jump into NFL Week 11. Let's get into the game previews. Excuse me, Week 10. It's college football. Week 11, NFL Week 10 with Eric. Game previews sort of starts abruptly because we pick things up right after the Thursday night game. But I, I cut that game off since it was already uh, talked about. We posted that one on social media a little bit earlier. Right now, NFL Week 10 with Eric. Let's get to Seattle, Tampa. This one's going to be in Germany early Sunday morning. Tampa Bay Bucks are a three-point favorite here over under 44 and a half. Man, I've been so impressed with Geno Smith. I know everybody has. It it feels like every time, Eric, I'm expecting him to kind of fall off, he just bounces back. Like he threw a bad pick six last week to put the Cardinals up by four. And then following that pick six, he goes 10 of 12 for 123 yards and a touchdown, scrambles for 18, scrambles for 12, and then puts Seattle up two scores. Like it has just been unbelievable, you know, like on the film watching him too. And in their four game winning streak now for Seattle, the defense has kept all four opponents under 300 total yards. They're allowing less than 100 yards rushing on average per game. In these four games, their defense is for seven turnovers. Now, this is something that you you point out things like this. The, this thing is going to probably bounce the other way for them, but they forced 16 forced fumbles this year, which is by far the best in the league. Um, they actually had another one that was taken away from replay, and the record for forced fumbles by a team in one season is 30. They're pretty close to being like right on par for that. Uh, Walker has five straight games with 50-plus rushing yards and one or more rushing touchdowns. Metcalf and Lockett, they're both... Since 2019, they're top 20 receivers in, in PFF in wins above replacement. And this year, they're both top 25 in receiving grade, receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns per route run. This team is up to number five overall in DVOA. Like, this isn't fluky anymore. 
Like they're a good, they're a good football team because when you look at them, they're they're impressive now all over. Like Geno bounced back. Their receivers are good. Their running back is good. Their defense is playing better. They're forcing some turnovers. Like just a lot of little things they're doing really, really well. Over the last four weeks, they have the second best defensive DVOA in that four game stretch. Just really, really impressive. I mean, I look at this game, Eric, like this isn't at Tampa. I know because of Brady on a neutral field, Tampa was always going to be like more fancy than Seattle, but I just like Tampa did nothing last week. Nothing. The only reason they won that game because the Rams had one first down in the fourth quarter, like Tampa with, with a minute and 50 left to go in the game. It looked like the game was over. Tampa went for it on fourth, got stopped, but the Rams couldn't run the ball. They couldn't run the clock out. They kicked it back to them and Tampa somehow scored late. It was like, there was nothing impressive about that game at all. I just, I I don't think very much of them uh, here. I'm on the Seattle side. If you can get the plus three for sure. Um, I took the Bucks minus a two and a half. Uh, you know, my thought process is this. You have a young team on a four-game winning streak going all the way across the pond to Germany, buy on deck. Team's four-game winning streak are 48% ATS, kind of because they're a little bit overvalued in the market. Um, I don't now I, I see, I agree with that. I agree with what you're saying, and that's a and that's a great point. I don't know if at plus three they feel like they're all that overvalued in the market. Cause this well, is situ- yeah, no, no, you're, and you're right. And that's what I mean. Like at two and a half, I wouldn't mind. Cause see, this is sort of a unique situation because with Tampa and with Brady, you're always going to get the money, right? Like they're always going to get a little bit more money because of Tampa and Brady. So this situation is just a little bit unique, uh, but I understand completely the handicapping of the spot here to like the spot better than Tampa, uh, better for Tampa. I just have a hard time getting there in like my handicap of the game with these two teams, as far as like how it's going to match up for Tampa last week, they had five, three and outs a four play turnover on downs. They were O of two in the red zone. They had three field goals before that final drive, which was getting the ball with 44 seconds, no timeouts. And they go 60 yards there last year. They scored three and a half offensive touchdowns per game. So far this year, they're scoring 1.4 offensive touchdowns per game. They only ran for two and a half yards per carry on 20 carries. The uh, offensive tackles, though, that's where their strength is. They don't allow pressure, but the interior offensive line does allow pressure. So I, the number is obviously very key here. Like, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would play Seattle at less than the field goal. Give me the field goal in Seattle. You and I will have a, a slightly difference of opinion in here, but like always, the, the number is the key. Yep. And one player prop that's going to be insanely overlooked is guess who gives up the most yards per game to opposing tight ends? I would say Seattle. You are correct, my friend. So you're going to the young young kid from last week that popped up? Yeah. I mean, like I've been on this guy for a while. Um, I think him catch catching that touchdown is going, just going to kind of add to the trust that Brady has in, in him um you know just kind of looking at it he played 407 offensive snaps the most by far i mean i know rudolph was getting a little bit of love oh no sorry that's total we're in week nine um 
So yeah, I just kind of feel that he's he's going to get most of the love. Him catching that touchdown pass is going to kind of install that. That prop's going to be low in the twenties, so I'll I'll take definitely take that prop for sure. Um, and then yeah, I mean like right now at three or higher, you play Seattle. Three or lower, you play the Bucks in my eyes. Seattle six and three straight up and against the spread. Tampa four and five straight up two six and one against the spread. As we move along to the Browns versus the Dolphins. I believe you and I were both on uh, on the Cleveland side on this one. Miami is a three and a half point favorite here, forty eight and a half here. Cleveland comes off their bye. They're three and five straight up, four and four against the spread. Miami six and three straight up, four and five against the spread. Now for the Browns, I think this will be an opportunity for them to you know have. Uh, prepared for Miami for a little while. I believe the last few weeks, Miami's a little bit overvalued because their offense has started to hum quite a bit again. Man, they have just been incredible on third down. Like that, that's so hard to sustain for them. They did bring in Bradley Chubb to help with the pass rush. They've had a tough time putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And the right side of the offensive line is a major weakness. They, uh, they rank 26th in the NFL there. I think that is where Cleveland will attack on the outside. Um, it matches up very well for Cleveland. You have a Dolphins team, though, that, I mean, they got into Bears territory on their first seven possessions last week. But think about how they let the Bears run all over them. I know it's sort of a different type of running with um, with the Browns than it is with Justin Fields, but I think it's a good spot for Cleveland here. Um, I just continue to think Miami's a little bit more overvalued, like nationally and publicly, than than I really think they are. I agree hundred percent. I, I mean, money's coming in on this. I got this at four and a half, anything over three. I absolutely love Skafanski's 58% ATS is a road dog. Like you mentioned, the dolphins gave up 252 yards against the bears. Defense was on the field for 70 play 70 plays. That's going to add up, especially at this time of the season, when you get later and later, um, huge advantage in the trenches. I expect them to lean on Chubb, lean on hunt and, uh, and get this win. Another uh, game here. I think we're on the, the the same side. We, you were definitely on the Titans last week uh, against the Chiefs in a spot where you know Vrabel was a big underdog and he did a fantastic job coaching in that game. Titans scored 17 straight points to take a 17 to nine lead at the half, but then in the second half, it's sort of hard. Henry was held to 23 yards. Uh, and they couldn't get anything going with the quarterback Willis. He was five of 16 for 80 yards. He did have eight carries for 40 yards rushing, but did not complete a single pass to a wide receiver. Uh, the Titans had nine total first downs compared to 29 for the chiefs. They only had three first downs from passing. They were one of 11 on third down. Oh, of one on fourth down. They had 229 yards and 48 total plays. Kansas city had 499 total yards and 91 total plays. Their entire wide receiver group so far this year has less yards combined than AJ Brown has with the Eagles. And then you have Denver three and five, three and five against the spread, Tennessee five and three straight up six and two against the spread. Denver comes off a bye, but what we know about Denver, their offense is terrible. They rank second to last in EPA, but their defense is fantastic. They rank second in EPA allowed per play on defense. They rank second in defensive DVOA. I think this defense will be able to slow Derrick Henry down a little bit. I don't think they're the wide receivers are very good there at all and won't be able to get open on this secondary. I think it's a really nice matchup for a Denver team that 
comes off their bye. Tennessee's probably a little overvalued coming off that really tight game against Kansas City where that was more of a Vrabel game. Like, I really don't think Tennessee's that good as a team overall. They'll probably have a similar situation to last year, Eric, where they overachieve a little bit. But then in a playoff situations against other really good teams, they don't really have the talent to quite stack up as much. It feels like a good spot again for Denver. Uh, I think, you know, Denver at uh, on the road here, I, I was able to get a, be- a little bit better number on Denver. It's plus two and a half right now. Very low total in this game. Talk to us about Broncos Titans. You know, I got the um, I got the Broncos plus three. No one loves Vrabel more than me. But as a dog, he's, as a as a dog, he's good. As a favorite, I like to fade him. Forty six percent ATS, forty five as a home favorite. You know, flip side, Wilson is just sixty six percent ATS as a road dog. Three and one the season as a dog. I just think this is a great spot. Uh, you're gonna have the Broncos defense, which you know arguably is the best one in the whole league going up against either a rookie who's 11 for 26 in two games with a QBR of six and a half or Ryan Tannehill with a high ankle sprain. For me, this is an absolute low player. No, no brainer. Tennessee, this is their all time value. We got to remember people were talking about this Titans team, not even making the playoffs being a bot toward the end. This is when they're at the all time highest. Give me the Broncos plus the points, anything, even in, even under three, I'd play it. I'm sitting on plus three, but even under three, I'd play it. Yeah, I mean, if you're just looking at these two teams just solely based on DVOA, Denver's a better team. Denver is 15th overall in, in DVOA. Tennessee is 17th. Like Tennessee, and the different, and honestly, that just shows you right there the difference in coaching, right? Because Denver, in the play by play, in every play, their efficiency on all sides is better than Tennessee, but. Vrabel is a better coach. All of the important decisions that he has to make, he does the best possible thing that you could and Hackett's down the flip side. And that's how you get two teams like this where their records are totally opposite. But when you watch them and you watch the film, if you were to just take the record out, you would probably say Denver is a better team overall than Tennessee. But Tennessee is better coached and they win games. And that's how we're here, both of us on the Denver side. Let's move to Lions Bears. I talked about this on your show last night. This was one of the plays I liked this week. I've been on your Lions quite a bit this year, but I, th- I think this is a good spot for the Bears with how how well they've started to run the ball now. Um, if you just took the Bears offense over the last four games, they're ranked seventh overall in EPA. They, yeah. they are a good offense now. And you pointed out that this reminds you a lot of the Eagles last year when they started to just lean into the run and run and run and run. Justin Fields broke Michael Vick's regular season quarterback rushing record last week. He had 178 yards on 15 carries, 11.9 yards per carry. 13 of them picked up a first down. He had eight carries that were on third or fourth down and seven of them got a first down. Eight of his runs gained 10-plus yards. He had a 61-yard touchdown run on third and five. He had seven runs that were considered design runs. All of them gained a first down. Uh, This week, they play the Lions, who are 27th in run defensive DVOA. And I I just feel like it's a great spot for the Bears. The weather, it looks like it's going to be about 35 degrees or so there. I think they're going to lean on the run. Jared Goff, California boy, never been great. Uh, outdoors, cold weather in situations like this. The Lions got a victory last week. It wasn't like it was a dominant victory. 
and it was sort of a weird victory for them because when they've been winning games or when they've been really competitive, it's been because their offense was great last week. Defensively, they actually came up with a big couple big plays in the red zone and a, a couple interceptions there. What do you think about your lines this week? Goff outdoors, 43% ATS. Um, I don't know, man. Like, you know, it's all about buying low, selling high. You know, when is the selling point for the bears? I know. And I agree with you. If this gets up to three and a half, I kind of, that's and that I think in the number, right. For me in the number in this game, because I look at it and I think you kind of hit on it last week when we were talking about just the number and the lines with like the, the dolphins, right. Cause the dolphins played the bears and they play the lions right before that. And you had mentioned, you thought the bears were a slightly better team than the lions. I agree. And I guess at three, if you're just giving me that, like, built-in three for home field advantage, then I think I'm taking it. If this got up to three and a half or four, I wouldn't play it. You know, this to me is where I still think there might be a little bit of advantage at the flat three, or if for any reason it was two and a half. Um, And I mean, you look at the DVOA, Lions defense is rated higher than the Bears and everything. I know. So I I, like maybe that's adjustment because they're still DVOA is still valuing um, Rodgers. And their defensive line is last overall in pro football focus grade. Their interior defensive unit ranks 31st, and they gave away Quinn and Smith. They rank dead last in pass rush win rate. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I'll be honest, if this gets up to three and a half, then I'll You play the Lions. Yeah, I just don't, I have a hard time seeing them stopping how the Bears have been running the ball recently, but you're kind of pointing out too, like, I don't know if the bears are going to be able to stop the offense for the lions moving. I just worry about in the weather, if the lions are going to be as crisp with but golf. flip side, like, you know, you're talking about the running and everything and you know, who's everyone's going to have in their DFS lineups. Um, you know, fields week, fields. Oh yeah. Well, everyone's Absolutely. forgetting about David Montgomery. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's the kind of one where we kind of have to look at it. Okay. You know, they can't defend the run. They're low DVOA. They give up top three most yards per game to opposing running backs. Okay, now let's get involved. Let's, this is where we take Montgomery instead of Fields. That's what I do here. Um, Lions, Swift, God only knows he's playing. He's not playing. I know, and he played like five um, or six plays, and then they say that's like too much. Right? You, feel, you feel bad because when he's in there and he's healthy, he definitely you know, gives them uh, you know, one of the best backs in the league, but it's just so hard to trust. Yeah, it's insanely hard to trust. I don't want anything to do with this game unless it gets up to that over that three and a half. So right now I'm just staying away, but um, I'll definitely be involved in um, some props for, um, oh my God, what's his face? Montgomery. Let's move to Texans Giants. So we have the Texans one, six and one straight up four, three and one against the spread. Giants six and two, six and two against the spread. Giants coming off there by Texans. 30th in def- in offensive DVOA. The uh, but the positive has been Pierce. He's the sixth best rushing grade in the league for the Giants. One thing I'm looking for uh, off the bye is for Wandale Robinson to be more involved. I think it'll give they'll have an opportunity now to have try to get him into the offense a little bit more because he's someone that gives them a little bit of a wrinkle that they they didn't have. Um, and I, I would expect him maybe in this game or just in the in the in the coming weeks try to get him a little bit more involved. He's played a higher percentage of snaps in every game so far, up to 
69% in the last two, um, last time we saw him in week eight. And for the Giants, a major positive for them, their interior defensive line, Williams and Lawrence, both top six in grade among interior defenders so far this year. I just don't really know what to do in this game. I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. Anything here in Texans-Giants? I mean, I don't know what's going on with this line movement. Um, you know, it's been some real interesting line movement. This was at six and a half, and I was saying to myself, okay, let's mentally prepare ourselves to uh, to take the Texans again at plus five. Mm-hmm. I really question the um, the run defense of the Giants, and I think they're going to be able to – you're able to run on them with um, with the rookie Pierce. But then when I was doing my stuff this morning – this dropped all the way down to four and a half. So there's some big boy money coming in on the Texans. That has me kind of worried that I'm, I'm, you know what I mean? I missed the spot. Um, and when are we going to sell on the Giants too? You know what I mean? We have these teams that historically have holes and my eyes are overachieving. Is this the selling point we have in the Giants? Um, they really can't stop the run. That's a little bit of a, of a worry point for me. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I don't I, want anything to do with this one. This is weird. I want nothing to do with this. If this yeah. like somehow gets over seven, um, you know, I, I kind of look into that too, but maybe, uh, maybe toss a little Wandale in uh, a DFS lineup or two, or just keep an eye on him because they need playmakers like that. They need serious help at the wide receiver position. And if they can have like, just have some packages for him to get the ball in his hands a little bit, uh, on some screens and stuff, I think that could really help. As we move yeah, to, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. You know, week eight, what do you play? 48 snaps. Yeah. You know, for 45 snaps, that's that's pretty good. You know, I think so. the percentage in the last because they had they ran less plays la- their last time than they did the week before. But his percentage of like plays on offense was I think the same towards the end. It, it was pretty close to right around 70. So um, feel like if he's out there more, get him the ball a little bit more. Wandale. As we move to Jags. Chiefs for our next one. So the Chiefs nine and a half point favorite here. They are six and two straight up, three and five against the spread. Jags three and six straight up, three and six against the spread. Mahomes had 68 pass attempts on Sunday night. That's how about this? That's one more than Justin Fields had through the first four games this year. Justin Fields had 67 pass attempts in 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 his first four games. Mahomes ranks second in QBR in DYAR. And this week they're going to play the Jags who are 27th in pass uh, defense DVOA. They just can't run the ball really. Last week, the running backs combined for 19 yards on 13 carries. But this has been a Mahomes year. This has really been like him showing off. They've completed passes to 13 different players so far this year. The edge rushers, not good. 25th in the NFL in quarterback pressure rate, 15.5%. They only have 25 defensive stops on rushes uh, behind or outside the tackles. Not great. Let's get over to the Jags here. You were pointing out on your show last night, Etienne has been good, but is this sustainable for him? He doesn't really feel like a guy who can hold up between the tackles. He had 28 carries um, last week. But the the Jags were very good, I got to say. It was a really nice game for Lawrence. It was based on next gen uh, stats. It was the best game of his career. They he was nine to fifteen on third downs. His EPA, uh, he had a positive EPA on seventy four point two percent of his dropbacks. 
That was the highest success rate in any game by any quarterback since Patrick Mahomes in week four last year. Mm-hmm. 81% of Lawrence's dropbacks in the second half graded successfully. They were number one in the second half on EPA uh, in offense yesterday, uh, last week. So, you know what? It This is how a young team is supposed to look, Eric, right? Versus at last year where they were just miserable. They're going to have games in like two or three games where they don't look good, but then one or two games where they do look really good. You just got to put it all together. This was a good, uh, like for the Jags last week, that was a good week for them. Just, I think for their own confidence, for a lot of things. Like, I don't know if I want to play them this week. I don't know what to do with this particular game or spot, but that was a big week for Lawrence just to kind of get a little bit of pressure off his back because it had been a bad stretch of three or four games in a row for him after they got all this buzz. Yeah, like, and you don't know how this is going to affect the kid moving forward. Is he going to get a little confidence with that win, with that with that comeback? Because they were down 17 nothing to the Raiders. Yep. They were down quick. Um, I am a little worried. Evan Ingram went out. Um, I think he's kind of going to be a big blow to the offense if he's not able to go. Uh, but you know, if this gets 10, I'm going to be in, you know, Reed doesn't cover these 42% ATS is double digit favorite, you know, Kansas city's defense is really struggling to be able to like stop the run. Um, on the flip side, are the Jags going to be able to stop? You know what I mean? Are the Jags going to be able to stop them? Uh, a lot of questions. I would definitely lean toward the Jags getting the points. If this kind of a little bit. But I'll be honest, this is just a pure stay away for me. Yeah, I like a lot of other games on the slate. I don't like this one really all that much either way. Tough to really know about this Bills-Vikings game with the the health of Josh Allen kind of out there. It sounds like he's going to play, but you don't know. Like They're making it seem like he's going to be fine. Bills are a a three-and-a-half-point favorite in here, over under 43-and-a-half. The uh, Vikings are 7-and-1. Three, four, and one against the spread. Bills six and two, four, three, and one against the spread. So this offense has now struggled for six straight quarters. The Bills. They didn't look good at the second half of the Packers game. They didn't look good last week. Josh Allen is two and seven in one score games since 2021. That's the third worst winning percentage in one score games among quarterbacks with at least five starts. Only Justin Fields and Mills have worse winning percentage in such in those types of games. It's sort of, sort of strange for a, a really good football team. A big weakness for them, the right side of their offensive line. They've earned a low pass blocking grade and run blocking grade, both 25th ranked in the NFL. Looked like this was a weakness coming into the year, and they seem to have a lack of depth at wide receiver. Gabe Davis is more of a, a number three, not really a number two. He's had less than 40 yards receiving in half of Buffalo's games this year. You have that one monster game for him where he had those couple incredible catches, but he hasn't really been consistent. And what worries me just about them, I mean, Allen makes them go. Like you take Allen out of out and they're, you know, they're nothing special. On the flip side, my least favorite team in the league this year is Minnesota. And when I say my least favorite, I just mean I think they're so overvalued. I think they're a seven and one team that could very easily have two or three wins easily. Like just a few bounces. And instead of being a seven win team, they're a two win team. 
They have one win over a team or two now with uh, teams with winning records. One of them was against the Dolphins who are starting a backup quarterback in that game. The only time they play like a really good team at a really good time, Philly beat them up. They've caught such great luck throughout and they might catch it again because they might catch Josh Allen this week banged up and they may have to play a Bills team that's not dealing with their like their best quarterback. I man, I don't like this team, but I just don't know if this is the spot to play them because of Josh Allen and the health. So I got to just stay away from this game, Eric. Yeah, I mean, we really don't know what's going to happen until Allen's there. You know, it's sitting at that number three and a half with the aggressive line movement. It seriously suggests that Allen is not going to play. Keith Keenum is the backup. Keenum, you know, let's not forget, he did take the Vikings all the way. Oh, the, the Keenum revenge game. Good call here. Um, Vikings do struggle stopping the run. Is Dorsey going to be able to just be, hey, you know what? What we're going to do is this. We're going to lean on our offensive line. We're just going to run the ball with Singletary, Cook, and just kind of do it like that, try to get Diggs the ball in space. Diggs does have a good rapport with Keenum. Um, If this gets insane, like if it's announced that Keenum's not playing and the Vikings somehow get the favorite, I'm going to be on the Bills. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. If this is under – Bills defense is legit. If this is under a field goal for any reason, I'm playing the Bills. Yeah, but right now – if they announce Keenum and it gets down to, like you said, and if it gets down to like a pick or something like that, I, this is cut. This is still a situation where last week the Vikings were not going to win that game. They, all that the commanders needed to do was just hold on to the ball late. Heineke threw a miserable interception. They ran the ball all the way down to the 10. They ended up scoring a touchdown. Then they ended up kicking a field goal. Every single thing breaks the way, break the way for the Vikings again. It's not going to continue, but I just don't know if it's this week. We'll have to wait till we get a little bit more information. Remember, Eric and I uh, are always a part of a Sunday football show, eleven o'clock a.m. Eastern time. So by that point, if you come and hang out with us at BTV Bets, we'll know for sure health. We'll know number. We'll know who's starting. We'll get the best information for all of these games as we move to another game, Eric, that you and I got the best of the number on because uh, uh, we both locked this next one in at plus three, right, Pittsburgh? Yeah, it's, I love the Steelers plus the points. Well, this is the that's the Watt news. You know, yeah. we talked about it last night. Um, you know, Watt's coming back. The Saints, you know, McCoy, God only knows what's going on with him. I don't think he practiced today. Davenport is out with practice. Warner is out. We don't know. So last week they were playing without Lattimore and Roby McCoy left with injury. Davenport had a calf injury and then Warner was carted off the field. And we heard that Thomas is going to be out for the year too. So he's not going to come back. And like we talked about it, what, what happens with that is simple. Now you got Olove, who's your number three wide receiver being treated like a number one wide receiver. And that's a whole different thing. Kamara has been hit and miss and Tomlin Tom was my favorite coach to bet on when he in this spot, right? This is just a perfect. I mean, at home, eighty-three percent ATS as a dog at home. Um, you know, nine days or more rest, fifty-eight percent as a home dog. Nine days or more, sixty-three percent. Um, Dalton's only forty-three percent ATS as a road favorite. This Steelers defense with Watt there and getting that pass rusher, him and Miles Jack is one of the better defenses in the front. 
as a unit. Um, they do play some zone, which is better for Willie William Jackson, who they did trade for. So I think that gives a secondary a boost. Kamara's just been hit or miss. You look at the Saints offense, huge disappointment, only 20th DVOA. Um, yeah, I, I like the Steelers here. I think the Steelers can get this done. I, I think they're going to win outright. At this number, I just play the money line, but, you know, I like, you know, we got the three, so, you know, we're sitting pretty good right now. New Orleans, three and six straight up, three and six against the spread. Pittsburgh, two and six straight up, three, four, and one against the spread as uh, we continue And you can run. Like, you can run on the Steelers team and the Saints team. We need to remember that Najee hasn't been 100%. He's getting it. He's going to be more healthy coming off the bye, off extended rest. He could be another guy that's a little bit undervalued in terms of the, um, the, their defense. Like you said, they're not very good. And the only places where their defense grades sort of okay, it's because they have a couple really good linebackers that have been like plugging a lot of holes, but you can only kind of do so much. Like their front hasn't been as good and the secondary hasn't been as good. So some of these guys in the middle, the linebackers are doing everything they can to like help against the run and to help in coverage, but you can't do both over and over and over again. And now with the injuries starting to really, really play a big role for them, we're both on the Steelers side here. Steelers on the money line. Let's move to Colts. Great as Jeff Saturday coaching the Colts. And uh, their play caller is 30 years old. He's 30 calling some plays there. In the NFL, Raiders are two and six, three and five against the spread. The Colts are three, five and one straight up, three and six against the spread. And the Colts have a head coach that's never had any coaching experience in college or in the NFL. He was coaching at a prep high school recently. The offensive coordinator got fired. Then Frank Roach, uh, Frank Wright was calling the plays. He got fired. The play caller now, when he got married. Frank Reich was the efficient, the official at his wedding. Frank, Frank Reich married this kid, the guy who's 30 now and he's calling the plays. It's just so, so funny how like everyone's related. The Colts offense is just miserable right now. Last week they were 0 14 on third down quarterback was sacked nine times. They got a pick six late. They had 121 yards of total offense. That's the least yards of total offense in a game this year by any team. That's 40 yards less than the previous low. That was the fewest in a game by the Colts since week three of 1997. That's the year before they drafted Peyton Manning. Since Sam Ellinger has been starting, they're dead last in EPA per play. Just 35% of their offensive plays have graded successful. They had 1.9 yards per play on Sunday, which was their lowest number since 1977. And now they have a new coach who was hired on Monday. Monday night, he announced... And, and informed the play caller that he will be calling plays. And they basically created an entire scheme and a game plan within the, the last day or two amongst people that have never done this before. This Raiders team is not good. They've lost three games this year, Eric, where they've led by 17 or more. <laughs> How about this? In the first 62 years of the Raiders, they had five losses when they were up by 17 and blew the lead. They've done it three times this year. <laughs> and uh, the, the most any team has ever done in a season, only two other teams have ever 
blown three leads like this in one year. So if they do it one more time, they'll have the record there. That's great. They allowed the Jags to score on four consecutive drives last week, going on a 24 to three run. I mean, the Raiders only had four first downs in the second half. Chandler Jones, one of the worst free agents signings. He has a pass crush grade of 58, 7.4% pressure percentage. He ranks 79th out of 91 qualifying edge defenders. Eric, This is a funny game because the Raiders have looked like one of the worst teams in football. The Raiders have already had Mark Davis meet multiple times with the head coach, Josh McDaniels, to ask what the hell is going on. Why aren't they better in the first eight games of their season? But they're playing against a team who's even more of a train wreck right now and kind of like a laughing stock. But in a weird way, all the pressure is on the Raiders in this spot because if you don't play well against this team and this coach who's never been a coach, like what else is there for you? Yeah, it's just (laughs) an interesting thing. Um, You know, I look at it like, you know, you have John Fox and you have Gus Bradley who've been in this position before leading a group of men and Saturday's coming from leading high school players. How are those guys going to react? By far, the best unit on this team has been the defense, and you don't give Gus Bradley the nod. That's kind of a big f u to him in my in my in my eyes. And also, you know, Reggie Wayne, he's been there for how long? You know, they made him be a volunteer assistant before he could even be the wide receiver coach. This is a guy in your ring of honor, and you just bring in Jeff Saturday because he was next to Ursay in his box and said what his vision of the team was. This is just. There were also reports that Saturday didn't want to be like an offensive line coach, like that he had been offered it like in in prior years smaller jobs on the staff, and he wasn't really interested. He was just holding out for the head coaching job. This is absurd. I mean, like, like, it's crazy. But it just shows how bad of ownership. Oh, it's awful. It it's is. horrible. Bad ownership. It's- no, he got lucky getting Peyton Manning. He got lucky getting Andrew Luck. He wasted Andrew Luck's career. Um, I don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, this Ravens defense is a complete Raiders like, defense. Raiders, I think you said Raiders, Raiders but yeah. Um, you know, they can't stop the run. What happens if this guy just says, okay, guys, you know what? We're going three wide receiver sets. Taylor, go. You know, they're just, you know what I mean? They just, yeah. just grind the ball out, do a lot of like run the ball, try to get, you know, wide receiver screens to Pittman. Pierce over the middle. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of questions. If you bet this game, you better have a bottle of some sort of alcohol next to you because it's going to yeah. be hard to watch to through the this Ra- game. The Raiders so- are dead last in, in defensive DVOA. They're dead last. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just, dude, this, like, I'm interested in this game for, like, just an entertainment purpose. I don't want to touch this game with a 10 foot pole, but I want to see how, if the Colts look really, really bad. And and like on the flip side, what if they look somewhat competent and like there's three or four other teams out there in the league that look worse and they're going, yeah, like, you know, how do our, how do our staffs look worse than this guy? They, they haven't even been here for a week. And we and don't just, know. I mean, like it's going to be funny. I can't wait to like, see what happens. You like to see this kid succeed when you like read his story, but you know, he could just be insanely over his head or he could just be a complete genius. That Like it's, a savant. Yeah. yeah. So we really don't know. There's <laughs> a lot of freaking question marks, but you know, it kind of shows like you need that 
you need that piece. You need that quarterback piece. With what the Colts have had the last couple years, the fact that they've been so dismal is just unacceptable. You know what I mean? Like, you look at that team with that offensive line, Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, DeForest Buckner, um, Shaq Leonard. It's it's just too bad, you know, that they've wasted all that talent. Let's get to Rams-Cardinals divisional game here. Rams, a slight favorite at home here rams are three and five two five and one against the spread arizona three and six straight up four and five against the spread now the rams did beat arizona earlier this year and they have been dominant over arizona in the sean McVay, cliff kingsbury era the rams i mean they just continue to not really look great they had two big plays throughout the game they didn't one run play in tampa territory in the entire first half They went three and out eight times, three straight times in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's why Tampa came back. They had one first down in the fourth quarter. The thing is with the Rams, what we've seen the last few years, they've had top, top tier talent, not a whole lot of depth, but the guys in, in those positions were sort of overachieving this year. They're not. And you have Cooper cup, Aaron Donald and Ramsey. They're all top five in their specific positions but everybody else on the team is is just not great. And their offensive line, a combination of being bad, being unlucky, being hurt altogether. But this is a spot where it's kind of weird. It's like in this particular division, it really doesn't matter which of these teams, how good they're playing. Anytime the Rams play the 49ers, the 49ers beat them up. And then anytime the Rams play the Cardinals, the Rams beat them up. It's really bizarre. Like they... They te- these teams seem to have each other's numbers, but I don't know. I mean, I'm a Rams fan. I can't really back them. I'm not really high on what I've seen from Arizona at all. Just five targets last week for Hopkins, only two in the second half. I was listening to a, a show, and I think it was one of the, the shows on The Ringer, and they were they were saying that it's just like a bad relationship with Kling- uh, Kingsbury and with Kyler. Like, they bring out the worst of each other. Like the off this offense and scheme brings out the worst of Kyler, and then like it's just it's not a good matchup or with the two of them together. Their cornerbacks rank thirtieth in passing grade as a team. They've allowed a sex a successful play on fifty three point two percent of dropbacks. More than half of the time, they're allowing a successful play, which is just crazy. What do you think, Arizona Rammies? Well, I mean. Obviously, the big news: Stafford's in concussion protocol, hence the line, and that's why we're mo- we're seeing the number move. Um, and you know, coming crazy, but I kind of think the Cardinals' D line is going to be able to get who get at whoever is the quarterback for the Rams. Um, You're talking about Wofford here, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think so. I just don't. But the it's with what I thought. I talked about it the other night when we talked just the play calling and like not running the ball. And I don't know. I just can't get behind this Cardinals team. I was a little bit higher yeah. on them. Um, I think they kind of just don't have the coaching staff in place. And I don't, I like, even if they did have the right coaching staff, I don't think Murray's the guy. So me neither. I don't like Mur. I don't like Murray and I don't like Kingsbury. Like there's always been things that Kyler said and the way he acted and like body language stuff that I've never liked. And I will say he came in and was more successful right away than I thought he maybe ever would have been. But sometimes it happens like that where, you know, you come in, you're a flash, 
you're steaming Willie Beeman, right? Like then, then everybody adjusts to you. Can you readjust? We haven't seen that from Kyler. And that's what comes down to like the work, the time that you put in, right? How much do you yeah. care? How much does he care about football, about mm-hmm. winning? You know, we, we haven't seen it yet. We haven't. Let's move to Cowboys Packers. How about this one for Mike McCarthy? They head to Green Bay. He looks, we've all made fun of McCarthy for not being the greatest of coaches, but you know what? This year, he's done a very good job. This year, after Dak went down in week one, they lost to Tampa. All of a sudden, we could have said season's over for Dallas, or you know maybe they go one and four in their next five games. They put their players in a spot to succeed. Dallas is six and two, six and two against the spread. Green Bay, three and six, three and six against the spread. And Dallas is a five point favorite on the road at Lambeau. What's really impressive about Dallas, since week five, they have two edge defenders that rank in the top 10 in quarterback pressure. And in most people would have probably thought it was either Parsons or Lawrence, but it's not. Dante Fowler Jr. and Sam Williams. So, how good is that defense when you have two other guys that are in the top five in quarterback pressure on top of Parsons and Lawrence there? Now, the negative for the Cowboys, their run defense, they rank 29th in their grade. They did acquire a new nose tackle, Hankins, to try to help them with that weakness. I mean, I just love talking every week in the, about the Packers games because I just get to go through all of the ugly, ugly stuff that they've done the week before. I mean, they look worse and worse. And it's not its not like one small thing where you look at a team and you go, ah, okay, if we made one adjustment here, they'll be different or change the coach or change the quarterback. Rodgers does not look good. The routes being run are bad. His throws are stubborn. His reads aren't great. He had that one funny play that bounced off your guy's face right off of the helmet of the Lions defender, which was awesome. He threw three interceptions on Sunday. It was the second time in the last five years he's thrown two or more inceptions, interceptions in a regular season game. It's only the fifth time in 18 years he's thrown three. And it's the first time in his career he's thrown two in the red zone. They were 0 for 4 in the red zone. They actually ran 32 plays in the first half for 260 yards and they got zero, they had zero points in their first three drives. I was just nuts. And, you know, you compare them, like, I don't think the Rams are good, but like compare the teams that the, you look at the teams that the Rams have lost to, you got Buffalo, Dallas, you got the 49ers, you got the 49ers and then Tampa last week. The Packers lost to the Giants, Jets, Commanders, Bills, and Lions. Like, not a great group. Eric, only two teams in the NFC have a worse record than them. They're actually the 12th seed of 16. They're tied with a couple other teams. They scored nine points against the Lions. The Lions were allowing 32.1 points per game. They were dead last in the league. And now they play the Cowboys, the Titans, and the Eagles. All are top 10 scoring defenses. But... This is as low as Green Bay has ever been valued, ever, right now at this moment, as a five-point underdog at home. Can you get on the Green Bay side? I mean, you just kind of look at the analytics. Everything kind of favors the Cowboys. Better team, better trenches matchup, wide receiver, DB matchup. But this is the Packers season. I mean, this is if they lose this, they're officially done. 
you know, just kind of looking at the trend teams on a five game losing streak. And this kind of backs up to your point about the Packers being at an all time low are 57% ATS as a dog in the spot. 59% as an ATS as a home dog Rogers. This is the biggest dog he's been since 2013. Um, you know, he's 56% in general as a dog, you know, they've been favorite. I don't know, you know, take out the bills game. They've been dogs and all favorites in all those games. I just think this is the spot where the Cowboys coming off the buy Ezekiel Elliott, still not a hundred percent that they just kind of get like a three point victory. I, that's how I see it. I like the, I played him at five and a half. Yeah. It's, it's so hard to not look at this game and think like, this is the spot to play green Bay at the best value. You'll, you'll get them. And it's important to remember, like, I think why you and I are good at this stuff, like good at the NFL betting, especially in the college betting is just because we get that it's a week to week league and you you can't, you can like a team and not like another team and still bet on them and, and against them. It's not like people get way too loyal to one side or the other. And it just, it can't be that way. Like you just have to immediately right off the bat say like, Oh, I'm just, yeah, sure. Like, I have a season long bet on this team, but I'm going to be betting against them some weeks for them some weeks. It can't just be like, I like the Ravens. Yeah. Let's say like, you know, you broke down all that stuff with, um, with the Packers and them not scoring the red zone. Let's say that happens. And let's say they beat the lions. Let's say they beat the lions by like four, three, this line's going to be closer to three. Absolutely. I mean, this is like, this is an inflated number. This is a Packers situation all the way for me. Let's get to final two games. We've got Chargers, San Francisco here. So we've got 49ers as a seven-ish point favorite over under 45 and a half. San Francisco, four and four straight up, four and four against the spread. The Chargers, doesn't it feel weird? The 49ers feel like they feel like they're better than that, right? Like they, they feel like their record is better than four and four and four and four against the spread. Chargers, five and three, five and three against the spread. Chargers... We're without their top two wide receivers last week. We got to keep monitoring that. Eckler has been fantastic. Last week was a very good week for Herbert, who was able to kind of pick up the rest of their staff. You know, Eckler is third in the league in receptions this yeah, year. Kind of, yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. Like I thought it was a I thought it was a mistake when I read it in one of the write-ups and I looked, he has 60 inter, he has 60 receptions. He has one more catch than Justin Jefferson. And three more than Kelsey. That's insane. I didn't I didn't realize he was that like he had that many recently. So your guy Shanahan, eight seventeen and one against the spread as a home favorite. Uh you know what's crazy? They've actually won, they've actually covered five in a row. So he was three seventeen and one against the spread as a home favorite at one point. It started to kind of regress a little bit towards the mean. You know, I mean, this is a team that they have some fantastic pass catchers now, and that should quietly, like, really help Jimmy G. Christian McCaffrey has the best receiving grade among running backs since he entered the league, uh, you know, years a few years back. And Ayuk, this year, he's eighth among wide receivers. Put that on top of Debo and Kittle, who are always close to the very top at their given positions. That's, you know, that's going to help Jimmy G a little bit. One thing for this 49ers team, though, for a team that hopes to be good and in a lot of close games, their special teams isn't very good, Eric. They're 
dead last in the league in average starting field position. Um, their special team grade is dead last. Average starting field position is 31st out of 32. And the special team's DVOA is 21st. So for a good football team, that, you know, missing on the special teams, that could be things that hurt them in, in close games. Just something to keep an eye on. Well, what's to uh, to mention about this game, Chargers 49ers? I, how can you not take the Chargers? Like, I, I took I them at seven. Like, yeah. look, I like this 49ers team. Um, I, I have them invested to come out of the, come out of the, the NFC. Um, you look at Shanahan, 39% ATS, 35% ATS is a home favorite. Uh, Jimmy G, uh, favorite, 44%, uh, home favorite, 37%. Hermer, 62% as a dog, huge number backdoor screamed all over it. I mean, the big thing are the chargers going to be able to figure it out and stop the run. It seems to me, no matter who the chargers play, it's always going to be a three point game. I know it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it, doesn't, it's, it, it doesn't just matter who they play, who's matter. their coach, where it is home away. It doesn't matter. It's always going to be a three point game. Um, I know this is a know, way too high of a number. This Keenan number Allen's. is way too high. Like, what do you think this number honestly what would be a number where you're like, ah, that's right. I'm not going to play it. Like four. Exactly three. what I would think. San Francisco minus four. That that would yeah. feel four if you wanted to say like four and a half to five because the Chargers are dealing with some extra injuries. Okay. So if you told me three and a half to five, that makes sense. This is way too high. Yeah, way too inflated. You know, no Keenan Allen, no Michael Williams, but still the 49ers, the weakness of their defense is what? The back four. I know the Chargers are a little banged up on the second on the um offensive line, but I think they're gonna be able to have success moving the ball. And just this big a number, it's hard to trust Jimmy G. I'm not saying to take the four, I'm not saying to take the plus 250 that Bet Fred's offering, but this number at seven, anything seven or above, you automatically have to take the Chargers. This is way too big of a number for the 49ers to be late. Way, way too big. Okay, Eric, let's uh let's finish up. With Monday Night Football, we got the Commanders versus the Eagles. Oh, Commanders. Should have won that game last week. I kind of like Heineke a little bit, and then he makes that really bad decision. He throws an awful interception. They're up by 10, and what nobody really is talking about also, they were up by 10, and then they get a pick six that looks like they're putting the game away, and the pick six gets overturned because of pass interference. So that gives Minnesota a first down, allows them to drive down, kick a field goal. And then a minute 55 left, the Vikings kick a go-ahead field goal. The Washington defensive tackle makes contact with the long snapper. So instead of getting the ball back with a minute 50 left, Minnesota just runs out the clock basically and, and kicks a game winner. The commanders though are starting to have more of an identity like we had expected. Sweat. And their defense have been very good. He's one of only three edge defenders with 80 plus grades in run defense and as a pass rusher. Interior offensive line, they have not been very good. Uh, pass blocking ranks 28th, and they allow pressure on 19% of dropbacks. That ranks 29th. Washington is four and five straight up, four, four and one against the spread. The Eagles, eight and oh, straight up, five and three against the spread. They come off their bye, and uh, the Eagles. Goddard currently ranks second among Titans, uh, 
among tight ends in uh, defensive uh, DYAR and effective yards. He's fourth in receptions. He's second in yards per game. He's tied for number four in PPR formats and scoring. He's finished as a tight end one in six of the eight weeks that he's played. I mean, overall, this is a very good football team. But the run defense is actually a little weak for the Eagles. Um, 27 tackles for loss, which is sixth fewest in the league. And EPA added per rush is actually dead last. So Eagles, Commanders, divisional game here, Monday Night Football. Eric, talk to us about this one to close out the week. Uh, big number for a divisional game. Uh, but 11, I- yeah. And 40, a big number with a low total, right? Total of only 44. And we're talking about a number that's 11. Yeah, it's a huge number. Um, Heineke, on that pass, my boy Scary Terry was wide open the top of the screen. Um, that would have got the first down completely at Aaron throw by him hard to trust him after that epic blow blowing of the game against the um against the Vikings last week uh Eagles phenomenal against the pass they have Bradbury they have uh Darius Slay that's going to put some pressure on the commanders to be able to run the ball Eagles are only at 20th DVOA defending the run but is Brian Robinson healthy enough you know what I mean is he healthy enough and I don't mean that as a slander because, you know, what he's doing is amazing. He literally got shot and he's out there playing. Is he healthy enough to carry the workload offensively as the number one back? Because I don't think Gibson is a number one back in this league. I think he's more of like a old school Eric McCaffrey type, Metcalf type guy, someone that can play outside, play, uh, play the slot, play like a third down back. So that's my big worry with them. Are they going to be able to run the ball? Shockingly, Washington's offense is kind of, excuse me, their defense is kind of good against the um, against the run. That's something to monitor too. So I don't know, just an intriguing matchup. I don't, I'll be honest, I want absolutely nothing to do with it. Just because, but I will say this, the Eagles are 6-1 and one ATS in the first half. They should have covered that first half last week um, with the um, – Oh my gosh, Jason, with the Texans. Do we know what the first half? Oh, yeah. And I said, I think I said the Eagles are on a coming off of a bye, not a bye. They played on Thursday night, though. So it felt like they had that right. They felt they had a couple extra days off. They didn't play on Sunday. So that's why it sort of felt. I mean, that first half line is seven, is six and a half. I'd be really tempted here to just to take the Eagles minus the six and a half because, I mean, they should be perfect ATS. A lot of people don't play ATS first half stuff. I absolutely love playing the first half stuff. I think you can find great value in it. Um, I would uh, I would lean that first half. Other than that, I could just completely pass. Eric, we had a pretty good week last week. We were four and one uh, with our five plays last week. Uh, Who's the one we lost? I think we lost. It was Thursday night. Did we like? Did we play the Saints? I think was it the Saints on, on against well, Baltimore? No, well, I, I, I don't. I didn't have them written down here with me, but I know we. I wrote down four and one when I because I know the winners yeah. that we had uh, were our winners last week were Jags, Bears, Lions. Commanders, and Lions. So we had those four. I, I wrote four and one down. I just can't recall off the Saints. top. It was the Saints. Yeah. yeah. So nice week for us last week. It looks like these games are ones that we all agree on if you're down. Carolina, Chargers, Steelers, Browns, Broncos. Yes. I think we're all on the same side on those five. So we'll play Carolina. Uh, right now it's two and a half. We got the better number at three, but we'll say just for this purposes, two and a half. Uh, the Chargers plus seven. Pitt, we also got that at plus three. Right now it's one and a half. Just play Pitt at the money line there if you want to do it that way. 
Uh, the Browns plus three and a half. That's been moving. And then uh, the Broncos also. Uh, so just for the sake of it, what was the number that we set on the Broncos that we ended up getting here? That is um, that three is down to two three. and a half. Right yeah, it's down to um, two and a half. The three is where we, we both locked it in your day. So, uh, so real quick, you know, obviously Allen news, him going down. I'm looking at it right now. Um, now just hear me out here. This may be a little crazy talk. I'm already invested in Mahomes to win the MVP, but I'm looking at the remaining schedule of Baltimore. They only play one team with a winning record. They play the Bengals. Other than that, they play the Panthers, the Steelers twice, the Jaguars once, Browns, Broncos, Falcons. They could easily win out, correct? Looking at Lamar? Lamar's at 12-1. to 1. So he's what, like the fourth, fifth choice? Fifth choice. He goes Mahomes, 2-1. to one. Uh, Jalen Hurts, 2.5-1. to one. Allen, 3.5-1. to one. Tua, 8-1. Tua, to one. And Lamar, 12 to 1. Yeah, of all of those, I absolutely like Lamar the best because I think 2 0 come, come down to life a little bit. Honestly, Hill should be more of an MVP than it is 2 Like, Hill's the one that's like. I think I think it's a slam dunk. If you can get um, offensive player of the year, I mean, Tyreek Hill is still plus 300. How is it? I know. How is it not him? I mean, he's going to break records that, unless he gets hurt right now. Yeah, he's going to shatter records that's it in terms of teams to make the playoffs um you know the falcons are kind of intriguing to me at that plus 210 one and another one that's kind of intriguing to me and maybe this is just me trying to hedge out of my position with them is the cincinnati Bengals. um you know i like i like so go go ahead go but go ahead Oh no, they the line moved to minus one forty, so it's a big okay. point. So yeah, so the value, yeah, but yeah, the va- the value's gone. Got but it's it. always kind of fun to play these. Yeah, you always got to look week to week and see if you can f- spot any uh, like inefficiencies uh, somewhere that 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 are worth diving in. So we're recording this a little bit earlier this week. We're on Wednesday night as we record this. Every Thursday, Eric and I do a Twitter space at two o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Just quick. It's about 10, 15 minutes. We talk about some of the games on Thursday with the focus on the Thursday night football game. We give a couple plays. We give out a prop or two. Talk a little bit about uh, DFS, um, you know, if you want to build any lineups or who we who we like and maybe who we would fade in DFS. So we'll have that tomorrow, and we'll be able to get a little bit more into the Thursday, uh, Thursday night football game. And then uh, Friday, a college football show for BTV Bets. We'll uh, have that show on Thursday or Friday, excuse me, at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And then on Sunday, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time for the BTV Bets football show for Sunday, where we preview all of the Sunday games. We'll be uh, kind of watching the ends of the uh, the Germany game at that time also because Seattle plays Tampa early in the morning on Sunday. Eric, buddy, uh, what else do you uh, want to mention that you got working on this weekend? Uh, podcast. My podcast is coming out. Um you know, going to be talking CFL and NFL. Um, and then also my boy, Nick, the quick is finally going to be making his appearance. Kid is a fantasy football whiz. And oh, I, I thought you were talking about Van Exel. My no, guy. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking. My boy, Nick, the quick finally, okay. uh, 
you know, he uh, he wants to get into the game a little bit. He's pretty nice. he's actually really good at fantasy football. And we're going to actually be starting that next week. He'll be coming on my podcast and, cool. you know, we're kind of talking about some through some DFS builds and everything. Eric, buddy, thank you so much. Appreciate talking with you as always. We'll talk again a lot more over the next few days. Everyone, make sure to give Eric a follow uh, and uh, check out all of his content over there. Good luck in the next few days, brother. Talk to you again real soon. Thanks. You too, man. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge by Download the Stable Duel app and play today.
Make sure to join us on Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern time for this weekend in Stable Duel. We'll get you all set up with important information and some best bets for the weekend. Myself and Barry Spears, the sniper, this week, 7 o'clock a.m. Eastern time, 7 o'clock a.m. Pacific time, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Let's dive into some plays for Del Mar for Friday and for Saturday that you can use in your Stable Duel lineups. For Friday opening day at Del Mar, let's flip to race number four. I like the one multi-platinum in here, getting back to the dirt. Uh, last time out was in a slightly tougher spot on the turf. Now returns to a, a 32 non-two. That's a softer spot than this horse has been in as of late, and the dirt sprints have been very good. I think from the rail, they'll be going early, and this horse should be involved throughout multi-platinum. Maybe an early exotic single 7-2 on the morning line. Race number 5, I like to two Kaizen. Been a little unparticular the October 16th race where this horse had a ton of trouble at the back of the pack. Was kind of bumping, bouncing all around. Was not too far behind Petruccio, who should be a much shorter price in here. The two Kaizen is 12-1 to on the morning line. Throw this one in all exotics. We'll make a win wager if we can get anything over 8-1 to there. And in race number six, let's look at the number four, Mr. T's Thirsty. There's a lot of speed here on paper. You have the one stretching out from sprint races. You have the two club cows, more of a, a tracker. The three Seattle breakout is going to go. Atomic drop is quick. You have no longer a hobby who wants to be forwardly placed. Leia's candy is stretching out and is also fast. Lemon sushi also stretching out and is fast. I think it sets up nicely for someone from off the pace. Horse who's a little sneaky in here is Mr. T's Thirsty. He's actually coming out of races against Open Company. He can pass horses. Look at his race going a mile on the dirt back in December of last year. He won against Open 32 Claimers. He won pretty easily that day, coming from way out of it in a small field. I think this trip will suit him very, very well. He exits a dirt sprint. That's not really what he wants to do. I think this is this is a trip that should be good for him. Let's give Mr. T's Thirsty uh, a big shot in here. Mr. T's Thirsty coming from off the pace. That's in race number six on Friday. Let's move to Saturday for Del Mar. A couple best bets for Saturday over at Del Mar on opening weekend. Let's start at the first race on Saturday with the three nice ice stretching out. This gal looks like the one to catch. She's actually performed pretty well going long on the turf, and she's come from off the pace. But back in November of last year, she was not bad. I mean, she was beating a first-level allowance optional 40 group. And then look at her most recent turf races following that. One of them was going long when she ran into trouble, and that was followed by a layoff. Her other turf race was a sprint. A little sneaky here, getting back to long on the turf. I think Nice Ice has a shot in here. The number three, she's 8-1 to one on the morning line. Anything over five, worthy of a win wager there. Let's move to race number three. The five, Happy Gal, was interesting. She was a runner uh, and the Jessamine and just ran into some trouble that day. She had a bad start. She got bumped, crossed over on. She was back to 10th. She's about six or seven lengths off. She was inside, and she was farther back than she would have liked. The horse who won that day, Delight, won by five, ran in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, was a wire-to-wire winner. Happy Gal should get a better trip in a better spot here. That's the number five at 6-1 to one on the morning line in race number three. Let's move to the fifth race. I thought the four was pretty impressive in that maiden-breaking win on October the 10th. Maeve of Connett 
She was about five lengths off. She just sat nicely. They pressed the button. She made a big four-wide move up to contend. And she's raced five times. She only has one poor effort. It really wasn't all that bad. It was her first start in the U.S., and it was coming off a long layoff. It was back in August this year. Her two races since then, runner-up effort, really good when she had trouble. Then she came back and won easily. She's heading in the right direction. She's continuing to step forward. I like her in here, Maeve of Connett. She's the number four in race number five on Saturday. She's six to one on the morning line. If we can get anything around four, that's worthy of a win wager. We flip to race number six. I'm looking at the number nine in here, post facto. This guy was fifth in between horses. He was in the second flight in his most recent race. He was bumping around. He had to back up inside, and then he was trapped behind horses. The race was won by a wire-to-wire winner. It was against better. It was going long on the turf. Now he comes into the O'Neill barn. He drops. He tries the dirt. He's interesting in here at a price uh, of around 4-1. to one. He's 6 on the morning line. That's number 9 post-facto. Let's finish up in race number 9 with the three stonks, whose debut was really not bad. He had a slow start. He tipped to the outside. He was last early. He started to move, and then a horse right in front of him shifted out, and it's t- it was a tough, kind of a tough thing for a two-year-old horse right as he had started his rally, and then he kind of had to stop, wait, and he tried to come on again, and he was actually starting to make up a little bit of ground before they geared him down. He was only beaten like three and a half lengths. I think there's a, a lot better race in him here second time out. He's going to take a step forward, and that was not a bad one. Stonks. He's 15-1 to 1 on the morning line. If we can get anything like 8-1 to 1 plus, I think that's fair value for him. So that's Del Mar Saturday. Good luck on opening weekend, Friday and Saturday. Best bets for you out at Del Mar. Don't forget, if you need any help in the world of real estate, contact Cindy Carava. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. She's a full-service realtor. She can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing, she can inform you about the market, give you a free analysis on your, of your home's value, anything you need, connecting with vendors, being connected with lenders to help the home process. She will take care of you, one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. Cindy Carava, get to the website, cindycarava.com. Up next, we head into the world of wrestling. Chad Cooper joins us to talk about WWE Crown Jewel from last weekend. We talk about Monday Night Raw, NXT, and AEW Dynamite. Everything going on in the world of wrestling on This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's This Week's Wrestling Recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Last week he was uh, actually in Saudi Arabia himself for the uh, crown jewel, put it on part of the event, but he's back. He's joining us again uh, as he does each and every week. Loop, Chad Cooper, buddy, lots to talk about. Kind of a weird time in wrestling because I thought that the Crown Jewel show overall was pretty good and a lot of good matches coming off the show. But the last week or so overall in wrestling, I didn't think Raw was that great. Dynamite, some positives, some negatives, some questions. It's kind of a weird 
it seems like wrestling has had these like real waves over the last year where there'll be like a few weeks or a month where everything's hot and then a couple of weeks where things start to cool off a little bit. You have a good assessment there. Um, I thought I was forgotten. I, I thought I was forgotten talent back in the locker room. <laughs> WWE. I, was, I, was, I was about to bring my You're in catering. To Twitter, you know, <laughs> and, and say, you know, book me. You know, I was going to pull the old Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona gimmick uh, uh, that, you know, it, it is an interesting time. And I think that uh, um, I, I think with the WWE here, not, you know, not having a pay-per-view uh, after Survivor Series in December, uh, we're, we're, you know, things were kind of weirded with Crown Jewel because, uh, you know, especially with Roman Reigns and uh, Logan Paul, um you know, you just couldn't really, as you said, it was a good show, but you just really couldn't get too invested with some of these things mm-hmm. because they immediately changed the following week and we're going in a diff- different direction. And the same with AEW, you know, they've, they, they've kind of put their ball in MJ, MJF's court here and went with him. And, and uh, I thought their show this week was okay. I thought too many promos were taped. I thought his probably should have been live. But, you know, maybe it's because the newness has kind of worn off a little bit with Triple H, the keys to the new car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of feels in it. To WWE, uh, and, and I think the combo of that and, in. and the bad time, right? This is always sort of like a little bit of a lull before you start to build up to next year for WrestleMania in the middle of football season right now. I think they kind of do it. When all of the other sports get going, the World Series just ended. We have basketball, call, like everything's going on right now, and you f- it almost feels like both companies take a little bit off. They're like, okay, we know we're gonna have tough competition, so maybe we don't put our best foot forward for a little while. But um, yeah, the, I, I didn't have much of a problem with the show overall. The uh, the Crown Jewel show, Coop. We got Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley in what was a really fun kind of. Lashley beating up Lesnar for a lot of that match Lesnar picks up a win And then Lashley takes him out after It feels like this is not Done done between these two guys It feels like there's going to be more With these two guys moving forward Because now we've kind of had a one versus one and Maybe we have a finale with the two of them Somewhere down the line with you know Some kind of big stakes in a cage match Or last man standing Something like that yeah, I, I think they brought Brock back for the big show, and I, I, I you know, uh, there was no titles that need to be involved in, in, in this match, and, and it paid off. It was a really good match. Um, I, as far as going forward with these two, um, yeah, you're going to have to put something at stake here because we've seen it. Um, and this will probably, I don't think it'll be, like, I think what you're saying I don't know if it'll be immediately Maybe as a Wrestlemania match or something they go back to Because um, I think sure, sure. It, it looks like sure. Lashley's kind of going in a different I, direction I, Right Yeah yeah. And, and Lesnar can be brought in at any point If he wanted to pop in on Smackdown And start a feud with, with Someone Smackdown That doesn't need a whole lot of storyline Other than him coming in and just F5ing everyone all over the arena so that wouldn't be hard to do. But it, this match served its purpose. It was really good. I, I thought both did a really good job, a, a new direction. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if Brock Lesnar gets that call for uh, uh, Royal Rumble. I, I'd like to see maybe a final six or eight uh, at the Royal Rumble with Brock and maybe Lashley, you know, go at it again there in that match, a particular match in the Rumble itself. So um, And they just go yeah, crazy where they don't even – yeah. 
They don't even care yeah. as much about winning the Rumble as they do about beating each other up, right? And they just kind of go off. That that could be kind of fun. Sure. The so I guess while we're talking about Lashley, he he seems pretty full heel now after Monday Night Raw. It yeah. seems like we've yeah. we're getting some character changes because Lashley comes out to answer the U.S. Open cha- U.S. Title Open Challenge. He attacks Rollins before and. He throws him into the barricade And I mean he just takes Rollins Out and then he laughs And he's kind of mocking him Then Austin Theory ends up showing up And Austin Theory Cashes his money In the bank On the US title And does not win Um, There's a lot happening here There's a lot that I mentioned but first we were talking About Lashley and then we kind of hit on everything else Because they're all related So Lashley's a heel I don't, I don't mind that he, he's over right now. He's in a good spot. He feels like he's towards the top of the card. Um, it, I think right now, Raw is being hurt a little bit though by not having a main event title and not, not really yes, having like yes. any of these guys challenging for Roman or like building them to challenge for it. Yeah, we got by. You know, we got a WWE got away with it for as long as they could, and now it, it's you, you feel you it. Don't have that. Yeah, yeah, you you can you can definitely feel it. Um, Poor theory. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if we're we're trying to close the book on all things that Vince McMahon did uh, with the feuds that were that were still going when he was still there, um, and we'll get to the twenty four seven title here shortly. That's done too. But poor Austin Theory. You know, it was interesting that he won the Money in the Briefcase match, got the actual briefcase. I was okay with it, but uh, once Triple H took over, oh man, it was just. Uh, I and think he joins what one of maybe three, Sandow and Corbin. Yeah, and then those this are was the, for the U.S. title. The, and this no? is so. here's here's what's crazy about this too. It was an open challenge. You could have just walked <laughs> out there and yes, accepted the challenge. Yeah. And two, Theory's already been the U.S. champ. Yeah, he was the U.S. champ not long ago. Why would you keep in if? I didn't. I didn't like this in any way, shape, or form. Because no, like, no. and I didn't like this from Triple H's and and the booking of this either. Because if you wanted to to say that, okay, hey, Vince liked Austin more than us. We didn't. We don't think this is the time. Okay, that's fine. Just have him try to lose. Try and lose to Roman then. Yeah, it was the it was the burial. That's the only way I can think of it. I, it for weeks, I've been saying he. I thought that briefcase was going to be put in a match against maybe Kevin Owens against somebody, and he would lose it that way. But no, you. You know, like if you're not an Austin Theory or. It it just like have him lose it to Roman. You could have easily had the bloodline yeah. out there around, and you could even babyface him if you wanted to do it. You could have had Sammy be the guy who kind of helps. Roman because he kind of you know Whatever but I don't It didn't it didn't make sense to me And like you you sent a message right away To us and you said wow this buried theory And I agree I agree It had and, to have I mean where do, you, where do you go from here With him other than see, just being a mid carter Or putting people over because like you said he's already Been a US champ and what hurt what, what, He was really Been hurt by the the one champion because if you had multiple champions yeah. you could have had him cash it on on the cash it in on the other champion winford a little lose it back whatever but there's just no way this guy was ever beating roman reigns no no it, not even the we couldn't even fantasy book that not even 
one percent no. of any fan knew that that was not going to be cashed in successfully against Rome, and no way. So that's, I mean, that it's, it, it's not like it's he, he's young. He's got a lot of talent. It's not like his career is over. But wow, they're going to need a really different packaging on him. He's going to need a total like baby face turn or a total like something completely different to because you know Corbin's doing okay now. He got away. He got. Sort of, he's been okay after losing that, but it just this did not feel good for Theory. And what's a bummer is like last week he had a really good match too. Yeah, on on yeah. Raw with with the uh, with Rollins. But so in the midst of all of this, though, is Seth like a full blown baby face now? I, after Monday night, it kind of feels like it. He kind of acted goofy there in that one. Uh, you know, he kind of got out of. The uh, when Balor and them attacked, you know, came and said, "I've got unfinished business with you." He kind of cowardly left, and you know, looks like a baby face to me. He were the last two weeks. He's worked like a baby face. He got attacked before the match. He did a, an open challenge. That's a baby face thing. That's baby face. Like and, and an actual. Not like a BS open challenge, right? Like he just said, whoever wants to come on out, and Lashley was going to come out. I mean, man, are we getting where? Are we getting to what I've always wanted? Are we getting to what I've always wanted? This baby face Seth, because he he does feel like one of the few guys that you could put into a situation with Roman and at least wonder. Now, I don't think it's it's going to be him, and it might be. Hell, right now we're going to talk about Sammy in a minute. You know, it might be him, it might be Cody when he returns. But Seth is one of the few people who you could have a conversation with about with with Roman Reigns being in a match that feels like he would have a remote chance, and in a babyface one, and maybe in a babyface like this where the crowd kind of turned him babyface. You know, it wasn't really like he's he comes down and he's like. I'm the company guy. This was sort of like the crowd just sort of like singing a song, and Seth Seth has just sort of been around for a while now, and kind of been the top guy on Raw, and he's been working really good matches and having some fun feuds. Seth Rollins, yeah. babyface, huh? Yeah, that, that it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see the what's the status with Cody Cody Rhodes coming back. Um, maybe if it's naturally done by the fans. To, to turn Seth babyface, that's one thing. But if they are, they, if they have turned Seth, there, there's got to be something coming coming here soon that that involves him. But you know, he's still got the U.S. title. You know, that's kind of stuck in the way. I don't know. Does he does he challenge Roman Reigns with that title? Um, is it taken off of him in some way? It would be weird if he dropped the title and, and still worked Roman. But for all and for you know, after Crown Jewel and after Monday night, I I mean, he he cut this weird promo again, and he what did he he was laughing uh, at uh, not Mackenzie Mitchell who interviewed him, but he said it better not be you who's challenging me, ha <laughs> ha. You know, he's got these kind of weird little promos, but I I think we're babyface Seth. We're right on the doorstep of it. Come on, Seth, let's have <laughs> that turn. It's weird. I, I just I've never felt very. Very good about the women's tag division Oh boy And I again <laughs> we got damage control Gets the win They beat Alexa and Asuka After Alexa and Asuka just came back last week Picked up a win on Monday Night Raw Beat them for the titles In an unadvertised match 
Which why not advertise the match on Monday And then you have them lose it right back here Now they're building to a women's war games match Bianca picked up the win over Bailey later in the night So I guess we could talk about all of them together So damage control still has the women's tag team titles But Bianca won against Bailey in a last woman standing Really good 20 minute match Those two um, they performed very well But the real Important stuff to come out of Monday Night Raw is They're building to the War Games match At Survivor Series There are going to be two of them it looks like One for the men, one for the women For the women we have Damage Control So Dakota Kai, Io Sky, Bailey, And Nikki Cross Is going to be on that uh, Heels team It should be a five on five team So the heels are still going to need one other To join them On the babyface side we have Bianca we have Alexa, we have Asuka There are two baby faces That still need to be filled So what everyone's sensing What everyone's feeling Survivor Series I believe is in Boston Sasha Banks From there Did, yeah, they, leave, sure. did they leave the two spots open On the female side The baby face side And you have Sasha Banks and Naomi Make their return here In this 5 on 5 war games match You just in the next week or so you fill one more on the uh, on the heel side. Maybe that's a Charlotte. Even you know, I don't know if that's what they want to do, but they could fill with any heel that they want. Um, what do you think? It, where do you stand right now with this kind of match being built and what they've done right here recently? The women's tag titles are it's just a it, it's not good. It, no. it just. It wasn't won by these two properly the first time they won them. You know, remember Raquel and uh, uh, Aaliyah winning uh, the titles? So it, it was just. I know. It, the way Damage Control won the titles then um, was not very good. And, and this, this one, I mean, this was. This is. This goes back to the Vince type booking here. If you're just. If they're winning the titles on Monday. Or somebody won them on SmackDown the weekend before, and uh, just for the purpose of having a title change at Crown Jewel, oh boy, that 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 just stinks. You didn't I, really just, get it, out of it the, what you no, because you didn't promote the match on Monday either. It was was funny. No, just you didn't promote the match. You just had them win, so it wasn't like you promoted a match on Monday. If they just come back on Monday, why not just say we're going to challenge you for the titles at Crown Jewel and don't even have them win the titles if you don't want, right? If you're not, if you're, if this is going to happen, like I just, I don't understand what the point of that was for a week. It didn't, it didn't really make any sense to me. Now, it will be really cool if it is Sasha and Naomi that show up. They'll get a big pop. That'll be a really big moment, and the match could would be awesome. Who do you think fills in on the heel side? And I mean, hopefully out out of this, they can figure out this tag division a little bit better because I'm still not going to feel good about the tag division. I mean, the match is going to be good. It's going to be cool, but the the tag division is still going to feel like floundering. Yeah, the match will be fantastic. I'm not worried about it. I I just wonder if you're going to waste, and I I say that in a a non-derogatory non-negative way i don't want to be negative about it but do you waste that this uh, on charlotte coming back uh you know on one side maybe maybe not i really don't i I don't think so i I don't think i don't think so i don't think charlotte i think if you're gonna have the other two coming back you don't put charlotte there too i don't think you do both Uh, of them yeah 
No, I completely agree. I, I, I'm with you. I, I think this is a perfect moment to bring Sasha and uh, Naomi back and then book it right. Give them the title, you know, give them the, uh, a, a title match and let them maybe we can re- rework some of the things that we, you know, we thought then when Naomi and, and Sasha won the titles. All right. Going to be legitimate here. These belts finally. And uh, it wasn't, it wasn't booked properly then. So maybe this time around, if they do come back and they get that uh, rematch, which they should, and they win the titles, uh, maybe we can bring some uh, legitimacy back to it. Because right now it it is, it's, it's not good. That's an afterthought, those women tag team champions. And they should. Yeah. And if we could get maybe like toxic attraction and even like chance and Carter now who have the titles down there, we could get a couple of these teams that are actually teams that's just always been the problem on the main yeah. roster is they don't yeah. like they're none of them are actual at least damage control feels like a tag like they were they came in together and they're a tag team. But think about the other tag teams who have it's Oscar and Alexa. They're not a tag team. No, no. They're two top women stars thrown together because it's not really their time to be in in the singles. You know, chase. But we want to keep them on TV because they're super talented. Raquel and uh, Aaliyah weren't a team Really Raquel and Shotzi Challenge they weren't really a team You know we we Need an actual team Or two of These women and we have a couple of them in NXT So maybe we could get a couple of them coming up And that'll just help strengthen the division A little bit Cross and Drew had a cage Match where Drew was able To win by escaping the cage They do this because they don't have to pin Cross they can can keep these guys going Probably continue their feud I, I'm just kind of curious Because I would imagine Coop as we just talked out the women's War games match and that's going to come from Raw so the men's we would Think is going to come from Smackdown and that'll Probably include the bloodline Yeah absolutely so you have to the, And the only thing like we, like we Were saying is just There's no t- No groups or grouping that is going to feel even remotely comparable or like no. like they kind of have the same star power as the bloodline because i feel like you probably have to have McIntyre in that match if you're doing it right is he yeah. going to get away from cross now and then maybe go go in, and lead up the the team that challenges the bloodline in the war games match yeah i i or, or one of the top 2 you know this was when we previewed, uh, when we talked about Crown Jewel over the last couple of weeks, you know, this was the perfect way to end the storyline here, or, or as of now, Cross not getting pinned uh, was by putting putting them in a cage match, and it it, it worked out. Um, and you can see the bloodline losing. Uh, I, I would hate that that Sammy. Would but be no, the but one. you're right. It makes sense you know? with the Sammy J, like with all of the stuff that they have happening. There could it, be. It, it ha- they have to be in that War Games match. They have because be. the five of them is perfect. You've got Roman, you've got the Usos, and you've got Sammy and Solo, and and right. it would be you could tell so many stories in there with them that could end up because that could end up leading to the Sammy babyface turn, and yes. I believe Elimination Chamber this year is in Montreal. Oh, which is the month before Mania. Like, could we see? A story being told for Sammy Zayn to be I've, the guy. I've been suggesting that for a while now. Man. I, mean, I don't think so. And man. you know what's crazy, Coop? So over. You didn't love Sammy before. That's I why know. I love it's talking dope. with you. And anyone yeah. that's listened to this show knows that through the years, you weren't just like, 
a Sammy oh, like fan it. a no, couple years like back it. when he was doing the conspiracy gimmick. Hated it. Hated it. It was like last year when he kind of got into the th- the stuff yeah. with Jackass. Yeah. And then how how like fun he he just made the best out of that situation. And then everything he's done with the bloodline now. And it man, you could feel so let's so let's kind of talk it out as we continue on through here. So we got the five on the bloodline with the with Roman, the Usos, and uh, and Sammy and Solo. Let's say we got Drew. Do we get like Kevin Owens in there? Yeah, because- that that that's that was my second name, especially with the with the Sammy Owens. Because they, they, yeah, I think Sammy, we've heard Sammy. that they've kept him off TV purposely because they didn't realize how good this bloodline thing was going to be. You know, <laughs> right. they were. They're like holding on Owens because he can be the guy that helps Sammy and they can, you know, link up either for the tag titles or he can help Sammy. But they were waiting because they wanted to keep telling the story a little longer because it's been so good. And there there was a, a video floating around of like Sammy getting all of them to break character. I don't know if you've seen this, but like, you know, Sammy's dancing or he's, and then I'm doing the this and I'm doing the that. And like, you just see Solo start laughing. And then like, there's a clip of like a week later where he's doing this and then Jimmy's in the back. And even last week in the ring, Jay started to smile a little bit when he wasn't, <laughs> and Roman was smiling and they were getting oozy. And it was okay. So we got KO, Drew, New Day. New Day. Because they're going uh, for the tag titles this that match this weekend, right? For the new day, new day. Uh, and and we we don't know, um, we, we just don't know about uh, um, God I can see his face. Who's the third member that broke his neck? Biggie, Biggie, God, that would no be about Biggie. yeah, I, and I don't think it could be him, but God, that would be so cool. That would be it's amazing if it was, but if so, if we got those two, because remember, and you know what, yeah, now that we're talking it out, new day. Has actually gotten Kevin Owens before to team with them and Drew McIntyre before, nice. Nice. right? They've done that where they had Big D. Remember, he was out there, oh, yeah, yeah. swinging the sword. They had him, <laughs> and then they've, they've done the same thing with Kevin Owens one time where Kevin Owens filled in for like Big E as like the third member of the New Day. And he was, I think, he wore a shirt, I think he even had a, a yeah, t shirt. Did yeah. he do? Did he even do the, um, the intro? The like I he might have yes. even done the yeah. done the Big E intro. You know, yeah. oh, <laughs> you know. So those four would actually be pretty fun. They could have some some, you know, a fun, you know, uh, segment or two leading up. And then we would just need one more like babyface. I guess it could be anyway. It could be like Rey Mysterio. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. You know, yeah. or even like a Rick, like any one of those guys. Ricochet, seems like Ricochet sure. is going to probably have stuff going on with LA Knight a little bit right now, but um, yeah, that could be. There we go. We built the babyface team, and you know okay. what? They feel a little bit better that we now that we've talked it out, honestly. Because if you have the New Day there, and then Drew and KO, yeah, that's not bad. That's not a bad team. Okay, cool. It's WWE. not because you know you can protect Sammy too, and if a tag champion. What, you know, takes a loss in the match. That'd be perfect. One of the Usos takes the pin because and that's, that's what cracking the foundation. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And um, we uh, so we did have Roman while we're talking about the bloodline. Um, man, shout out to Logan Paul because it's it's been a little clunky in some of the builds because. He's trying to force this baby face thing. He's like <laughs> they really wanted him to be a baby face. And he's 
him and his brother at some point are just going to be really great natural heels in in WWE. But the guy had a fantastic match, dude. They went like 25 yeah. minutes. They pulled out all the bells and whistles. They had his brother come out. This thing was overbooked. We find out that he had like an MCL tear in the middle of the match and still yeah. worked. He he was um recording a video at one point like live streaming his leap off of the and the numbers the tur- were crazy on that on the that turnbuckle. Yeah, uh, was- um, th- so it was. It's unfortunate because he's hurt now, and we don't know how long he's going to be out. He's not going to be able to wrestle or be in a WWE ring for a while. But the guy, man, he takes it seriously. He he trained his ass off again. He he did a lot of stuff well. Just don't don't do the super kick anymore. That was the only one. Don't do the sweet chin. That didn't look <laughs> yeah. that didn't yeah. look good at all. Yeah, and, but everything else he did was. Dude, he looks good. He's a he's a legit athlete. He just he would be such a fantastic heel, and he will be because he's just gonna say the same thing, and people are gonna boo him. You know, he just talks about how I work hard, I train, I'm just really good at this. I'm talent, you know, and it just comes off healy. What do you think <laughs> about about Logan? Oh, the match was look. The WWE is not gonna do anything anymore. Uh, like going back to the early days, like WrestleMania, when Mr. T and Hogan teamed. You know, I, I think Mr. T probably held his own at the time. But when you go back and watch those, the, the, you know, the early WrestleManias, when someone from uh, the the Hollywood side of things that's a big action star and they get in the ring, it, it's not very good. But over the last couple of years, the WWE is, is not going to put not only themselves themselves in a situation where uh, they get egg on their face, but they're not going to put the guy or girl in a spot where it's embarrassing for them because, Hey, look, man, this, it it could be a career killer. I mean, we talked to, you just talked about injuries that Paul had during the match. Um, You just, you go back over the last couple of years, bad bunny, Pat McAfee, um, Logan Paul, uh, it just, they're not going to do anything that they don't feel very comfortable with, um, putting them in the ring with a big WWE superstar, because I mean, look, look at the, the Goldberg undertaker matches and uh, that we saw overseas that have, that's what we think about now. When we think about the undertaker and Goldberg was some of those really bad moments at the end of their careers. So, um, it was good, man. I, I mean, say what you want to. I don't like either one of the Paul brothers. I thought the other one, Jake, lost in his boxing fiasco to Anderson Silva. But they're entertainers. And the reason yeah. why WWE did, WWE did that is because of a, a couple of things. Number one, they're fantastic athletes, as you said. Number two, when he went live and did that video, did you – the Forty million. 40 million by Monday by like that's all you have to say Matt two days later it was the most it was the most viewed clip on social media of 2022 so far hey you don't <laughs> I don't care how the match went that's, I, no. that's all you need to know right there that's why Paul is being brought in in these situations right there. and and then like you said on top of it the guys take it seriously yeah, absolutely you got to these days they they train seriously he talked about how WWE sent a ring to Puerto Rico where he lives and he trained there. Yeah, it was it had over 40 million the most viewed social media clip of 2022 and that was just 2 days after. That was as of Monday on Raw. So, really good stuff from him. Usos picked up a win over the Brawling Brutes to just continue on their their reign and then we saw on Monday night the setup for 
The Usos versus the New Day On Friday Night Smackdown The New Day are going to try to beat them To hold on to their reign Because the New Day are the longest reigning champions In history They do not want to let the Usos have that, uh, have that accolade Now the only thing I thought was weird About like the setup on Monday You gotta have Have the New Day win that match <laughs> it's a, it's a, it, yeah. They have an 8 man tag With the yeah. bloodline uh, The Usos and Solo um, Versus The New Day Who was it uh, Riddle Or it was no it was a 6 man tag It was Riddle yeah. Woods Kofi Versus the Usos and Solo have like the setup in matches like this is always, you know, the the opposite team gets the win in this match to kind of continue to build up the feud for Friday. I guess it was it didn't really matter all that much because Riddle got pinned, so maybe yeah. that's what they, that's why they did that. But I don't know. I would have I wouldn't have mind. I, maybe they were sort of stuck because they didn't want the Usos to get pinned. Right before and they didn't want Solo to get pinned So they did the best that they could and they had Riddle Get pinned but uh it should be fun And I'm glad they did I'm glad they did this I'm glad they they made like a little Segment and a feud out of it It makes sense we've complained in, Through the years that we've had the New Day and Uso So many times but now we haven't For a little while and it makes total Sense that you would have the New Day Want to step up and be the team To, to try to deny the Usos From, from gaining that record yeah, it, it, look, it, it's uh, it's going to be a hot main event that has to be the main event on Friday night, uh, yeah. and the Usos are going to retain. They're they're going to break the record. Um, I, I don't see the New Day winning. You know, I, it would be a shock if the New Day won. Uh, you know, the Usos have come this far, and the Bloodline uh, storyline has just been so amazing since day one. But you know, the ending. You know what's going to happen, right? Sammy or someone's going to get involved. Um, you know, a hot main event um, it, it, that's going to lead to the War Games match at Survivor Series. I'm all for it. You know, I, I just think that uh, maybe Riddle's that guy on, on the. Uh, yeah, on the you're bench, right. You know? Maybe he's maybe kind of, he can be. I'm not sure. Because he's kind of in a weird spot right now too. He, he is. Felt like, he is. I don't know what's what's going on with him. Yeah, they don't really have much for him And he he came off of like the really good stuff with Seth Rollins And he's been sort of top of the card for a while there But they, it's again like not having another title on this show, on Raw It, it puts some of those guys in a weird spot And uh, the final match from Crown Jewel that we didn't discuss Was uh, Judgment Day picking up the win over the OC By pinfall there A good match with these guys as you would expect It went 14 minutes and I think both of them are slotted well right now But what, what was the most intriguing thing to me Was on Monday night When we got a little bit of a Kind of a, a nod and a look to A possible Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair Something down the line So that made me think Did It feels like Rhea has the Judgment Day thing going on And I don't know if I would want them to do that But do you think the heel team would maybe get Rhea To be their fifth heel and that could start to set up a Rhea and Bianca feud, you know, down the line. I think Rhea and Bianca might be a mania match. Yeah, that's a mania match for sure. You got a good point because it, it, I don't think they waste the spot on Charlotte. Um, I, I Do you see someone coming up from NXT on the women's side? No, not know. really. You know, if you go through them, no. I mean, the biggest heel on the women's side is, is Mandy Rose. I don't see what the connection would be there. 
you know, her going up. Um, yeah, now, it, could, you, you, it, it could very well be, man, that I, I, I'm telling you, WWE does these little drops and these little hints, and that could very well be it. That's a Mania match. That, look, Rhea, absolutely, look, Rhea in, has not had the best of WrestleMania moments. This one would be a good one for her. Maybe Rhea is in that match. They have a little standoff, and Rhea wins the Royal Rumble. Ooh, this year, I like that. you know, like I they can be, like that can that. start to lead to that, and then Rhea is the one that wins the Royal Rumble this year. Rhea Bianca, that could be because Rhea feels more over because of the Judgment Day stuff, and we haven't oh, even 100%. seen her wrestling or in ring in a while. No, which is kind of cool, and she feels like a bigger star. I know I'm I'm kind of torn. I don't know if I want Rhea to be in that, or I don't know if they would do that because Rhea has felt like such a, a part of Judgment Day. But then on the flip side, Judgment Day is not going to be in the war games like we thought they might have been. Right. So now, do they have Rhea go there, and then you could maybe have just like Judgment Day versus OC in a you know in an old school tag traditional Survivor Series elimination match, something like that, you know? Yeah, they could definitely be booked that way. You know, which I would hope so. Um, yeah. I just you know, do. You, do you think they go with the uh, if Rhea's not in that match? But the uh, but the only problem is is like if Rhea's in that match, I think if Sasha and Bianca or uh, Sasha and um, Naomi are coming back, that the babyface team is going to win. Right. I think if they show up there in Boston, that Sasha is going to get the win. So I don't know if you want to put Rhea on the team that's going to be losing. Yeah, you kind of talked me off off that. I, me too. I, I, I kind of talked myself out of it. Yeah, you, you, you got and you've got the OC and Styles bringing you know bringing, bringing someone in, and that's what right. they use Rhea. And then yeah. you you say I like that they planted a little seed, but you save the Rhea thing for the Rumble, mania. you know, like yeah, for, save it for Rumble Mania. And then and then you can kind of put a bow on everything with Bianca and Bailey in this match too. So we need a hill, right? With, is, yeah, is, for the women's did side. Becky, did Becky walk out of the hill? I'm just, you know, Dana no, no. Brooke, I'm trying no. to think. You're right. And is it? I just don't it, know. You know, they had like Dewdrop. Charlotte. Yeah. Dewdrop. Maybe. You know, I don't. I don't know. It, I don't. If you bring I'm Charlotte hoping, back, I think does that did that does that just block all momentum of Sasha and Naomi? I no? I agree with you though. I agree. I don't think that's the right moment to bring Charlotte back either. So I think the Rumble is for her. Mm-hmm. I think that that makes up, perfect. Yeah. She shows up in the middle for the rumble Yeah I agree so we got to find In the next few days we'll keep Talking it out we'll see who we can who we can Think of that could be uh, the uh, the Heel on the women's side there We had a couple other things from raw JBL and Corbin came out They're just continuing to uh, to Put him over he picked up a quick Squash win over Cedric Alexander Um, We spoke all about the Seth Rollins Stuff and uh, okay, so for the OC, yeah, there we go. That's I forgot. Now, now it makes sense. It's it's not going to be Rhea quite yet because they brought in Mia. Yeah. So yeah. you were you were getting at that, yeah. And so it makes perfect sense to have a Survivor Series match. Those four, you know, the OC and Mia Yim versus the Judgment Day, and you had Mia Yim take the boys out, pay for the bar tab, and then she tweeted the other night that that's an expensive <laughs> bar tab. That's an expensive <laughs> bar tab. <laughs> um, do you think they're building up Otis for something? It seems like recently he's picked up a couple wins. He he, he got a win over Elias. He got a win over Johnny Gargano not long ago. 
for something because poor Elias, and that was almost a squash match. Oh yeah, he was like, <laughs> he was real quick. God, man, I'm on the Elias bandwagon, and I, I just man, not I, good. that whole character Gill was was not good. But yeah, you bring up a good point. Uh, he's a good heel, you know, and you've got old you know, Chadwick, um, Chad Gable, um, mm-hmm. that, that can be his guy and, and run his mouth and you know and and be a type of manager that gets in or, or side uh, you know a side piece that that gets involved in matches so yeah I, I, look otis is is look, we forget man the guy can work for his size I yeah mean, he can you he know can. and uh yeah maybe i mean we saw him in Braun not long ago oh we didn't even we didn't hit in that match i guess quickly Braun and uh and omos and, and then Braun talked a little trash after this weekend about the small guys uh, on social media <laughs> <laughs> they got Will Osprey and then Ricochet and a couple others all in it. Riled but you know up, what? Yeah. Those guys had a, like they had a pretty good match. I got to give it up to <clears throat> to Omos. It was yeah. it was like the yeah. best version of what you would ex- you could expect from those two guys. Just two big dudes going at it. Yeah, I, I mean, we had, had no expectations in that match at all, and it surpassed no. the ones that I had because there wasn't any. It was cool to see. Shelton Benjamin on Monday Night Raw for uh, just yeah. a quick moment. He was in a match like. He can be in matches like this. He can be on TV if you're looking for a get a good veteran that people like to see, and uh, he still can go in the ring. Theory got the win over him before Theory's really <laughs> bad night. Really bad night. Um, now, okay, so we have the Miz and Johnny Gargano coming up next, and so I will give WWE credit because they tried to do the best that they could at at like. Making sense of of what they've been doing with the Miz and Loomis. They they I think I think they tried honestly to like make the most sense of it. I just I don't think it was very great. And I think it maybe in the long run we look back and say like, oh, this it actually was okay for Gargano because like they put they put people like this in feuds that they like, right? They're not giving Gargano. It's not like they think this is crap. Miz is in it. It it's something that they think is is important, funny, but. I just don't think Gargano has come off well The material, like what the delivery How he's had to do it The combination of of him But mainly, it just wasn't fantastic material Miz is a little bit better with Kind of silly stuff like this He can play into it And if we're leading to getting Champa back And maybe we get some sort of a tag team match And that yeah. could lead to something with Gargano and Champa Then I'm I'm okay with it But I don't know, I don't think it's been Fantastic for Gargano He lost again Here Miz picks up a win They go about 16 minutes The crowd was like really dead for the whole night Most of this show the crowd was yeah. really, really wasn't Up for but then after the match Loomis comes out And uh, he hits Miz With the steel chair and then You know security chases Loomis after, uh, after. I just I'm not exactly sure where they're going Like where the end game is The match was actually fine It wasn't like bad or anything Gargano's good and Miz is, is good It went really long like 15 plus minutes What do you think about You know this storyline and, and what they've been doing with this It's lost me I mean I, it's uh, And I'm a big uh, uh, Miz fan Big Dexter Loomis fan uh, have, have no problems with, with Johnny Wrestling uh, I, I think number one The Miz uh, Loomis thing has gone on too far And I think, you know, Gargano Was was put in the middle Of that, I did like that he came out With this universal remote It was kind of funny um, 
And See, like those are little things that I actually like, and I I don't oh, I, and I, I, li- I really liked it. Yeah. I appreciate that they they realized last week they didn't explain enough, and so this week they tried they to go did. farther, yeah. and they had the footage, and they they had Miz basically give himself up. They, they right. had Miz right. say admit right. to what he did. Okay, cool. Like those are little things that I think I feel a little bit better about it, but overall this wasn't that great. Let's see if they no, can find a way to get out of this and maybe. Get Gargano into something at Survivor Series with the Miz, with Loomis, and maybe with Ciampa if he's around. That that could yeah, probably be the I, best. The match is going to have to be the payoff and only have one match. We don't need to see two different versions or three or four different versions of singles going at it. You know, I, I was all it was all fun and games in the beginning when Loomis was coming out and Loomis breaks into the house and all this stuff. But still, I didn't like the fact that that the reason why Loomis is doing this is because Miz stopped paying him and his companies were laying off, whatever it was. I didn't like that payoff, but a match would probably put a Band-Aid on this and move mm-hmm. forward, but I'm with you. This has not made Johnny G signing return uh, look any good at all. It just has not. Nikki Cross wins the 24-7 title, <laughs> and then... I think she was trying to throw it in the trash and drop it on the floor. <laughs> she broke it. <laughs> she, she, I think, I think she was like, she's not a basketball player, you know. No. She was not one that uh that made that shot, but maybe it, it looks like that's the end of the twenty four seven title, right? Yeah, poor Drake Maverick. R.I.P. <laughs> and, and and you know what? There were some segments here and there where it would it was funny at some times, but this was just kind of. One of those things that I just don't know if 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 nowadays it's in in this type of wrestling like nobody who was a really big fan of the twenty four seven title like you said the Maverick stuff was fun the R Truth segments were good but then yeah 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 you know they would Especially lose when like Renee Young was involved or Renee Young uh, uh, his wife when Drake Maverick's wife oh Renee, yeah that was great Renee like, those, Michelle, like, Renee Michelle. those were funny like those, those were, were well fantastic. done and you could tell that they were taking it seriously but but after yeah, that I, no. Yeah, not much. They did a couple with um was it Reginald? Yeah, Reginald. He, he was okay too, but once it got over to Dana the last month or so, they've just they, they haven't really done anything no. here with it. So I, I don't mind saying goodbye to the 24-7 title as we say goodbye to Monday Night Raw and we head on over to NXT from Tuesday. So NXT, the main event was the tag team championship for the women. But we kick things off with Joe Gacy in ring gear. How about this? Finally. <laughs> Man, I got to say, bringing in Ava Rain to this group makes them, and they've they've tweaked it, like their look a little bit. They've tweaked some of the things, that, like some of their verbiage a little bit. They feel like just such, I'm I'm way more intrigued by them now than just a few weeks ago where we were Go away he get him off my TV This was the best match Joe Gacy Has had In so NXT you're t- So you're telling me that she kind of had the Rhea Ripley Effect you're, No that's a great point you're right she well, did Because she we, did. we weren't taking Balor and, and no. Very serious we It's a great were, comparison to, it, yes. just look, it just it, And it doesn't necessarily have to be A certain someone it's just Adding that Another piece that can get them over the hump, and mm-hmm. hey, you and I, we are not Joe Gacy fans by any means. We 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 thought that gimmick has been bad from from the get go, but you got to give it to them two weeks in a row where they've been uh, 
look, the match was good. You know, when you get people involved and start wrestling, it's good. I know they got nine different names for these people, but she she's she's been the icing on the cake for them for a couple of weeks and we're, we're taking them serious now. And it was good to open NXT with him in the ring in, in uh, a good match too. That helps. Mm-hmm. I that agree. Helps. Grimes coming up soon. Maybe, maybe we Scott see Grimes at the rumble. <laughs> he keeps losing. I know we got to see him show. Maybe he's a rumble guy. Yeah. Right. Rumble we're guy. at the timing yeah. now, let him off TV for a little bit and then he can pop up. I heard somebody say, I think it was on wrestling Inc. Somewhere. Or I can't remember where, that he could be in the Bullet Club, and I thought, oh my gosh, because remember when he came, when the Gallows and Anderson came down and and helped him in the tag match, and he could be like the guy that pays for their bills and stuff all the time. And I actually <laughs> thought, you know, I, I was like, that's not bad, you know what I mean? Not like I don't, idea. I don't mind Grimes in there with them and with AJ, and they could have some fun, and that could maybe lead to him in an AJ, and that might be a good way to to bring him up if that's a a possibility for Grimes. Now we had Nathan Frazier and Axiom talking about how uh, uh, he's out for a few more weeks. And then Axiom and JD McDonough set up a match for a little bit later on in the night. Man, McDonough's a badass. Yeah, he, he is. is a badass. The match is good. And he looked like he hurt Axiom. And then after the match, he he said, what was the line that he he gave? I thought it was really cool. So they are talking about how it looks like he's really hurt. And Booker said, I heard something pop. I heard something pop. JD said it was a strain, not a tear, because I'm a nice guy. Oh. And he said that Ilya Dragunov still in the hospital. And then he said, I'm looking at you, Apollo Cruz. Ooh. So could be Apollo Cruz coming for JD McDonough. As uh I think the NXT, a lot of the NXT UK guys, McDonough and Dragonoff in particular, um, and and pretty deadly. They've been good additions to yeah, NXT. They have. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they can cut good promos and they can work in the ring. So those those have been good payoffs there. We had Carmelo and Trick in the barber shop. I thought talk- this was fantastic. I'm not gonna lie. It's, I just did. I, I it's thought a good it was segment. The way it was good, man. I thought it was really good. And they respect Wesley. But he didn't pin Mello, so he's a paper champion. In two weeks, they're going to have a match on November the 22nd. So there's going to be a contract signing next week. You're right. It's just a, it's not a, it's not exactly what they said. It's just how they said it, how it was produced. It was different than just having two guys come out on and cut a promo in the ring and go or be backstage with the, with a reporter. Yeah. I liked it. I thought it was uh, the the presentation. I thought it was one of the best segments of the night. I thought it was it may have been one of the best segments of the week as far as interviews goes. I thought it was well done. We got scripts coming, Koopa Loop scripts, <laughs> scripts. So this is um, this is um, uh, what the big big man, Dijak, right? Yeah, I think yeah, this is Dijak, yeah. uh, yeah, Donovan Dijak. Was so he should be uh, he should be coming scripts. Um, <laughs> We had uh, Electra Lopez versus Saul Ruka. Just a quick win for Electra to pick up the victory here. And then Indy attacks post match. Maybe they're setting up Indy to be. It felt it felt like that for a while. Like Indy was getting ready, and then they never like give her the match against Mandy or or put her in a feud with Mandy. And the problem is now I think she's a little heelish. Did she yeah. have words with uh, Roxanne Perez at the end of the night or during the night? Backstage segment, she said, I don't need you, or she said something 
I thought maybe that was Hillis there. So I don't know. I don't know what they're doing there with her. It seems like they've been waiting for a while now, though. And they have Duke Hudson. Uh, this is fantastic. Why Andre Chase keeps losing, I don't know. But Duke Hudson has been a fantastic addition to Chase U. I completely agree. I like it. And I, I really do. And it was, it's about, they're, they're telling a story here that Duke is trying to be really g- a good guy. Right, and he doesn't want to cheat, or uh, you know, he he ended up throwing in the towel. We don't know if he's trying to be to screw him over or not. They're telling a fun story. I'm more interested in Duke Hudson than I've ever been here in this. <laughs> it's, even when he got his head shaved, <laughs> even the, yeah, well, that was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. We um, what else did we have? We had happy hour with the uh, Brooks with Maria Briggs. And Jensen and Fallon at the uh, at the bar, and so Kiana is trying to buy the bar. I don't know something, yeah. something weird nice. is uh, is is happening there. I do like what we've been seeing from uh, from Stax. I think he's been improving a little bit. Channing yeah, Stax yeah. Lorenzo. Um, yeah, I Tony D's been hurt, so they've they've kept Tony D around, but they're trying to build up Stax a little bit, and. Uh, he picked up the win. We then had the Grayson Waller effect with Braun ba- Breaker and Von Wagner. This is okay. I'm, I will say both. I don't. Neither one of these guys is good at at promos. No. And so no. this was going. I, I knew coming in that you have Braun and Von Wagner in there. It's not going to be great. I I'm not interested in Von Wagner at all. I will uh, say. No. I thought he did an oak. He did as good of a job that we could have expected from Vaughn in a situation like this, having to talk a little bit. It it wasn't a good segment, but I was just expecting it to be so bad that I guess it did, <laughs> like it didn't. It didn't like. Vaughn, yeah, you it have didn't no really. expectations going into something, and it has a little bit. You're you're awkwardly surprised. <laughs> in both of the guys like they showed a little bit of passion. And a little bit of like intense Like intensity Which that's really what you need In these wrestling promos And neither one of these guys are are All that great on the mic But the problem is is just It's not that it's only Von Wagner Not being good on the mic His character has just never really been over It's just right, never been right. a hot character And so you put someone like him in a title match And it's kind of a bummer Because the last two months have been really good for Braun with the with yes. the NXT UK guys. I I think it it felt really good for him in those matches. So now I don't think anyone feels like Von Wagner is going to beat Braun. And no, it's better just, not. No, and it's just sort of a waste. Just a quick little interview from uh, Wesley talking about his match with Carmelo in a couple of weeks. He's confident. Nothing. Uh, nothing much there. Um, Cora Jade, a little promo talking about Wendy Chu. So it looks like Wendy Chu and Cora will have a feud continuing on moving forward. As Wendy Chu came out and uh, made the save last week, a lot of lot of stuff. They're kind of they just finished up with a big show on Halloween Havoc. So now they're starting to rebuild and build up to the next big show, which I believe they announced. Um, deadline is going to be in December, and Shawn Michaels will have some announcements. Big announcement, big big announcement this week. About that next week Apollo talks about how he wants to be The NXT champion 
So we got to see him um, But that was before JD McDonough called him out So it looks like that'll probably be what's next for Apollo yeah. Apollo JD, maybe Apollo can get the better of JD And uh, and then move up to Braun Breaker Damon Kemp and Julius uh, Damon Kemp and Brutus Creed Brutus. Had a five minute latch here A uh, five minute match here Brutus attacks Kemp And they go at it There was a countdown clock there And Brutus grabs a chair And then he just goes after Kemp <laughs> So it ends up being a DQ It only goes a few minutes It wasn't a match It was more about the angle And and uh, it, Brutus doesn't care about winning the match He just wanted to get revenge I actually didn't mind this It made it kind of made sense why, did the, why the hell does Brutus care about the five minutes He just wants to beat the hell out of this guy <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I, I just want to know if uh, the Creed brothers are on Triple H's main roster radar. I hope so. Now it looks like we're going to get a big, big match against uh, the big man, right? Veer and Songa. Yeah. They kind of teased that. Yeah. They yeah. gave them a little look there. That'll be fun. Okay, so you know what? Scripps isn't Dijakovic because they had yeah. another video later with right. Dijakovic. Right. So Scripps is so. totally different. The Scripps is going to be somebody from the other side. Side of the building I think you and I both agree That it's going to be some, one of these guys I, I don't think it's someone they brought in from the Indies Or no, um, Someone that was a uh, A free agent I think it's what, One of the performance center People in my opinion And then we get to Indy And Roxanne you mentioned Indy told Roxanne no friends in this business You gotta look out for yourself So there was a yeah maybe Maybe a heelish turn For Indy we got a heel turn in the main event Yeah we did the Women's tag team championship match Caden Carter and Katana Chance versus Nikita Lyons and Zoe Stark Caden and Katana get the win After pinning Stark Fine match But right afterwards uh, Zoe and Nikita give the titles to Carter and Chance And then Zoe hits Nikita with the, the one of the belts right to the head and she starts screaming, big running knee. She tosses one of the titles on the floor, and we got the big heel turn from Zoe Stark. And I think we we kind of could sense it was coming. This is going to be much better for her because she's not great cutting the babyface promos. That's that's not where she excels. And now she's going to get a chance to go out there. Work really good matches She can be like a cocky heel About how good she is in the ring And I think that'll be a better gimmick for her And this is nice for This gives Nikita like a really nice story And maybe a good build up For her to get a win over Zoe And then maybe we can get Nikita towards Mandy Yeah this was was Now it's understand Why Zoe and Nikita uh, Got that Second title shot and Nikita Hey it's my fault my fault and uh yeah, because look, we we know that Zoe is not very good on the microphone. But if you turn heel and 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 number one, you can go in the ring because Zoe Zoe can. There there's no ifs ands or buts there. We everyone can agree that she's one of the better women's wrestlers uh, uh, in, in all organizations. Uh, she's just really she's really that good. But now, like you said, you don't have to put a mic in front of her face where she's got to cut these long baby. Now now she could be pissed off. And maybe get some 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 better promos out of her, uh, but she don't have to cut long. Now she can just attack people, and uh, her business uh, is the ring business, and she doesn't have to describe all that stuff. So this was a great move for them. It's a good way to end the show too. Let's get to AEW Dynamite. 
we opened things up with an eight-man tag match. And the match was was fun. It was good. We had FTR and the acclaimed get the win over the guns, Austin and Colton Gun, and Swerve in our glory, Keith Lee and Swerve. So good match, good start, fun. The crowd was into it, everything. The the only thing moving forward is they're building to the full gear pay-per-view. It's going to be the third time that we have this match now between the acclaimed and Swerve in our glory. And we know what's going to happen. We've been they've been kind of leading for weeks to Keith Lee and and Swerve having problems and Swerve's kind of a heel and Keith Lee's kind of the baby face here and they played it out for a while now that I'm just it's it's kind of predictable and that's that's my only that's my only worry moving forward that I'm sure the match will be good again but it'll probably end up being some sort of dissension between Keith Lee and Swerve and I think Swerve is doing really good work as a heel. I think Swerve might be okay as a singles heel. I'm actually worried about Keith Lee because oh, there's right? a lot of worry about Keith Lee. Oh yeah. He was lost in the shuffle. He came in, had the really big moment right off the bat like everybody does. Then he got lost in the shuffle for a little while. They put him with Swerve and it kind of came out of nowhere and they actually did some pretty good work and they had some good matches, but the acclaimed was more over than them. So unfortunately, you have to kind of break them up. I don't I just don't know where where like Keith Lee is gonna get slotted right now. That's what that's what worries me a little bit. Yeah, I don't either. I I <clears throat> this is uh, they they weren't that consistent. There was bad booking. Um I, I just man, it's not it's doesn't feel right for him. I, I don't think AEW has been a a, a solid fit for him. I, I just Sometimes, sometimes it works and sometimes it don't. And I, I don't think this has worked out for him where we are at right now. But, you know, maybe maybe a program where him and Swerve can do some work together and actually put on a match or two. But the problem is you got to chase certain channels or YouTube channels to find certain things. But I sure hope it works out for him because I'm not feeling it right now. Not with him, not being solo. The next thing up was MJF on the Barstool Sports. Pardon my take pod. Great. Come on, MJF. Come on with that's what G said. Seriously, come break your news. <laughs> come break your news over here. He's cutting his cutting his promo. Uh, he looked into a camera, and the promo was was fantastic. It was excellent. He talked about how uh, the doctor said he shouldn't be traveling, so he hasn't been um, on TV or he hasn't been going to uh, going to Dynamite. And he can take wrestling to new heights. He mentioned Bruno, Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, The Rock, Cena. He thinks he's in that class. He says the only person that is in his way is Moxley, low-life scumbag, piece of shit, but he respects him. (laughs) He said Moxley became the best wrestler on God's green earth, and MJF said he was born to be the best wrestler. And he talked about movies and shows. You can bring pro wrestling back to where it is that somebody – you know, everybody talks about he's sick of waiting. And I like that he mentioned – you know, um, he's always been one-upped. Matt Harley, Matt Hardy fell on his head on the night of my spotlight, and <laughs> yeah. and he yeah. said um, when he returned, then their spotlight was on a press conference. Um, he said the devil gets his due. He's gonna knock Moxley out, and he doesn't need the diamond ring to do so. I mean, great, great promo, fantastic stuff from him. Man, I, I would. 
yeah, go ahead. My only <laughs> thing is, it's just like it's. Are they going babyface with him, or is this just like him throwing us off, making us think he's a babyface, and then he's going to get the ring out and he's going to cheat to win? Is that what we're going to see? Are we seeing a babyface MJF? Well, I understand why they went to Barstool. I mean, I get it. Whatever. I still think it should have been done in house. I would have right. loved. I've loved to have hear him said all this stuff in front of Renee. You know. Oh, I know. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. I just felt like, again, this is one of his top interviews, his top promos, and they all are good, but this is one of his top three or four probably. And I, I want to see her face. I don't want her to know what he's going to say. I don't think they did or would know. I would love to get that personal. I think, we're man, you sold me a couple of weeks ago that, that MJF could be this big baby face, but I think we're getting set up for him to use that ring again. Is, I, I is, just, just, it's just it's too easy Okay let me give you a few possibilities One okay. Do we have Could they ever possibly do something On an AEW pay-per-view Where they had like Stokely or people Lay them both out and had a schmozzy finish And neither one of those guys And we don't have like a finish To the match I don't know that's something I heard But the one that makes a little bit of sense here do we get the William Regal turn with MJF? Could be. Because does, does, they've set up all of this stuff about Regal and MJF and WWE and how is he the real villain? Does Regal help MJF win the title, turn on Moxley? I would. And, I could see that. I would definitely like that. You know, Stokely did cut that promo, you know, that... About MJF like he was pissed. MJF. So I don't... I guess in, a, in that sense, me not knowing... Is 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 good I just It felt like a weird time Because I didn't yeah. know if Moxley was the guy That you wanted to do the baby face Like if they are doing a full baby face thing With MJF I think it's weird I, I will say I think it's weird Me if too he, So I'm expecting him to, to pull the rug out from us At some point with Yeah all because uh, if he is baby face Who's next to, for his first title uh, Defense That's the way I try to look at and You're right. Do, all right. Who's who's next on the? Uh, he, he, if he's a if he's a heel, who's next? If he's you know, a heel, you could go to a bit any. You know what I mean? Brian yeah. Danielson. You could go to right back. You know, you could go to. You know, if, I think you if, put a top guy up there with him but immediately and let him go over that. Go over them, especially. Totally Brian agree. Yeah. That would be totally agree. I think that would be one right away where you could have him win and it won't hurt hurt Danielson. And it could kind of be heels though. Uh, if he's a face, uh, who's the big heel? It's not Eddie Kingston. He just got eliminated. No. You know? Whoever and, wins that little title at the uh, Eliminator Tournament, maybe. But but again, like, I, you and I like Ethan Page, right? Because yeah. that was what was next up. That's a good he, one. And he, and maybe it is him, and they've been doing a pretty good job with him. Um, So may, maybe, you know, he looks like he's going to win this tournament, this Eliminator. I think they've, they've given him the build. Now he's going to face the winner of uh, Roosh. Um, in in the next match, and I think he'll be. I would not be surprised if he wins the thing because he beats Eddie Kingston. And gosh, this is why when I say this this person is hot, go with them right now. Because does Eddie Kingston feel the way he felt like a year ago, or uh, would he? He's ice cold. Out. I mean, I'm just being honest. He's jobbing. Ice cold. I mean, he he had this unique tough guy feel to him. 
Like when he came into AEW, like he wasn't supposed to be here, and now he just kind of feels like he's another one of the one of them because he's lost a lot of his big feuds. He they didn't really go with him when they maybe could have. Yeah, I don't don't feel great about where uh, where Kingston is, but I do like what we've been seeing with the uh, with e- uh, all e- ego Ethan Page. The guy's got some ability, and he you know he's bigger than I think people realize. Like he's got more size. He's a big dude, and he plays that character pretty well. Let's get to a lot of backstage stuff. We had, Re- yeah, lot. we had Renee backstage with Roosh and Jose, the assistant, talking about uh, if if he wins the AEW World Title, he'll give ten a World Title shot. Then we had Arya Davari talking about how he will give Wardlow his Butler for the TNT Championship. <laughs> Wardlow comes out with Joe. Wardlow has a quick win over Arya Davari. And then he calls out Hobbs because, again, think I'm reading this and it seems like too much. It is like way I'm, too much. As I'm reading it, you know what I'm saying? It's just we go from Roosh backstage with Jose the assistant to Arya Davari coming out talking about the butler. And then we got Wardlow, Samoa Joe. Then Wardlow calls out Hobbs. And this is within like a five minute stretch of TV. If we, you and I know all these guys, and we know all these stories, we know all them. If we were just flipping through TV and you weren't watching or like paying attention or recapping it for this podcast, I'd be lost a lot of the time. <laughs> yes, just lost. Um, so this was bizarre. Hobbs comes out. He looks like he's going to come out and get into it with Wardlow. Wardlow makes a comment and says he's going after every title and. Then Samoa Joe hits Wardlow in the back of the head with the Ring of Honor TV title, but the director, the director completely missed it. They, they missed it. They didn't even get it live. When he hit him in the back of the head, they had to show it on replay because the director was like showing powerhouse Hobbs. It was really kind of an off segment. And then after Hobbs and Joe are kind of talking trash to each other, like, I still hate you. I'll still kick your ass. So <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened. Me neither. Way too much. <laughs> way, way too much. We get Jade Cargill backstage, quick interview. She's going to defend the TBS title against Nyla Rose, who stole the title from her. So that's coming up on Ramp- uh, Rampage, I believe. It, or she's going to have a face-to-face, and then they're going to have the title match at full gear. So that's Nyla it. versus Jade. We then have Soraya Britt in in ring, and what I've heard a lot of people that like this segment. I thought both women came off like pretty confident. This was bizarre to me, though, like what the stuff that they were saying because I don't I don't understand the roles. Britt, if you're going to be a heel, you can't ta- like be trying to get the cheers all the time and like saying all this true stuff that's going to make us cheer, Britt. And then you have Soraya, who's like really disrespecting Britt and kind of disrespecting AEW to the point where I don't think the fans love that. Where you know, just her saying you're here today because Tony Khan, because you're buddy buddies with him. That's that's not true. No, that's a a heel move. That's a heel move, and that's not true. Britt was not shoved down. Britt was 
put up we because the, for her to have the title. Remember how how long for it? weeks we kept saying, why is Brit not the champ? Brit's the most entertaining. Why is Brit? She's been by far the biggest star in this division all along. Everything that Paige was saying was really heelish, and she's right. Like this isn't your house. You haven't come in here and and done <laughs> anything really. I. It was it was a good it was good in that. Soraya's a star She feels bigger than a lot of the women in their division This was like a big moment And a big segment for Brit Who am I supposed to be booing though Here <laughs> Because if I'm AEW and, and this is what This is my only problem with this match And then with the Moxley MJF And how they're setting it up Like, How is that crowd supposed to How are they telling the crowd to react in that match They're telling us right now that both MJF and Moxley are baby faces They're telling us here I mean Why am I supposed to boo Brit? Yeah I'm with you If I'm an, if uh, I'm an AEW fan Why am I supposed to boo her? She's been the top of my d- division all along She hasn't really done anything Crappy She's been like She didn't go after A hurt Soraya Or do anything evil Or heelish to her <laughs> I don't It's and both feel so much more important than Tony Storm and the interim women's title. I mean, right? there's three women's matches that are going to be set up on full gear, and t- two of them are for titles. And this one feels way bigger than both of them. Yes, exactly. So, exactly. And I think what she's cleared to wrestle work once a month. That's what they said. She was cleared. On, I read a report. She was cleared on Halloween, and she can wrestle once a month. See, that's a, the that's the being cleared. Bizarre. With restrictions is weird it's to me. Very odd. Hey, it's yeah, you can walk, but I would I would only walk once a month. One, it's like okay, you're clear. <laughs> Wait, what? And we know that if you if you're cleared and you're like not in shape, you're gonna have to build yourself up, right? So right. nobody's gonna go out there every single night and throw their whole body on the line. But if they're telling you only once a month, I don't know. It's it's weird. Now, I just thought some of the things they were saying. Came off like is Tony Khan a heel? Why would why would she like when Soraya said it like yeah Tony Khan puts you in that spot? So is he? It's a he's a heel. We're supposed to boo Tony Khan? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't really know. That's why I'm I'm not sure what what they what they were going for here. But I'm real. She even made a comment that said you were fed QT's trainees. Referring to QT Marshall Like you know what You know what that was That was that reminded me of Of Mick from Rocky 3 When Rocky is getting ready to fight Clubber And he says You know Rocky's all Hollywood now And he's taking pictures with everyone all over And he said they was bums Rock They was bums (laughs) They was bums bums. None of them was champion You know he had them all set up for Rocky Um, This this is what we're It just it was a little bit weird and I th- and th- these are one of the times when they are just banking on everybody knowing Paige, right? I mean, yes. they haven't built up Soraya very much in AEW. She's we had like a little sit down with with Renee last week, and there hasn't been much, like so. I don't. I'm I'm really curious to see what she can do physically. Paige. Yes, I love I loved Soraya before. Like I love Paige in WWE. She was one of the first to come up from NXT that could really go in the ring, and she was really truly one of the first in that women's revolution. But 
I mean, how long has she been? When's the last time she worked a match? So she came back, remember, in 2017. She had a return and she had like she had like one or two matches and then she she was done. And that yeah. was after being out for a while. So she's had like two separate breaks. So five years. So five years. Five years. And then before the five years, it was it was a while before that. Ooh. So we're talking like eight years. Probably we we like when since she was like regularly wrestling too. So fingers crossed for her. We then had uh, Jay Lethal in Sunjay Dot um, backstage that led to a Jay Lethal match against Trent Beretta. Jay picks up the win, and then after the match, they bring out their friend and partner, the Last Outlaw Jeff Jarrett, who is back now, and we are setting up a match. I mean, Jeff just takes shots at at people all over. He took a shot at Braun Strowman here by calling a monster that wears red skinny jeans. And didn't, didn't he call WWE a banana republic? Yeah. Okay, wait a minute. Wasn't he just on just, WWE? Literally, he was just backstage, and he was just being a special guest referee in that Usos match. That with no the one profits. cared about with him. I'm just being honest. No one gave a crap about Double J. No. Weird. I just don't like this, man. Me either. Look, I may have a him? dark heart, and I may like to cut a couple of promos on people, but read the room, pal. Um, I the just the not, WWE shots have like they. I don't know. They they get old to me. It just gets Do like they really. It? Do they want you to? For if that's your new boss, and they tell you this is what you're doing, okay. But if this is like Double J coming in here and said, I'm going to give it to him and tell him, yeah, yeah, give it to him. Ugh, it just doesn't come off right. What pop does it does it have? Now that you're doing it, they're doing it all the time. It's not shock value anymore. So it looks like we're going to have a match with uh, Lethal and Jarrett versus Darby and Sting. That'll probably be set up for full gear. Interview with uh, Jungle Boy, Jack Perry. Looks like Man, they'll match looks like this has gone on forever, right? It, it does, and and a little bit of bad luck because Christian got hurt. But yes, yes, they just they him and Luchasaurus need separate directions after this. Big like, time. Oh he my needs gosh. he Jungle Boy needs a clean win, and then to be moving on to go challenge for something else. Like that's he's been stuck here for a while. Promo time from Moxley. Moxley came out with Regal. I thought this promo was really good. Um, the the gist of it was telling MJF that you know he calls himself the devil. He said, "You think you're the devil?" He said, <laughs> "Dude, I've been in some bad places with some bad people doing some scary things." He would he talk about how you your mom buys your clothes from J.C. Penney's. <laughs> you're having an identity crisis, and you have a fake diamond ring. And he says, you know, I'm a multi-millionaire and a multi-time world champion. You, you know, you're not going to fool me. Um, it was it was good. I love the point that he made about you know the the bad places that he's been. Oh yeah, that's and and that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely yeah, that's true. That 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 match is not going to be for the faint of heart. You know, it's going to be a lot of blood there. Mox likes to bleed, and so does MJF. This that's going to get a little bloody. We get the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Video photos from their lives and careers While the graphics were uh, Full gear graphics were a part of that Yeah, they'll be back Do you think So I mean, 
are they going to be able to build a match for them or do they just show up? They show up, right? right. And if they get involved in this title match, it's going to make me puke. And I'm talking that's, about Moxley that, MJF. That's what I was going to ask too. What I kind of what I was kind of <laughs> pointing out with um with Stokely is it them instead? Do they just show up, kick like cause a bunch of havoc, say let, screw all of you. This was our company. We we were the ones that started this. Screw you guys, you know, I don't know. I think that buries MJF. But totally agree because that I could I, I could see I could see them doing it. They're going to get involved somehow. That would that would be just what MJF said about his moment getting <laughs> yeah. stolen every time. <laughs> Add that one to the list, pal. <laughs> Add that one right on top. We um had a uh, Jamie Hader versus Sky Blue match here. Again, what was a bummer uh, about this match? So, I'll tell you. <laughs> Go for yeah. it. Most so, of it was during the commercial. <laughs> yes, yes. It was seven minutes. Now. I, if if I wouldn't have I, I came out of this match Going wow Sky Blue looked pretty good I thought she's improved There were a couple yeah. spots where I And as soon as I'm saying that to myself I shouldn't be saying that <laughs> This should be about Jamie Hayter right now Yes yes It's not about Sky Blue It's not always about having a competitive Seven minute match between the both of them This should have been a few minutes For Jamie Hayter to get a win To make her look strong She's being built up for the women's title match And that's been one of the big complaints With AEW marks I'm just telling you right now There's Moxley As champion has, Has fought lower classification people and that match was seven, eight, nine minutes too much, and where Moxley is on the defense, you can't do that. And this is another example of them doing that. She should have got a couple of moves in, but for the most part, why? Why are you letting? I, look, I have no qualms with Sky Blue. Yeah, she was. She's one of the hot names from the indie scene that came up, but she don't get a whole lot of dynamite TV time. I don't. I, I, I just didn't agree with that either. Yeah, my, well, the problem was, my, for me, most of the damn match was during the commercials. <laughs> it's just so weird. We um, we had promo between Brian Cage and Dante Martin. They have a world title eliminator match on Rampage. And then, just again, though, like, think about how much they're squeezing in yeah, to this hours. show within, like, so we had... Jamie Sky Blue on wrestling. Brits out there. They've got um uh what's the other the, I can't why don't I have her name down? Um the other girl with them. Was it uh Reba, right? Re- but, yes, yes. Um they're both out there. We have going right to Brian Cage, Dante Martin, going right to Lance Archer, interrupting uh, Stark. Ricky Starks, and then Where he says, Everybody it? dies. Yeah. And he just leaves. <laughs> that was actually funny. I was like, this kind of pretty like, dude, funny. You, hey, we're live, pal. You got two words. Go for it. <laughs> Sid's like, can we do this again? No, we're live, pal. We're, we're live. live. Pal. You oh. got three words. Not two. Everybody <laughs> dies. Yeah. Was, uh, he's going to have a match against Starks in the World Title Eliminator Tournament. Gotta hope Starks win, but I don't have a good feeling about this. Me neither. Me neither. Set up for the main event, it was Sammy Guevara versus Brian Danielson, two out of three falls. And man, the match was really good. It was a good match. Sure. Um, and and they're building to these two in part of a four a fatal four way for that Ring of Honor title at full gear. And I will say, I I really loved um Ty in this match. She was just so absurd. 
She was like she reminded me of like an old school Sensational Sherry Which just she was all over the place And she was so overacting everything And like oh my god Like every like it, it was pretty funny You couldn't you couldn't not notice her With how like animated She was at ringside all over She was wearing like some bright pink thing too It was kind of funny so I thought she did a, a good job And the, the problem is just Sammy comes out and he has these great matches But the crowds don't like him And it's not even like a heel They'll even say stuff like We still hate you Or like you still can't Even when he does incredible things So I'm not exactly sure what the best What what the best Mode for him will be moving forward And so they're going to be in a match With what Cesaro and Jericho Yes At um At full gear who do you think wins that? Brian Danielson uh, ends up winning this two to one, and it was good. Like I said, it was a good match, and at the end, it was, yeah, it was. Very, very good. It was, it was. Um, man, Porsche is tough, man. I want to just keep calling him Cesaro because no one really cares about his indie name. I know, um, me too. That that's that's the problem here. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Brian Danielson. I don't. Know. I don't know, man. This is this is some of these AEW. Storylines are so convoluted that I I just don't know because when you think you figure out something with them, they you know here comes they two add another two and a couple other too many pieces like simple yes. is better yes. we say it all the time simple we like the simple stuff better there were some really strong promos on this show but they they didn't make sense to me in some of them um, MJF Moxley both really good stuff sure very curious what they're going to do. Um, with that one moving forward And sneakily I like what we've been seeing from Ethan Page I've been happy yes, absolutely, absolutely. Been happy that he's been getting pushed But it kind of feels to me like what they were doing with Starks Like a month or two ago Where it's like oh cool yeah. Starks is getting a push And then boom And then he's he's gone And there's I think there's a little bit too much We've said it for a while There's too much of that because they're trying to keep I think everybody happy You yeah. want to give everybody some TV time here But well, you're about to have three more come back and take a lot of time with Bucks and Omega. You know, Omega has been out a long time, man. That's true. He, he he was out, came back, had like two matches, and then he's been out again, right? So he's barely been back. Um, Koopa Loop. I'm not back. not a great like not a great week though. You know what I mean? Like we're we uh, well, come off some weeks where it's like, man, everything is firing boom, and boom, it feels boom. like they're yeah. trying to one up each other. And this week it was yeah. just. Not a great energy, not a great vibe. Let's see if the next week will be a better feel. But Coop Loop, my man, what's the feel? Do you have any uh, college football plays for us this week? Yeah, I have one. Um, it's, I, I don't like betting like this because I have a disdain towards a certain fan base <laughs> and certain university. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I'm not on the TCU bandwagon. I'm just not. I never have, never been. I'm a University of Houston guy. Just never have, never been. They've been grinding out a couple of wins, probably ranked way too high. But you're getting seven and a half in Austin uh, at the University of Texas this week. Um, I think this is TCU season. Um, they, If you want a shot, uh, I know you're going to have to probably win the Big 12 championship, but you need to win the bit. You need to be in that championship game. With zero regular season losses, mm-hmm. okay, for them to get one of the four spots, and uh, this is a Super Bowl for for TCU. I know, it, you know, it's probably a pancake game for them last week with Texas Tech having to come from behind. 
you know, that was the trap spot. You're right. That was the spot last week where you tried to, it was was. you're and you know what? Texas, Texas was up big. They are by 21 last week and then they barely held on. They needed that forced fumble late on a potential game tying drive in the final minute of the game. So this tells me one thing. This tells me one, a couple things, you know, number one, Texas is going to blow them out. Okay, <laughs> and TCU, the frogs have been squashed. It's over. Mm. Or they're 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 baiting you. They they, they know. look the Texas faithful are going to take that seven and a half all day, and that's big money because I'm sure those those Longhorn alums uh, they like to bet those uh, they like to bet those uh, those Longhorns, and and, and I, I just think TCU comes in here with. Uh, with one thing on their mind, knowing they have to win this title. No, a loss doesn't take them out of the Big 12 championship race, but it probably but takes you out of the nationally. And I think at this point now, every loss counts now. Early losses, you can we've seen over the last four, five, six years, an early loss, you can get back in it pretty quick by just running the table and winning your conference championship. We've seen that multiple times. Not here, not in the second week of November. So I'm going to take TCU plus seven and a half here. I like that one too. TCU so far this year, they have four wins over ranked opponents, which are, which is the, um, which is second nationally. They beat Texas seven out of the last 10 times. And what's cool. They have four wins this year against teams that they lost to last year by at least two scores. Love it. Love that angle. Love They've come back with revenge. Koopaloop, my man, great talking to you again this yeah, week. Man. Thanks so much for bouncing back with us. And I uh, know you had some uh, some fun phone issues, so go cut a, cu- a couple promos on the phone companies there yeah. for us. Uh, <laughs> Plenty of them. <laughs> cut a few pro- promos on that, and then uh, let's cash on TCU. Thanks so much, brother. You have a great weekend. You too, bro. We'll be following Chad at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode. Big thank you to Chad for helping us out there. And a reminder to all of you, when you need anything coming up for the holidays now, a gift for someone, friend, family, you're looking for something, you're not quite sure what to get them, check out one of the candles from sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com, promo code G-I-N-O, will get you 10% off your purchase. We finish up with Andor. Episode 9 and 10, Deep Dive, Recap, and Review. Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster join to go scene by scene from Episode 9 and then Episode 10. Spoiler alert, we get to everything going on in Andor and how it relates to the greater Star Wars universe. Kick back and enjoy, Star Wars fans. We are back to catch up with Andor. So we'll hit Episodes 9 and 10 with Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster. We're going to talk about Episode 9. Nobody's listening in episode 10. One way out. They all, the two of them kind of jumble together because we've got a prison break on our hands. The 10th episode in particular was just so, so intense. And like always in this series uh, with the, the 10 episodes so far, Michael, we get the the big sort of intense climactic event but it's after we've had that really good buildup. So we we got familiar with the prison, the setup, the way things work, some of the characters. We kind of feel for some of them. We got to know Kino and Olaf and Melshi and some of the guys that work at the table with Cassian. Also that 
when the time for the big prison break came, we felt it even more. Yeah, whoa, whoa, hold on one second, Gino. First off, great to be back on the pod. Second, did you say Melchi? Because Melchi is from Rogue One. Oh, there we go. Look at that. Look at that. (laughs) That's a callback to our last discussion. Um, So, yeah, you know what? These episodes were so good. Uh, You know, I I would describe them. We we got flavor in our food. You know what I'm saying? We did. With with these episodes. We were were the table winners. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, You know, I barely took any notes on episode 10 because, like, I couldn't stop watching. Like, I was glued. Mm -hmm. Uh, wait, wait, the, wait, the, wait, 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 you take notes for this? <laughs> I mean, I took, I took a few, I took a few. Um, uh, I then, actually, uh, funnily enough, I watched these back to back earlier today at a Starbucks and it was kind of great. I actually, I had a great time and yeah, episode 10, uh, I mean, both episodes are great, but yeah, the, the action and the adrenaline was pumping for episode 10. So I barely took, took any notes. Uh, and- uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Because of that, too, like the script for that episode isn't even very long because it's like a lot of action, right? It's not quite – there's one or two real big kind of uh, um, like big epic dialogue scenes and not a whole lot of back-and-forth dialogue, just kind of one or two characters dominating a lot of it there. Trevor, give us some of your feels coming in off of episode 9 and 10. On program. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Gosh, just – just what really good Star Wars here, and again, like it's not even this would this is just w- well written show. It would be good no matter where the setting was, but this prison is so scary, and it's been awesome watching Cassian just like monitor everything, all wheels always spinning in his head, just like plotting the the his his plan. It's th- this all came together so well. Well, this this goes back to something I said, you know several pods ago um and again thank you for having us back but uh this goes back to something i said several pods ago where you know sometimes you know like marvel and andor and and star wars like they're good when they are what they are but they're also something else um you know winter soldier is one of my all-time favorite marvel movies and it's good because it's a marvel movie but it's also a spy thriller yeah. And earlier on, you know, we were getting Andor, which was Star Wars, but it was also a heist movie. We just got Star Wars Shawshank Redemption. Like you're getting that prison break. You're getting the machinations of what's going on in the prison and him watching what's happening going on in the prison so he can plan for his perfect escape. And obviously his escape is not, you know, carving out uh, a picture of, of Slave Leia on his prison wall. Uh, you know, carving out a tunnel behind on the other side of it. But, you know, it, it's it's finding out the machinations of what's going to work and how do I break out of this place. And it, it, like you said, it's so well done. Not a lot of dialogue at times. Just, you know, them going through the motions, going through the fluidity of how this prison functions um, and, and just watching it unfold uh, in, in the mastery that it was. And we'll get into everything in just one second um because there's so much to talk about we'll mainly just kind of hit it all in order uh easier that way but I, there was one bigger thing i wanted to bring up at the beginning man i i did okay in my life with the ladies i have a son now you know i'm i've got a significant other um more so than not i knew what not to say to girls and maybe how not to approach them 
And that's how Cyril Karn did. I was like, you can talk and, about Cyril and, and that's how, creepiness. And that's how our guy, Cyril Karn, with just the oh most insanely stalkery, creepy declaration of like love that I've at this. And then as she tries to walk away, Michael, he grabs her arm. Yes. My <laughs> jaw dropped when he put his hand on her. I was like, dude, what are you doing? You're insane. Yeah. yeah. Bring some space flowers, man. This was just uncomfortable. I brought you some space roses. <laughs> it was so awkward. I couldn't, and I can't wait to get there and dive into all all of the dialogue. But I had to bring that up at the beginning because it was so freaking creepy. Our guy Cyril. But let's jump into it because we have a lot of ground to cover for episodes nine and ten. So we'll begin uh, episode nine, and this one was titled "Nobody's Listening." We pick up. Where we left off at the end of episode eight, we have Deirdre torturing Bix, interrogating Bix, torturing Bix. And she is so creepy and scary at this point. This whole... So scary. I mean, the all of these scenes, Trevor, th- like this is straight horror movie. I mean, this if you just took this scene out of anything that I was watching in the last few weeks leading up to Halloween... This is out of any slasher. I mean, she's strapped into a chair. Deidre is like creepy, like slowly talking and moving around her. And we find out that they have developed a new system of torture from a Dr. Gorst. And he's going to talk to us more about this in a minute. But this is like one of the scarier sequences that I can remember in Star Wars. I mean, of Gorst it is. And <laughs> unch. He's here once a a week, folks. He's here. He's here. That's Trevor for you here. (laughs) No, I mean, like, as you just said, like, I am also a father. You know, I've got to get my dad jokes in there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, I think I feel like prior to her getting on to, you know, getting into the hotel and starting to bring in some of, like, the resistance, if you will, or the, the early rebellion, or at least, you know, the folks that know Andor, um, like, like Pack and then Bix. Before that, we all kind of were rooting for her a little bit, you know? How quickly we, they flipped her, right? Yeah, like, it, it only takes torturing one person for me to flip on whether or not I like you, I guess. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. And, 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 and so it, it, it was just, it was very, very dark. Um, but... Again, it goes back to kind of the, my opening statement of, you know, you're, tech, you're talking about like, this is horror elements, this is thriller elements, it's Star Wars, and also something else, and that layering just gives it that much more enjoyment. And Michael, we, we hear when Deidre's going through one of her big, like, speeches, she talks about, we brought in Salman Pak, he had a radio hidden in his yard, um, we tracked it. And they were able to find out that Bix was communicating. But one of the things that they said was he attended a separatist meeting two years ago where he met a woman who said, this is like stuff that we've seen in history, like these witch hunts, right? Like he, he did this thing two years ago, talked to a woman. That's why we're on to this guy. And that, that's sort of where the ISV is coming from right now, which is just really creepy in the way they, it made me think of things that have happened all throughout throughout history like we've seen this was just scary and then we'll mention the type of torture that that they've created 
Yeah, super. She, I, I don't know if it's like, well, the performance is great, and then I also it's the way they shot her and they lit her. It's it's yes. yeah, you're you're like she's total, she's full on villain, and uh, yeah, and you're totally right. Yeah, like the witch hunts, like McCarthyism era type exactly. thing. Yeah. Um, you know, let me let me put something out to you guys. I I had this thought while I was watching the show. Um, is the Empire is that? Do you think that's kind of like a Nazi thing? <laughs> they they may be space Nazis. They might be. They might be. I it like didn't click you... until now. It's just it's all coming together when we talk it out like this. You know, things start percolating, and then there we get. But um... you know, what, Gino, Gino, kick him out of the pod. <laughs> I'm just. I'm gonna have yeah. to be doing a lot of producing and, and directing today. Everybody's in and out, but. Um, this was like really scary way to start and Bix just responds a few times. You're ISB, aren't you? Worst of the worst. You seem to enjoy this. And Deidre asks about the buyer. She was asking about Luthen and asking about Cassie and Luthen, what kind of ties they have. Bix won't give anything up. She says, I don't really know the buyer. And honestly, Bix is not really even lying here. She doesn't really know Luthen more than just, having a few interactions with him. She can't even really get in contact with him anymore. So she says what she knows. Sometimes he answers, he comes, he buys, he leaves. Deirdre doesn't agree. Um, he and Andor blowing up buildings, killing security guards. Sounds to me like a nest of relationships. When's the last time you spoke with him? And Bix finally just says, you know, you're not going to believe me anyway, are you? No, I suppose not. That that was chilling. Just like her face, and she like I think she smiles too, right? She does. Like, she's yep. like, "You're not gonna believe me." No. Oh, and it 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 was really well done. So she walks out, and the guards walk in with Doctor Gorst. Now they're they're flashing back and forth in these episodes between what's going on outside of the prison and then back to the prison. Here we will visit with Mon Mothma a couple times, but we go to we go now to the prison now. And our poor guy, Olaf, Trevor, he's he's slowing down, unfortunately. We're seeing him like every day, getting a little slower, kind of messing up a little bit more. At this point, he has 41 shifts left. And we, we see that Kino probably has spent a lot of time with this guy because they've been around in this prison for a long time. And, you know, you start thinking about it with Olaf. He's so old. There's no way he came into this prison recently with how they – they sort people into this prison like they want strong, able-bodied people yeah, who can labor, do this labor, labor worthy. right? Yeah, they want labor. So, worthy. how many times do you think this guy's sentence has been added on and added on if he was a young dude at some point when he came in here? Yeah, I mean, I mean, th- this is like this is your Brooks. Yep, Ulof yeah. is your Brooks. You know, he he's he's been there and like he was sorted in there when he was able-bodied, but. Had Cassian been sorted in there at his age and been given more than six years, had he been given 40 years, that's what this guy is. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's Olaf slowing down. Um, and you're right. Like Kino, Kino is, is such an interesting character because as we see the progression through these two episodes, he's just trying to bide his time, do his thing so he can get out. And, you know, I don't know if there's a feeling of, you know, if I do well by my by the Empire, if you know that's going to help me when I get out, type of feeling from Kino. But then there's the human aspect of him, where he's like, obviously, he feels for these new prisoners coming in, 
you see a little bit of a connection between him and Andor when Andor first comes in, uh, or I guess Keith, um, when Keith first, yeah. first comes in. Um, and, you know, you, you see like these moments of humanity where he's starting to crack and obviously Andor sees those and then exploits them as, as the episode goes on in order to help turn him to his cause. Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, these are two people that have spent a lot of time together and he is cold to, to, to um, Olaf, but at the same time, there's obviously feeling behind, you know, those cold actions that he's taking. At, initially, uh, at the end, when when we see him, uh, Olaf have the stroke, he actually calls him like Uli, like like a nickname, which yeah, is like yeah. sad. It's like, oh gosh, he even has like they've probably been around here for for a long time, and all, as as we keep checking back in the prison. Something that we had noticed really, uh, you know, early on, Michael, is that you know Cassian had a plan. He's he's being a good soldier. He's going along. Keith is here with everything that he's supposed to do to keep a nice cover up. But every day he's looking at things. He's monitoring things. Hell, he even has started a little a little chipping at the pipe, kind of like any prisoner would be tunneling out right there underneath their uh, the poster they've got hanging up. They got the little tunnel that they're tunneling out. So while he's seeming like he's settling into life at prison, he's absolutely thinking bigger and, and he's got the plans going. Yeah. He's not, he's, you know, he's not going to finish out the six years. No way. You know, especially knowing the empire is not going to honor that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's fun to see him, you know, he's like, he's talking to other people that I don't think he was talking to. Um, in episode eight, you know, like you mentioned, he's, he's, uh, getting into that panel, um, in that little hallway, um, working on that. And, you know, that's going to come into play. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's a great, uh, tension building episode, um, with that great, exciting payoff, um, that, you know, we'll get to in episode 10. I must admit, I didn't think much of Andy the first time I laid eyes on him. <laughs> Looked like a stiff breeze would blow him over. Poor that was U- my first impression of the man. Poor Uli. It's just, gosh. And that, that was a good, that was a really good comparison. He did he did feel a lot like that. And you you get, obviously, when you're talking about a prison, right, There, you're going to feel Shawshank Redemption type stuff. But you get vibes of it, too, from from a lot of the characters. And the in, I think there was definite inspiration from that. Yeah, I mean, Kino is your red. Andy Dufresne is obviously our our main man. Keith, Uli yeah. is your Brooks. Like there's there's a lot of, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Now things continue to get scary as we check in with Doctor Gorst, and Bix is restrained. So Deirdre left the room for a minute so this doctor could come in and do the torturing, and he restrains her, Bix. He says, the restraints are nothing to be feared. It's just much safer to be tethered as we engage. And the way this guy talks, it's like, it's so nonchalant, you know, like, yeah, this is my job. I'm here. I'm, it's kind of, and he, like, he enjoys it. You know, it's, it's not, it's not like he's, te- he's scared of this or he under even like, he, he likes the torture. It's just, it's unbelievable. He says, there's nothing intrinsically physical about this process, but we've had some early trials that were a bit chaotic. There was an outer rim moon called Dyson Frey. There was a sentient species there. They were quite unusual, extremely hostile to the concept of an imperial refueling center that was being planned. 
I say was because they created such a stir, the local commanders were granted permission to use any means necessary. And what's important for our purposes today is that the massacre of the Dizonites was broadcast and recorded as proof. They make a sound as they die, a sort of choral, agonized pleading. It was quite unlike anything anyone's ever heard before. There were communications found hours later huddled together in various states of emotional distress in a crawl space. We've taken the recordings and modified them, and we found a section that we believe are primarily children. He puts a helmet on Bix. Yeah, initially I thought this was a Oculus Quest product placement. <laughs> I know. I was like, is there an app? Is that a tag in the corner? I think I see a logo <laughs> on that helmet right there. I was this so was uncomfortable. So I, uncomfortable with the description of this. Like it's it's so messed up. It it's he tells Bix, it won't feel that way inside you, but let me know when you're willing to cooperate. And if you're having difficulty speaking, just shake your head from side to side. Trevor, that's when Deirdre walks in. She said, you want to be sure that, Bix, that you're cooperating fully because the repeat listenings cause the most damage. Are we ready? Let's get on with it. It's, now, we never hear the so, noises, and it's so well no. done, right? Because we don't hear the noises smart. what it's Bix smart. hears. We just hear Bix screaming, which is probably similar to the noises that Bix was hearing. I thought it was just a fantastic way of presenting it. Well, it's so dark is what I was going to say. And like, I, I, I don't know of another instance in any Star Wars product that I've watched. I have not watched all of them. I've, I've, I'm, you know, I'm still working my way through Clone Wars. Uh, other than that, I haven't watched any of the other animated stuff. But it, I, don't, I can't think of another instance no. that is this dark, this prolongedly dark. It, it, it was scary. Really. I just kept writing terrifying, scary um wow and then we check back in at prison it's funny prison feels like <laughs> like uplifting after what we after what oh, we just yeah. saw oh, there right? uh, gino really really fascinating when we, when we revisit bix i believe correct me if i'm wrong they uh right she's screaming she's listening to the torture audio um and then the door closes and i think the the shot is i think it's a call back to empire strikes back yep a am i right about that absolutely it was At awesome i was like it was like a little bit of joy in, you know, this otherwise incredibly dark <laughs> torture scene. I was like, oh, here's cool. a little Easter egg for you. Yeah. Right. Just like they'll awesome. they throw Easter it back egg. there for us. So back at prison, Cassian fakes a bathroom trip to, to start carving into the pipes. We see that he's been working on this now for a while. So Cassian is really monitoring when the guards bring in a new prisoner and he's just watched this whole process. He knows exactly how it goes. And this is where he feels like there's a weakness that they, be, they may be able to attack. He points out that nothing – he's talking with another one of the, uh, the prisoners in the room. Nothing that moves can fry you. We attack when they're coming down. He talks about the platform that kind of raises. We can shut it down halfway, take one guard, take one weapon. So he's got this planned in the background. We see Kino giving a new speed, giving his same spiel to a new man. This is unit five, two D level five room two. And he goes through his, uh, his whole intro, but there's a plan now, Trevor. It's more than just looking around, trying to figure things out. Cassian thinks he has a way, a, a real legitimate way for them now to, uh, to make a dent. The, the, I get impatient with stuff like this because 
you see the machinations of, of what's starting to happen. <laughs> yeah. Of like, and you're like, what is that? Pipe it's like an anxiety, car? right? Yeah. 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 I'm like I get, I get impatient. I'm like, <laughs> like I love, I love the buildup. I love sitting through the buildup. I love watching the buildup. I love trying to figure it out. But at the same time, you're like, tell me now, tell me now, tell, tell me right now, please tell me mm -hmm. now. Um, uh, it's yeah, it's it's really cool, and it's just such such good build. We check back in with Bix who's just completely worn out. She looks out of it and she gets asked, when's the last time you spoke with Cassian Andor? And Deidre is just enjoying this torture so much, Michael. She's just loving it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, what else to say. It's, it's so, uh, it's such a dark turn. Um, and then I think, I think later there's like a quick check-in with Bix. And I even made a note, I was like, I was like the the showrunners are like, oh y'all remember Bix? Yeah, she's still she, alive. She's still there. She's still you know not having a good time. Just wanted you to remember that. Just wanted to let you know, just like real quick too. It's like oh gosh, so poor Bix. Uh, but now our focus hits back to the prison for a little bit, and we see Olaf continuing to lose it even more and more. Now, Deirdre um, speaks with an officer about Bix, and she mentions Axis. So Axis is some is what they're referring to. I believe that they were referring to Luthen and what's been happening with some of the rebels. I think they kind of think Axis is is Luthen, and that's sort of a code name for him. So that that'll be something that continues to come into play throughout these next couple episodes. But a lot of that stuff that we've already um, kind of seen with with Deidre finishing up the torture and uh, at the prison. We do check in with Mon Mothma at the Senate now, though Trevor and. She's talking about imperial overreach and the public order resentencing directive, which has impacted all these prisoners, why their sentences got bumped up so long. And none of the senators want to listen to her. They're like, they're like jeering her like it's a like it's a sports game and they're turning off all their lights. They're just not paying attention to her whatsoever. It just she's just not making any headwaves at all with what what she wants it seems like she's kind of on an island here so <clears throat> this like she had mentioned it several episodes back i don't i don't have the episode number in front of me at the moment but she had mentioned it several episodes back about how she had to like, keep up her front and that she's an irritation i believe that was the word she used that she was in the irritation um <clears throat> and that was her cover uh for for the background money wheeling and dealing to try to help finance the rebellion. What a terrible life she is living. Like she it's pretty bad. She yeah, like she hates her husband. They they were she, um, they had an she, arranged marriage when she was 15 to a guy that mm -hmm. is just a D-bag. Like he is just such a snossage. You're right. It's a, she's not have a good life right now. Yeah, I, I mean she she had an arranged marriage to a D-bag. She, like her her public profile, her public persona, her cover, like Luthen's cover, he gets to be like an antiquities dealer. <laughs> her cover, she's an irritating senator that clearly no one likes. Yeah, like oh, it's so terrible. Daughter doesn't like her. Now she's no, got to yeah. get caught up with like her money's in trouble now too. And we're gonna find out she's got to get caught up with this this probably not very good dude. Davo, who we sort of meet, uh, we learned about at the end of this episode and meet in, in the next. But um, what's important that comes out of this, Michael, is that we find out that her cousin has arrived 
and her cousin is Vel. What, what, what? Yeah. So Vel and Mon are tied, but Mon doesn't really seem to realize that Vel had much to do with what went down on Eldani. And it's really interesting when they talk a few times, we can kind of, I guess, hit on like all, most of their interactions because they're discussing where she's been. Vel says she's traveling. And and then Vel uses what Cinta said to her. Yeah. The Empire doesn't rest, Mon. The Rebellion comes first. We take what's left. Which was just really funny. Um, she spun it right back at her. So these two are tied together. And I guess we can we can see that it makes a little bit of sense. But they don't really know all of what each other's up to. They just know that they are on the same side. They do They do know that they're both fighting the same fight for the same cause and they have to keep that under wraps so much so that mon even even tells her hey go go be a rich girl you know remind everybody who you are so nobody gets worried about us mon's very scared at the moment because her money is being monitored too so she just she's she's getting nervous that they're kind of they're 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 getting to her yeah she's really she's really rattled in this episode mm-hmm. um you know, and rightly so. And, and by the way, I had subtitles on. And when she's in the Senate, uh, they had these like great ADR lines, you know, off camera. People were like, listen to her. She's speaking the truth. <laughs> it was yeah. so funny. I, I don't know why it cracked me up. Um, yeah, that was such a surprise that it was Vel. It was her cousin. And and you're right. They're kind of um, part of the strategy is, is seemingly it, it seems to be like car- compartmentalizing what the rebellion's doing, like keeping I think for their own safety, keeping uh, people in the dark, like Luthen has never admitted to anybody else that, you know, he had a part in Aldani. Vel doesn't, doesn't seem to, to mention that. And, and um, yeah, we, they, it's, it's very interesting. And maybe there'll be some kind of uh, some, some payoff when, when the truth comes out about uh, what they've each been up to. Yeah. I think Trevor Mon asks her, what has he been making you do? What have you been doing? She doesn't really want to, get into it all that much but bell is here and she's a she's a, a rich girl just like cinta had said like you know she she also used that line uh, again yeah <clears throat> it, I, I wonder like now that we know bell is is connected to mon that they're their family their cousins it makes me wonder about um like we've 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 we the this podcast we have talked a lot about the arranged marriage between mon and and uh douche sausage mm-hmm. uh and it and, and perrin um it makes me wonder <laughs> if like i wonder if they're unapproving of vel's lifestyle and that's maybe why she sort of left because like that chandrillan arranged marriage that's a great point, right? No, that's a great point. She should be married by now. And and we've right. seen she's not really interested in men. Mm-hmm. So that's something that probably is frowned upon where she's from. That's a good point. Yeah. It's something I hadn't even really thought too much about it, or it noticed. Could, I mean, it, it could be. It could yeah, be. We it, it, make, it would make sense. It would make a lot of sense if that was the case. Yeah. Um, so Vel, Mon, they're tied together. We check back in with our uh, our buddies at the prison. And this is when... They start to notice that something is up because end of the day, they're kind of in that area where they kind of wait to load back into the cell right in between where, um, where they go down to work. 
So it's a little area where they just stand for a while before their doors open and they load. They could see everybody else on their other platforms. And something weird is happening on one of the other platforms. Level two, something's going on. Some of these guys communicate with each other using sign language and they can just sense something's weird. Kino's trying to keep the peace. He doesn't want all these guys to start you know, speculating on things. But when the power goes out, it's usually because people are getting zapped and someone or someone's getting killed. And so these guys, they, they, they've all been in prison long enough to understand that like the customs and what's going on and the trends here when things are happening. So this was like the, the moment that was one of the catalysts because the announcer says to them, stand in one place on program, feet down, face front, hands on heads. We will have immediate compliance or we will begin activating floors without warning. Bridges on program will have their doors open. All shifts proceed immediately to their stations. Whew. Foster, we find out that a hundred dudes got zapped at this point. Yeah, it's a really tense scene, like with the lights flickering. Uh, the one guy, I forget the the character's name, who's doing the sign language, is kind of freaking out. I seem to remember. And yep. uh, and really, I feel like this episode and episode ten, the I think Kino is is really the compelling character. And so it's really fun. And, you know, Andy Circus is amazing. And so it's really fun to see uh, that character arc, you know, go from he's c- kind of like a company man. Like you do your job, you know, yep. sometimes you get rewarded with flavor, uh, but eventually, you know, you will serve your sentence, you know, keep it in line. And you can tell he cares about the people, you know, uh, he's got a job to do and he cares about the people around him. Um, and so, yeah. And so f- this would be particularly disturbing for him to, to know that they're just frying guys uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. Some of these other guys, Trevor, Jembach, Taiga are the guys at the table. I think tag is the guy who does some of the signing, but th- this was when a lot of them could sense something was up. And this is what ends up being the spark because once they find out that a hundred guys just got zapped because a mistake was made, they all realize that, They'd rather die trying. This is really what kind of sparks it for Cassian. He's able to explain it to Kino and they're able to get the message to everyone else. Like, hey, if we're going to, if there's a chance that we just get blasted like that, let's at least try to get out of here. Yeah. And if we're doing the math, like I I was doing the math last episode. Uh, So 100 guys, that's 49. That's seven per table, seven tables. So it's the plus their overseer. So that's that's and then they said it was day and night shift. So that that's your hundred guys. That's your that's your math. That's your simple math lesson for the day. But yeah. Um, and then we find out there we we will find out. So there's a like there's about five thousand prisoners and there's eighty four guards. <laughs> that's not enough. It yeah, feels like not enough. <laughs> that, that, and and that's a key piece of information that Cassian's going to find out because he keeps prodding Kino. You ever right. think about escaping? Come on. How many guards are on each level? And Kino doesn't want to give him any information. Um, right. It's, just, it's not until it's not until Uli passes yep. that Kino finally finally breaks because we get the information from the medic. And we, we can come back to that in a little bit once we get to that that particular scene. But yeah, this this early on right now, you know, we've just found out that this is happening and Kino's like like Foster said, Kino's trying to be the company man, he's trying to shut it down. You know, it doesn't matter. It's just rumors. It takes two weeks to get word from one level to another level. Like, just like everybody shut up and do your job. 
because he does care about these guys. He doesn't want to see these guys, you know, get fried for for spreading rumors or whatever. Uh, and and he wants to just you know keep serving your time and keep doing whatever and and going along his status quo. Now we have Cassian kind of prove a point at the end of this little interaction with Kino, letting him know nobody's listening, and then he shouts it. Nobody's listening. And just like, it was just funny. And he was right. They weren't paying attention. They weren't listening. They don't have enough guards to listen. No, they don't. They don't. They can't. And and we actually see, which is kind of cool, like the guards are all kind of nervous and scared because they're so overworked. They're like moving from floor to floor. These guys are always like a little bit behind with their stuff too. They're just trying to get their job done. And they're not like a bunch of tough guys that are trained here. Speaking of not tough guys, we're back at the ISB meeting. We see Partagaz and Deirdre. They start talking about Axis, the buyer. They're trying to figure out exactly what he's doing. He runs a very disciplined operation, one that's large enough to not be relying on any one network or supplier. We think we've already got a match tar- to a targeting unit recovered from a safe house operated by a rebel cell associated with Maya Pay. They continue on, and they think Andor is involved with this. They mention that he was clean shaven and the rebels were clean shaven. He possibly shaved his beard and th- that a couple soldiers that got a look at him felt that uh, he looked similar to uh, to the uh, the report that they had put out. So they look a little bit more into that. But I think what's key about checking in there is we see one gentleman who's referred to as Legret, and we are going to find out that this guy is actually a spy for the rebels, Michael. He he has a really big um, interaction with Luthen at the very end of episode 10. But this guy is referred to as Lonnie. I think he, he goes by Legret. And he is a double agent. He's a cover for the rebels. He's able to get information to them. They're able to you know, interact with him. He hasn't spoken directly with Luthen for a while. And we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a little, but I think importantly, they just, they wanted to pop him up a few different times just to let us know. We could see him there before the big reveal at the end of episode 10, that we find out he is a double agent. Yeah, they do. They do a good job of, of setting him up. So that way, you know, when we see him in episode 10, we're like, Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. We're like, who is it? Oh, I saw it's like, he's got a red mustache hair. guy. Mustache, uh, yeah. By the way, there, um, with this like uh, new information, I, I made a note. It was kind of funny seeing these Imperials. They're like, they're all excited. They're like really giddy. Like, um, uh, it seems like they're have they're enjoying their work for the first time in a long time with with like the information that they're getting about the rebellion. And it's a lot of it's because of uh, of Deidre. Yeah, like the information she's getting, how devoted she is. I mean, her methods are torture methods. They're working. You know, she's doing a great job. So, uh, you know, keep up the torture. Is, is this is this the scene where we learn about the um, uh, the rebel pilot? Yep, that's what, and that's where she start. They they start to discuss that they have information on a, and I think that's just not long after it, but it's important to mention too. They start to discuss that they have big information on the rebels' next plan. Uh, an attack that they're going to have, a pilot. So they actually decide to sabotage the plane, which is smart, smart. Like they have good inside information. It's a spaceship, you know. 
Yeah. Okay. The, the spaceship. It's not a you're plane. Right. The, the plane. Thank you. The ship. Uh, it's the like spaceship. you're not even a Star Wars fan. I know, right? So, Trevor, we move from the ISB meeting of the uh, like the leaders there back to prison, and all these dudes are gossiping now. This is like the night after, and everybody's talking about the hundred men that are dead. Uh, an entire bridge has been fried, and the announcer tells everybody to get their day started just like normal. And Cassian and Kino continue to talk, but Kino's not quite convinced yet. He still thinks this is just sort of a rumor. He's not quite ready to to do anything other than his job. I think he has 200-ish days left. He just wants to get done and get out of here. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what we've been hitting on with Kino. They just keep building... You know, Kino is just trying, like, and it makes his flip that much bigger because he's just, they're building the fact that he's just trying to, just trying to be the guy, just trying to be the day shift leader, just trying to be the company man, just trying to play out his sentence, just trying to get everybody to coexist and cohese and, and like, just do your job, move along. Sometimes you get flavored, sometimes you get shock, but we're all going to get out of here. And, like that's the faith that he has is, you know, he's, he's actually got a little bit of faith in the empire that we're all going to get out of here. You just do your job. You just keep going. We're all going to get out of here and we're going to be able to go back to our lives. And by continuing to set up that character in that mindset, when it flips and he finds out they're never getting out, it's that much more crushing to him. And that is why there's such a, a 180 degree change in his behavior his thought process and his attitude we get to check in with our guy cyril and mom and mom is just going at him again you're up early you're home late you're up early you're dressed in your groom trimmed your hair something i should know um she says your message was brief she said you're so busy these days perhaps you're forgetting to eat he says you've been searching my room again it's called cleaning i like a tidy house he tells her You've been in my private box. I have ways of knowing. What, what a creep. Why do you look at those magazines anyway? You've been in my private box. That was so great. We got, yeah. we, I, I would love a shot of, of the private box. Me too. There. Oh my God. I want um, to see the box. Like if this was a, if this was a, a Marvel, that, that would be in the credit scene. You know, like they would show us what was in the the private box, or like in the in in the, yeah, the, the in the finish to the credits, where they sometimes show like some pictures or uh, some edits. So, Trevor, well, we finally man. found where Nimic. We finally found where Nimic's manifesto ended up. It's in Cyril's private box. <laughs> yeah, where the, the, where the hell is that thing? We that's we, a good point. We have not gotten a uh, word about that in a long time. No, they're they're like I, throwing I, us off. I assume it's in Cassian's private box. Yeah, it must be. They 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 have locks on their private boxes. They're probably not too far from each other's Cassians and uh, and and Cyril's. As uh, yeah, I love I love when we check in with his mom and she complains. I find you a job. I press your uniform. I prepare two meals a day. I move mountains to scrape you off the floor. Put you back on your feet. And what do I reap? What's the return on my investment? We were talking about you snooping on me. The shadow of a son, a tenant, a stranger. Mother, mother. <laughs> Yeah. I got a promotion. 
And then, oh my God! Oh my God. I yeah. knew they'd recognize you, promise. Oh, Uncle Hollow will be so pleased. Her tone just immediately shifts. Just immediately. It's so she, funny. She stops nagging him, and he and she's and she's happy. It's great, but it's not great right now, Michael, for our guy Olaf back at prison. He's really not doing well, and this is almost. It, like they're just trying to get him through these days. He's slowing down so much. They know he doesn't have much time left. And they're all like trying to pick up any bit of slack they can for him. They all like this guy. They really do. They want to help him out. He's only got, I think we saw 40 days or so left. But yeah, 40, yeah, like 41, 42 shifts left. Oh. And uh, yeah, I mean, we saw it coming, but it it's still... Um, it's still like, it's kind of hard to watch. This actor is really, he's doing a really great job with like, you know, who this this guy is this moment. Um, I actually, I looked him up a little bit, but, but please tell me he, so he was in the first with Michael Keaton, Batman. And he's the guy, I mean, you wouldn't even know this. I saw it on like a recap or on a recap, but he's the guy that says, who are you? And he says, I am Batman. You know, like the the first time oh, he ever says it and he nice. holds him up. He's like a villain in the movie. And he, it's one of the first scenes where we actually see Michael Keaton as Batman revealed, which I thought was kind of cool. Like, look at Olaf. Look at where, look at where he's come. Um, our, our, our poor guy, Olaf. We'll check in with him once or twice more, but uh, not much more for Olaf. Uh, following this was when we, uh, we had Vel and Mon secretly talk again. And that was when Mon just told her, be a rich girl. But there's one thing that I'm glad that uh, we get to bring them up again, uh, Trevor, because they mentioned a vow. And that's something we heard a couple times in these two episodes that Mon, Vel, that Luthen, that Lonnie, they've all made some sort of a vow. We don't know exactly what it is, but it feels like it may be something like, hey, the cause is greater than the individual or any one of our individual lives, you know, so, I don't know something along. Yeah. The, Trevor, the, Trevor and I were both in, in Boy Scouts. So we're, we're very familiar. <laughs> we, we took an oath. They drank some Kool-Aid, right? They've but all they drank. took a vow. Yeah. It's a vow. Foster. This is a vow. <laughs> I mean, is it that I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I might be the only one of the three of us that has taken a vow. That is true. That is very true. Yeah. So it's more serious than an oath, Foster. It's, much more serious their vow so that's something we will find out exactly what that is but i'm glad we got to mention it again because yeah it was worth uh bringing up as was the creepy stalking of cyril and deidre where we get it right now cyril yeah Card. the dude's taking his shot i mean i'll give him that yeah he's confident it's, it's so weird it so is weird uncomfortable He's just waiting for her like to walk through you know, like the lobby area of the office that she works at because he just knows that she'll eventually <clears throat> have to walk through that at some point. Do you just hang around here every day looking for me? And yes. He, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes. I, would never, I would never lie to you. That's what he says. I'd never <laughs> lie to you. And he says it so immediately. Yo, I want to thank you for the promotion. She says, I had nothing to do with it. My boss seems to think you did. Uh, no. Um, he said, I, I'm here to follow up on the conversation we had last month it, it wasn't a conversation you were brought in for questioning are you stalking me she asks he tells her well i know you work here and i come here sometimes to see if i'll see you 
She shoots him down. I'm an ISB supervisor. Do you have any idea how much trouble you're in right now? But here he goes. I thought I'd ruined my life. I thought I was done. After meeting you and discovering you understood how dangerous Cassie and Andor was, just, just being in your presence, I, I've realized that life is worth living. I realized that if nothing else, there was justice and beauty in the galaxy. Now, if I just keep going, perhaps my deranged belief that there was something better fated for me in the future was a dream worth clinging to. She starts to walk away. He grabs her by the arm. And she says, I could have you arrested. Are you aware of that? He says, I want what you want. I sense it. I know it. She tells him, you're out of your mind. I've already given you a second chance to get a second chance. You come near me. Again, you pursue any of this, I'll have you in a cage on the outer rim. Oh, Trevor. Wow. Wow. Of all of Thaze's theories that I've come up with, I, I did predict that these two would meet up. I did, did. not foresee <laughs> this. <laughs> this. This just unhinged behavior from our guy, Cyril Karn. It's like... Uh, I. There aren't words to express how creepy this guy has gotten. And yeah, how, I think like I, I think Trevor in this and in, in the private box, I think there's like <laughs> I think he's doing like charcoal sketches of of Miro and I'm thinking uh, one hour and, photo, and Robin Williams. You guys remember one hour photo? Oh god. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm familiar. Yeah, very very creepy. Gosh. Oh this this was so like it reminded me of, of John Favreau and Swingers. You know, on the phone call when he's calling and he leaves the voicemail and he keeps calling and you're just like watching it. Just, you're just keep like calling. Yeah. Oh, stop. You're like talking to it. Stop, dude. Don't do it again. Please, dude. Put the phone down. Like, stop. And he just it's, does it again. It, 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 he just does it again. And he does it again. And then he does it again. Cyril, man. And he does it again. Oh. Oh, I'd never Cyril. lie to you. Cyril, this was, this was great. This was great. Uh, there was but, okay. So so beyond all the stalkerness of what was happening there, there was a very very small part of me that was like, I think she's into it. I know. Y- yeah, you wonder. Yeah, I got that too. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it was like a few of the things that he said registered. Like every time they do link up, like when he says things, he is right on like their their passion for wanting to get Cassie and Andor, and they have similar motivations. He's just, yeah. I mean, she's used. She's used to like having to prove herself to like all you know all these men in the room, and and Cyril's like totally on board and and you know uh, like idolizes her. And and I mean, there's got to be a part of her I would imagine that that does that is not totally turned off to that mm-hmm. kind of attention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she walks in, uh, talks a little bit more with the ISB. Um, that that was fantastic. That was great. I love that at what she actually makes a line. Uh, she says a line. Do you want to go? Uh, this guy, we have to find this guy over there. Do you want to go? And she says, no, I'll interrogate remotely. <laughs> I just thought that was great just to hear. So we check back in with uh, our friend um, Tay, uh, who tells Mon Mothma that her accounts are being monitored now and that there might be a problem with a $400,000 a credit withdrawal. So they, they have to figure out a way to just get around some of the monitoring uh, that's, that's been going on. He mentions a man named Davos Skolden, who she calls a thug. And 
that it's it's really one of the only options they have right here, Trevor. They don't really have they can't do things above book right now. They got to move money around. She's involved with you know the rebellion here. She doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, yeah. She doesn't have a whole lot of options. She's gonna have to deal with this thug at least. She's going to have to talk with him because he wants to come to her place and meet her to really make sure that she's on board. I, I said it earlier. Her life is terrible. Like talking about like the, there's the the conversation that Lonnie has with Luthen at the end of episode 10 about sacrifice. And Luthen's like, I sacrificed everything. I'm sorry, Luthen. You have not sacrificed nearly as much as Mon Mothma. Like, no. Just nothing, nothing about this woman's life seems to be going well. And like the one thing that she's passionate about that she wants to be going well, Luthen's like, nah, I'm not going to involve you. I just want your money. Mon, she me and, and she truly is a good person. She just like wants what's best for all these poor nations and these people who can't really fight for themselves. And um, she just doesn't want empire overreach. Mon Mothma. She's going to have to meet with Davo. Uh, we'll find that out in just a little bit. That happens in episode 10. But the ISB continues to talk about uh, the lead that they got now. This is what you were pointing out a little bit earlier, Michael. So now they've fouled the ship. They had something happen mechanical. That way they can have the pilot found dead. And it'll throw off the, the plans for the rebels. So. Um, we mentioned that before, but just kind of going chronologically uh, worth uh, another mention as we get to the end of episode nine, we get back to the prison and this is when we have to say goodbye to our friend Olaf. He is barely able to make it to they finish their shift. He's really struggling. The men try to save him. They try to get him into his cell, but they can't even do it. He He's kind of like in one of the corridors. And Kino and Cassian are there with him. And we hear them call for a med tech. And the med tech comes to see Olaf. And this med tech does not even want to know his name. He doesn't want to know his name. This, this, And you kind of feel bad for the med tech. Because he, he is just forced to kill these guys all the time. He literally has to see everybody around him and just has to kill them all the time. Like I, I get the sense he's a prisoner. Did you, did it feel that way to you? I yeah. don't know what he's not. Yeah, he's definitely. He's he's not imperial. Yes, he's not imperial. He's being totally controlled by them. And this was so sad. So it's the med tech, Uli, Olaf, uh, Kino, and Cassian. And Olaf has suffered a stroke, and they just are trying to get him up and about. And Kino now gets very sad. You know, like this is where you start to see the real human side of Kino. He's only got 40 shifts left. We just want to get him up and about. He's tough as an old rock. Look at me, brother. Uh, his name is Olaf. And the med tech says, I don't want to know his name. And we just want to get him through the next few days. Let's get him back on his feet. The tech tells him that's not an option. There's nothing to save. He had a massive stroke. And then he says, I can't help him. I can't help anyone. I need a bag and a trolley, he calls to the guards. And then he tells them, uh, I believe his name is Rossiv the med tech he's lucky he'll pass peacefully which is more than i can say for the rest of us another week like this and you'll be begging for what he's getting cassian pries him a little bit more what do you mean oh you heard me hold his shoulders hold his legs um they ask him what happened on level two and he tells him keep your men in line 
they made a mistake. A man was released on four, ended back on two the next day. Word got out on the floor, and they killed all of them. So I, I had a little t- a hard time following this. So why why did they fry them? Is it because they were they were upset about the like they learned that they were they just out? yes the men just kind so, of found out and then they were getting ready to rebel I think okay you know basically once they found yeah. out that a guy that was released was right back in here what the hell are we working for I think they stopped the work and really all of this kind of gets back to the point I think I think we're supposed to remember that they're working on something that seems like it's very time sensitive whatever they're working on needs to be done quickly for right. the empire right they're behind on that right so so the way i under like when we had it in the moment i didn't i understood what they were saying about the guy was transferred to another part of the prison and like basically just re transferred like he was released and then transferred inside of the prison i didn't quite understand that i think in episode episode 10 somebody clarifies it a little bit in that like when you're released from this prison they just send you to another prison and with this guy they made a mistake and instead of releasing him from this prison and sending him to another prison he got mixed in with the wrong group and just reassigned to another part of the prison okay so okay now it's 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 becoming clear because normally they would do a better job of the transfer but they messed up and clued The rest of the prisoners, since they're like, they're like WTF, and then yeah. uh, they're like, right. oh, fry him, gotta fry yeah. him, and so that that's when they're like that. That's when it like clicks for Kino, like nobody's getting out. Like, even if I get out of here, I'm just getting sent to another prison somewhere else. Yep, and that was a really sad moment to see Olaf go, and then as this med tech is, he's starting to give them like important information the guards kind of shoo him away hey 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 you guys gotta leave you gotta get back and cassian and uh kino head back to their cells and cassian asks him again one more time how many guards are on each level and that's when kino finally says never more than 12 so kino is in as we turn the page to episode 10 one way out the first thing we see is old Olaf getting zipped up in a body bag He's getting wheeled out of the room that he had worked in. And that's when Cassian tells Kino, tomorrow, we can't wait. We'll never have a better chance. They don't have enough guards and they know it. They're afraid right now. They just killed 100 men to keep them quiet. He says power doesn't panic. Because Kino says that's power. And Cassian corrects him. No, power doesn't panic. 5,000 men are about to find out they're never leaving here alive. Do you think that worries them upstairs? Whatever we're making here, it's something they need. They can't afford to be surprised again. So it's cool, uh, Trevor, as we go right from end of episode nine, like immediately into episode 10, it's like no time has lapsed. And we're we're now right into it, uh, into this 10th episode. And we're getting closer and closer as it's, it's boiling now. You've got a bunch of angry prisoners realize that uh, they just got killed. And now they're starting to do the math. And Cassian, for the first time, understands, oh, hey, this is like a 5,000 to 80 situation that we're in. Yeah, I mean, this this is sort of what he's been waiting for. And that, like, he's he's been waiting to, like, get, I mean, he's been waiting to get the information, which he gets from Kino. He's been waiting to get the leadership on his side, because I think he knows his idea for the prison break 
you know, they have to overwhelm the guards. Like the guards still have the power. They still have the ability to shock them. They still have the cattle prods. Uh, they, they still have some blasters. They're going to have to overwhelm them with waves of numbers because that's the advantage the prisoners have. Like you just said, it's 5,000 to 80. Um, that math generally works out in favor of the 5,000, even if the 80 have blasters. And, and I just want to say it's, it's really smart here uh, what Cassian is doing um, because, I mean, I think he generally you know, cares about the, the guys that he's working with and, and the people around him. But he knows he's got to get Kino on board because Absolutely. Kino's established. Kino is respected. Kino is a tough SOB because if it was just if it was just Keith, no one's going to follow Keith, but they'll follow Kino. Mm-hmm. He even tells him when, you know, when they kind of take over, he says, look, you do this every day. Tell talk to him. Talk to the guys. You, you're in this position. I, I thought that was a, a key point, too, that you made there, Michael, that he, he needed a guy like him, because I don't know if at this point quite yet, Cassian isn't quite there to be that leader yet. Right. He's an idea guy. He's got the great ideas. He's looking around, but he's not quite there to inspire a group he inspired Kino and now Kino can get everyone else in and that there's one point uh that we're gonna find really soon which I absolutely loved is you know once we see that Cassian has gotten through to Kino he starts telling him hey look there's never going to be less guards than tomorrow we have a plan the plan works around the new man coming down they'll replace him tomorrow it may not happen till it's too late I'd rather die trying to take them down than die giving them what they want. We won't ever have a chance, a better chance. It has to be tomorrow. And, and that's kind of what, what helps get through. But there, there's a cool moment too, before the more at night, before uh, the day of the, the prison break, Trevor, we actually see Cassian can't go to sleep. And it's just like what happened with Nemec before they had the big, um, the big heist, the big heist. And, and it shows you that Cassian now has like a little bit more of a cause. He's not just uh, a hired hitman who, remember, Cassian had no problem sleeping then. He didn't really care about any cause. Now, kind of cares about the guys around him getting out of here, everything. And it's funny, we start to see like him transitioning from the loner to the guy that we're going to see in Rogue One. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the guy we see in Rogue One, uh, and, and Foster, I, I think I suggested this at the end of the last podcast, after after you had already gotten off, I suggested to Gino that once this thing's over, we should do a Rogue One rewatch. Yeah. Uh, and, and then dive into this. And, oh, yeah, yeah, nice. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, we got to do that. Then the guy we see in Rogue One, you know, he doesn't like Jin at first, but then obviously Jin becomes part of his team. But he is a team leader, and he cares about each member of his team, even down to the droid that you know is just a droid. Um, and so, you you're right. the The guy that we see here, you know, he has built up a relationship with the guys around him. I think also, you know, what he saw on Aldani, and then what he's seeing here is like that loner guy that he was. That's not a guy that's going to get big things done. Like the loner guy that he was murders two people, steals, uh, you know, a piece of Imperial tech to sell it. And meanwhile, hurts all of his friends because the empire comes down hard on his home planet. They torture his friends. 
and they go looking for him and they shoot up his hometown. Um, whereas, as you know, a member of a coordinated team that all works together, you can pull off things like Aldani. You can pull off things like this prison escape that we're going to see at the end. Um, and I, I think he's finally starting to turn and we're starting to see that that churning in his head you know, I don't, I don't know that he's full-fledged going to become a member of the Rebellion as soon as he escapes, but I think we're starting to see those changes in his character. And now we're back in the cells, Michael, and so basically Cassian and Kino tell all the other guys around them what, what happened. They tell him about Olaf. They talk to him about the doctor that they spoke to and how he confirmed what happened with all the other men getting killed. They fr- And Cassian tells him, they fried a whole bridge. Um, you know, he explains exactly what happened. And we see that Kino is now officially turned. No one's getting out, Kino yells. The rumors are true. They're not letting us go ever. We're going to die in here or in the next place. So let's get our heads back in our cells and start figuring this out. Okay, that was important. Now, their whole little group of guys in their cells all seem to be on board. And now they have a night to, to really confirm all their plans. And they know that it's, it's, they got one shot the next day because they know the system. They're going to come in and replace Olaf. Olaf's dead. Now they need to make a replacement at their table and they've been watching. They've been monitoring. They know exactly what happens. Like this is a pretty solid plan that they have. Yeah. And it's so fun that, and again, I think I talked about this uh, when we were talking about the Aldani heist is uh, we know some of the parts of the plan. We don't know all the plan. And as viewers, that's kind of where the the um, where it's because where, we don't know like what Cassian's doing, you know, with that panel. And and he's like sawing at a pipe or whatever. And so it's fun to see all that come to uh, fruition. And uh, this is the speech here with Andy Circus as Kino is so great because I think there's a moment you, you don't know if he's going to do it. But then he comes out from his bunk. He, you know, solidifies. Well, you know, I think like, what they what he does not to interrupt, but the first yeah, thing yeah, they yeah. have him say is, "No one is getting out," because all the other guys are talking, and he almost sounds like he's trying to shut them up again. Yeah, but then he turns and he's like, "It's true, they're not letting us go." And we actually, for the first time, kind of feel him now. He's on their side. They're all on the same side. I know. I was like, what? after he gave his like speech, like I think I was just like I was just like vibrating. You know what I mean? Like with the anticipation, his I'm eyes like, because of Gollum, you know, like he plays Gollum <laughs> and snow, like you can see it in his eyes. Like he's an incredible, like he does things that are he's so good. Just yeah. amazing Trevor. And this was like, this was really cool. Um, there's one thing that happened in between this, but I guess kind of putting a bow on this part. Cause we actually saw Kino tell everyone, okay, listen up. We're done counting shifts. This is then and now like, one way out, play it how you want, but I'm going to assume I'm dead and take it from there. There's no sense in warning the night shift. They'll hear about it one way or another soon enough. Let's make it look good. And they get ready for their prep for their normal day. And uh, they you know, they get to the room and they're working. So the day has started. It has begun. Kino is fully on board. They're planned. They're prepped. They're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, and, and to piggyback off what you know you guys are saying about Andy Circus being so expressive and so great, you know, this is a guy who's made his living off of motion capture and those types of things. And now that we get to see the real actor do real actor things, everybody's like, Yes, more of this, please. Um, it is you know, 
it's but, cool to watch him show off finally like this, right? Like it, it yeah. must've been di way different for him. He's like, wait, I get to actually be a person here. Right. right. Like, I don't have to crawl around on the ground. I don't have to wear a suit. I know. Uh, I still have to be barefoot, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, seeing, you know, this is the previous episode when we were talking about, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we see him sawing on the pipe, you know, like, what is that for? I, he's like, you know, you, I, I'm I was, there was so much of that, that uh, anxiety about like, I want to know what's happening. I want to know what's happening now. Now we're getting to see what's happening. And, and you're just like, I think Foster said it perfectly. You're vibrating with anticipation of what's going to happen. I'm really, really glad that we didn't get like Cyril and Edie popping up in this episode because it would have just taken away from the stakes that are going on at the prison. I mean, we see Mon Mothma and her story is really starting to peak at this point. We see a little bit of Luthen as the stakes are getting higher with what he's up to. But like Cyril's stakes, other than some, some light stalking, couldn't be lower. You're right. Uh, and so it's it's good that we get a break from him when everybody else is, is at such a peak. The We had a quick check-in, Foster, just like a quick look at the ISB. And we find out they got some information that their plan had worked. Pilot dead, ship adrift, port of origin unknown. The operator appears to have frozen following hydraulic failure on hyperspace reentry. And when Deidre says that, she's smiling too. Like she's got a big smile on her face when she mentions it. But I think one key point in this little check-in was showing us Officer Legret, who we are going to know as Lonnie, who's the double agent working with Luthen, we just see him here and he's kind of helping m move some of the pieces along. He's, you know, he's always thinking about doing what will help keep the rebel off the, re the rebels off of the, the radar here of, of the empire. So they have a couple little checkbacks in with him. And honestly, I would, I was wondering why until we see the guy at the end, you're like, why do, who cares? That was kind of, they were like yeah. little, like unimportant. And then you kind of notice it again at the end. Like you had said, you're like, oh yeah, that's the guy. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly. Why. I, I'm, I'm sure he was in other episodes too. He just, you know, wasn't the focus. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, he's, he's background filler and it's literally mm -hmm. like look down and you miss him type of stuff. But that's one of the things that this show has excelled at is like those little Easter eggs, those little breadcrumbs. Like I'm going to put this little thing over here and that sets it up for later. Um, I, you know, and I didn't, I, I was really surprised at when we, when we, at that reveal, because he does a, a really good job of, of, of a convincing Imperial, you know, officer. And he's, uh, he's making some good points. You know what I mean? He's, it doesn't seem like he's, he's trying to like throw a wrench in, in their plan. It seems like he's, he's trying to help. Um, but all the time we know that he's, you know, taking notes and, and working behind the scenes. We just get a quick look in on Ferrix. And we see that Marva is very sick and the doctors are checking on her because she won't take her meds. She said that she, she thinks that they're putting stuff in her pills and they want to kind of use her as bait. Cause they think that if Cassian finds out that she's sick, that he may go back there. So they, the empire wants to try to keep her alive and not torture her. Deirdre even mentions at one point that, um, you know, she's old and she probably won't, you know, hold up to any type of interrogation. But if we just keep her around, it'll probably lead Cassian back to her. So they have a plan. Uh, poor Marva, not doing well. Yeah, they always they always celebrate Life Day together. Yeah, so, yeah. So they're, they're, 
they're really counting on that. <laughs> so, um, at Mon Mothma's, she has the meeting with Davo. He arrives, and they have to sort of talk, kind of. They talk kind of in code at the beginning because they don't they don't trust each other at all. But once they get through the pleasantries, I, I guess you could call them that. Davo starts to mention the Chandralan custom of marriage, how they basically have these arranged marriages and kids can get married as young as 15. I think we, we heard. And he he basically tells Mon, hey, look, people like you feel like by taking advantage of an opportunity, you're, you're tarnished. Money is yours. Family wealth is a thing to be proud of. You ought to be able to move it as you'd like with your privacy intact. The Empire's new regulations made without Senate consultation are cumbersome as they are avoidable. They've made a game of it and we play. So that's why he's here to do. Hey, look, I'm not going to give you anything like really illegal. You're just going to be able to move some money around without them seeing. I'll help you do that. But it's it's going to come with the, with the price, Trevor. He, poor Mon, as if things aren't struggling enough for her. He doesn't want any money for this. She's very willing to pay him a fee, whatever he needs. He wants to get his son hitched to Mon's daughter. He wants to have their kids married and and have, you know, them married soon because they're both, I think they're 13 and 14. He mentions they can be married as soon as a, you know, a, like a year or two. So he has a plan. It's definitely not what Mon was thinking at all. And poor Mon, like you just feel awful for her as this episode continues on now she's like now she's gonna have to offer her daughter up here what what's what's going on yeah i mean this guy wants legitimacy for his family we've heard already he's yeah. a thug and it makes sense right thug. this is he's, this is very you know, game of thrones right he wants to yeah. marry into the royal family kind of thing yeah he he wants to to set up his family you know as he says wealth and money is not something i need i don't need any more of that but now he wants legitimacy to go along with his wealth. And by having his son marry a senator's daughter, now he's got a lot of legitimacy to his family. Um, and, and that sets up his family for generations of, of you know, good times. Uh, and he doesn't seem to know, and they probably haven't told him about the rebellion and everything. They're keeping it quiet. They're keeping it on the down low that this is all for a charity. Um, and he's like, great, a charity. Yeah, that makes me look even better. I'm helping you with a charity, and then our, our, our kids get married. That, that's cool. fantastic. I look great. I'm charitable. I'm in this rich, wealthy family. My son's going to be great. Like he, he loves it. And, I mean, Mon is, like, horrified by this proposal, like, actual proposal, Michael. But, you know, she doesn't have very many options. You know, she turns it down in, initially, and there's a great line where she says, like, absolutely not. I won't even consider it. And Davo's response back was like, that's the first time you've lied this whole time. Because he sort of knows she's, he's kind of got her. Like, she doesn't really have anything else she can do here. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's probably, well, and to be clear, guys, he didn't say they were going to marry. He, he said an introduction. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. He, <laughs> he It was assumed. It was assumed. But... Yeah, he he wants to be in, and like I think you said the right word, Trevor. Legit, like he wants to legitimize himself. I think in his family, um, because he's got this bad reputation. Let's check in with Luthen and Clea. 
someone wants to meet with Cluthen. We don't with Luthen. Cluthen. <laughs> Combining Clea and Luthen, you get Cluthen. Uh, someone wants to meet with Luthen. We don't know who. Clea just mentions Luthen isn't really worried about it. He says he he will go meet. He actually says, "I'm surprised they've waited this long. It's been a year since they've last met." She is always looking out for him, though. She thinks it might be a trap. He's not worried. So we don't know more than Luthen is going to meet with someone who's helping him out. Is this a trap? Is this not? But we continue to see one thing, Trevor, that Clea is very on top of it, and she's constantly looking out for Luthen. Like, she seems like she's she's obviously a major player in this, too. Not like Luthen going out there doing as much, but, man, she's like as good of a secretary as you can find. That is a fantastic way to put it. I, I was like, this woman annoys me because she's so overbearing all the time. But that's exactly what it is. She's like his 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 protective secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and backing up to the, the Mon conversation for just a second. Please. Um, there was a, a little a little dig from her towards Perrin, uh, which which is, you know, uh, let me read the transcript here. I'm not asking for betrothal. Then what are we talking about? An introduction. Your daughter is 13. She'll come of age soon. Two young people, attractive and privileged Chandril and citizens. And then Mon says, what makes you think I approve of that tradition? Because she does not. Yeah. She got Perrin and she doesn't want to set her daughter, even if she doesn't really like her daughter. It's a great she doesn't point. want to set her daughter up for the same thing because she hates her husband, who is probably spying on her for the Empire. Great point. Glad you hit on that too, because Perrin is awful and Mon never really was in love with the guy. She's never been. And she, like her life is such a front. Like there's so little of it. That's real. She gets to have little real interactions with Vel, like small ones with Luthen behind closed doors, but she doesn't even know what's going on with Luthen. Like they don't even, they, they don't even, you know, get on the get on uh, the best of terms they're not even like on the best of terms with each other right now you just like what a heart-wrenching episode for mon she probably doesn't even know that's not his real hair (laughs) it's true she probably thinks that's his real hair and his voice as uh we check back in at prison and the men are getting nervous now they're anxious as the moment gets near cassian heads to the restroom and he starts scraping at the pipes, scraping at the pipes, scraping at the pipes. And the guards get ready to bring in a new man. We actually see it from the guards' point of view a little bit more than we ever have. As they're getting ready, <clears throat> bringing in this new man. And the prisoners in the room all prepare. Cassian busts open the pipe. And so the floors start to flood. And I love that he's just banging on this thing. And the guards are right there. They don't even know. He comes out soaking wet. They don't even notice, you know, and that's kind of what he's talking about. They're not listening. Nobody's been listening. They don't even notice that Cassian's like soaking wet there and they get ready to bring the new man out and the plan is enacted. This is beautifully done. It's so well done. Two men stage a fight to cause a commotion and that distracts the guards a little bit. So Cassian attacks the platform that lowers them into the room. It gets stuck. And now the men can attack. And one of the real keys to the whole plan, Trevor, they know that by flooding the floor, when they try to use the the shock 
and electrocute the floor, it's going to short circuit. And that's exactly what ends up happening. The floors get flooded. They try to use the electricity to shock the prisoners and the prisoners all jump up on tables. And after a few moments, the electricity goes out and then they have their moment. They know that now they can run around through the floors that the guards don't really have a bunch of control over them anymore. They have blasters, but they're severely outnumbered. And I mean, the plan was great, but this is so well done and it's really hard to get into everything because there's so many things happening, but we see a lot of these guys just getting blasted. A lot of these prisoners, guys that were working at the table with Cassian, uh, it, it is really well done and so cool to see. And the action for about 15 minutes straight is like nonstop. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole, you know, from the moment you get back into the prison after the Davo scene and like, you just see the, like, we've seen it so many times before, but the fluidity of, you know, they're drilling and then they're spinning and then they're, you know, turning wrenches and, and all the things that they're doing. But there's just these knowing looks, these nonverbal knowing looks between Kino and Cassian and Cassian and the guy from the other table that he knows. And like, there's just like this, this knowing and, and fluid, excuse me, um, that, that you just, you know, it, it's just so well done. It, it, it kind of gives you goosebumps, you know, like yeah. just seeing it all like watching it oceans, you know, you get that kind of a feel yeah. for like how they're, they've got this all planned out. Yeah. And, and then once he breaks the pipe and the water starts flooding, you're like, Oh, okay. Now I'm starting to understand what he was trying to do. Now we're like, now that anxiety that I had last episode about like, how's this prison break going to go? <laughs> we're finally starting to see it unfold. We've heard him talk about like, they got to stop the thing midway. So that's why he runs over there and he jams the, the the wrench into the uh elevator so that it stops halfway and then you know his his buddy that hands him the wrench that you know has kind of helped him plan this thing he's one of the first dudes blasted yeah um because he jumps up on there and you like you don't even get like a moment to like oh that's too bad he's gone um but, but, but what's when what you notice too is like he gets blasted one of the guys that starts the fight the commotion gets blasted mm -hmm. and I was reading a recap about it. And they, uh, they had said, which I thought was a really good point, Michael, that like everybody's sacrifice was important. Like all of they, they needed all of these guys to play their role in order to help them. And that's uh, everybody was willing to sacrifice their life because they realized, Hey, we're going to probably get blasted anyway. So like, we're all, yeah. we're all fighting for a cause here together. Yeah, I think I, I I had the subtitles on. I think his name the like the ginger guy is Ham, right? I think it was one I of them. Was, I thought it was like X A U L. Okay, like there's a Saul, Zol, an X A U L, and a Ham. I think that get blasted, and then one of the another guy that the, uh, Trevor uh, mentioned who who was the handoff of the uh, of the pipe. The, I love the new guy gets in on it, and then he gets blasted. Yeah. Like, He's like, he's yeah, I'm, in I'm, there. I'm, yeah, he's like, I'm on board. Let's let's, let's mess these dudes up. Um, yeah, the ginger guy, I can't remember his name. You know, it, it's so sad that he gets he gets taken out. Um, it's so uh oh gosh, the guy who was doing the sign language, right? He's like, what is he what does he keep saying? He's like, he's like, I'm already dead or something like that. It was really kind of uh chilling and and yeah, the nervousness and it's so it's uh, okay, you know, I'm gonna full stop. What are the rules of blasters? Because I, I saw people get shot in the arm and then they're like dead. And 
Leia in Return of the Jedi gets shot in like the shoulder, she's fine. So and then what are the blaster rules? What was happening in like Obi Wan with some of the weapons there? It was yeah. So I, I agree with you. We're, we're getting a little liberal with some of these blasters now. And <laughs> I will I will say you know not to defend anything that you just accused there, Michael. But I will say you do know that like we do know it is it is canon that you can power up and power down the blasters. So if you're a prison guard working at a prison. You probably got that thing on full blast at all times because if anybody coming at you when there's 5,000 of them and there's only 84 of us and there's only 40 of us that actually have blasters, you're taking them down. You're not, okay. you're not giving okay. that guy a chance, you know? You're taking them down I, because I there's, there's a scene in A New Hope when they actually turn it down to stun. Right, And you right. see it, it shoots like a blue instead of a, a red. So I, I will defend it to that point. That said, yeah, what are the rules? <laughs> so they're throwing tools at the guards. The guards go to buzz the floor, but the flooding causes that short-circuiting, the power outage, and then everyone can climb now because they the power's out. And that word climb is so cool as Kino screams climb. We heard Nemec scream climb earlier in this. This is We hear it climb screamed in Rogue One, which is really cool. And this is just chaos. A lot of the guys from this room are out. So they're making their way into other rooms to, to go and alert those men. Hey, come out and fight. We've got them. So now they're opening up all the other rooms. The prisoners now all have a bunch of blasters. And like I thought little tiny things were cool at one point. You don't see them put on any of the boots. They don't really need the boots. And what's cool it's actually a benefit to them to not have the boots because Cassian can hear the, that people ha that have the boots are the guards. And at one point he can hear them. He says, hold on. And they come around the corner and he blasts them. So it's just like little small attention to detail things that are fantastic. We have Kino and Cassian make it to the control room and they demand once they're in there the, uh, to tell the people to cut the power. They let them know it's all hydro. Once they turn off the power, it's going to take months to get back up and running. They don't care. They force them to cut the power. So the power gets cut. Backup power supply comes on, and Kino gets on the uh, on the PA. Uh, and, and and right before he gets on the PA, there's that great moment where I think uh, Andor says, "Turn it off," and the dude, the supervisor, charge like that can mean so many things. And then yeah. <laughs> he just wastes a guy right next to him, an Imperial. And then and they're like, okay, turn it off. Yeah, okay, I understand now. Yeah, that, that was, the guys in there were funny. Um, they're, uh, one, I had seen, I'd heard him described as basically like human computers. Like they, they're just like in there playing with buttons, pushing stuff all over the place. And one gets blasted immediately and they're able to turn the power off. Backup comes back on and this is Kino's moment. He's a little terrified, though. He gets up to the mic. Cassian says, okay, get up there. Tell him what to do. It has to be you. Come on, Kino. You do this every day. Tell him what to do. And he stands at the mic. My name is Kino Loy. I'm the day shift manager on level, which I just thought was fun, the day shift manager on level five. I'm speaking to you from the command center on level eight. We are at this moment in control of the facility. And he's very like soft-spoken when he starts, but Cassian pumps him up. Is that the best you got? Come on. <laughs> He's uh, Kino. 
picks up his pace now. How long we hang on, how far we get, how many of us make it out, all of that is up to us now. We've deactivated every floor in the facility. All the floors are cold. Wherever you are right now, get up, stop the work, get out of your cells, take charge, start climbing. They don't have enough guards and they know it. If we wait until they figure that out, it'll be too late. He looks at Cassian and he says what Cassian said to him. We will never have a better chance than this. And I would rather die trying to take them down than giving them what they want. We know they fried 100 men on level two. We know that they're making up our sentences as we go along. We know that no one outside here knows what's happening. We know that when they say they're being released, we're being transferred to some other prison to go die. That ends today. There is one way out right now. The building is ours. Run, climb, kill. You need to help each other. If you see someone who's confused, someone who is lost, get them moving. Keep them moving until we put this place behind us. There are 5,000 of us. If we can fight half as hard as we've been working, we will be home in no time. One way out. One way out. And he keeps chanting. That was an incredible speech from Kino. Circus was amazing there, Trevor. And it rallies the troops. I love that when he gets off the mic, and as he walks away, he keeps chanting it too, along with everyone else. One way out, one way out, and they're all chanting it. Yeah, I, I was also watching. Foster had mentioned that he was watching with subtitles on. I was also watching with subtitles on, and I noticed when he quoted Kino, they had the quotes in the subtitles. I would rather die trying to take them down. They so had cool. that in quotes in the subtitles, and it, it's a great line from from Cassian, and it shows the effect that Cassian. You know, early leadership signs from Cassian. It shows the effect Cassian had on Kino and trying to get Kino to become the leader to lead everybody out. Because, you know, like we said, nobody's going to follow Keith, but people will follow Kino. Oh, um, hey, there's... hey, Gino, Gino, I, you know, my connection cut out there. Were you, you were talking about uh, Kino's speech, right? Oh, yes. Can you absolutely. can you repeat that in its entirety? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was gonna say, man, I had that all prepped. Oh, I had the energy. I was like, damn, man, I, I don't know if I could do that again. I don't like, again, sometimes my girlfriend, out of the pod. like if I'll do something funny sometimes, which is rare, my girlfriend will ask me to repeat it. I'm like, you can't ask me to do it again. It doesn't work that way. I'm not it's not gonna do it again. It's just, you don't get the same thing there, but <laughs> Foster, kick, kick that was out like of the pod. That was like Emmy Award winning stuff here from Circus with this. Like, oh, yeah. This is one of those when I was in acting classes as a kid, like I would look for this speech to want to use as like one that I could use in classes and stuff. This is awesome. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, if people are are you doing this, uh, this monologue in auditions um, um, after this. And it's so like chaotic. One thing I, I will say is like, you know, he I, I love that he added that that bit of like, if you see somebody confused or lost, help them. Um, And I I was like, um, and I wanted to see like one or two moments of that. I don't think think we, we really got to see that. No, because honestly, right after this, we see the guards hiding, which was a fantastic scene. I'm glad. I love just seeing all those guards. Yes. I wanted you to mention that. They're like all quieting each other down and they're just terrified. They uh, let's just stay in this room. And the men reach the end where it's just the it's the yeah. part of the prison where they get dropped off. Yeah, the where time. they started. 
and it's just open. It's just open out into the ocean because there's no connecting. Um, there's no connecting ship there at at the time, and they realize, oh crap, we're here. And one dude just jumps into the ocean, and then they all start jumping, and we get this unbelievably sad moment where Cassian looks around, he sees Kino, and he says, "Let's go! What's wrong?" And Kino says, "I can't swim." So as everyone's jumping out into the ocean to swim their way to safety, Kino is in the, like the weirdest bit of irony, like what he helped spark to get all these guys to freedom. He can't even get there. I I, I saw it referenced somewhere as like, like, you know, Moses leading that chosen people and he couldn't get into the chosen land. It was, you, you got this just Kino's face too. And Andy Serkis, again, just incredible job here. He looks so devastated initially, but then he kind of smiles because he realizes that he helped everyone else too. And we don't see him die or anything. I don't know. Maybe we'll see him again. Who knows? Even if we don't, I thought it was just incredible to see him that moment where it was like, oh crap. You know, I, I got so riled up. Didn't realize that I was going to probably have to jump into the ocean and swim. Like I can't do that. And then, oh wait, all these guys are free now. Like we did it. We actually beat this them here, Michael. I thought it was just crazy, crazy to see on him. Just fantastic. Yeah, and there's that great shot once they all start jumping in. Um, and by the way, uh, Cassian, I I don't think he jumps in. I think he just gets like kind of gets pushed. pushed. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and he, he's wrong. He gets pushed because I I wanted there to be a moment where Cassian's like, "I'll help you swim." Right, yeah. I know. And then, like, like, when, he, when he gets knocked off and pushed, I was like, he should have just waited down there and been like, Kino, jump, I can help you swim. <laughs> like, I got it. <laughs> I'll catch you. Let's, <laughs> let's get this man some floaties. <laughs> um, so, uh, and there's that great overhead shot where you see the little specks, like the little white specks, you know, because they have like the white and orange jumpsuits um, in, in the water. And I think, um, and you see that, in, and I think there's like three main like uh like ports like entryways where where they're swimming um and it's really it's really kind of beautiful and it's also kind of like it's also like is this is this is what they're gonna do they're just gonna i know they did all this to get out and now they gotta swim for it afterwards like (laughs) it's we don't know we don't know what's in that ocean yeah and we and we actually don't see after following this the only other check-in we have with the prisoners is the very, very end. And the only two we see make it are Cassian and Melshi. And he's that, from Rogue One. He is from Rogue One. We see Just them the make level, it on the, the level show. of trolling by Foster <laughs> on this podcast. No, it's fine. It's good. It's, I love that. It's great. Uh, just in case people didn't know, too. Uh, Melshi, Rogue One. And he's, uh, he's there with Cassian at the very, very end. But there's a, an extremely important part before we finish this episode. Oh, well, I shut it off at this point. It's not we over. Get, we get to the bowels of Coruscant here. I mean, we're way down there. And we see this man. Would you like to buy any death sticks? <laughs> he was. He's, there are some seedy things going on. I don't like here. you either. Some creepy, creepy things. This was the guy that was the double agent. He is known St- as bad. Lonnie. He's got the stash. Which is great because if you think about it, when Rogue One, 
was it was kind of around a new hope. So at that point, all these guys would have had stashes like that that were playing these actors because at, at the time period, I so he's got it's very true with that stash for our guy who's known as Lonnie. But the way that he gets he gets in an elevator and then in the in like the top of the elevator, there's an earpiece and he puts the earpiece in and Luthen starts to speak to him. And he says, if this is a trap, press the button for 215. We have privacy. We're running express. First of all, congratulations. Your daughter, healthy, beautiful. So threatening. Immediately, he just lets the guy know, hey, I know you have a daughter. I'm going to threaten your family. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> now we know Now we know what we're, uh, what we're up for here. But Luthen continues on. It's been a year since we've had a chance to catch up. You become a father. He's trying to play both sides here. He's trying to scare the guy, but also let him know, hey, we're on the same side. You know, we're on the same side here. But yeah, Luke didn't go ahead. I just want to say, like, this actor um, playing Lonnie is doing such a great job because so much of this sequence is just him in the elevator and a close-up of his face. We don't and even see Luthen until no, the last all part of it. We just hear the VO. And, you know, and that actor is probably just playing off, you know, someone off off camera reading you know luthan's lines and he's killing it and doing such a great job it's a great point i mean he just he's standing in this creepy abandoned elevator that looked like it would be this at a, a warehouse somewhere and it's just the reactions the eyebrows the 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 looks when he hears him talking about his family why are we here tonight lonnie and lonnie goes on and tells uh, Luthen, there's a new a supervisor rising, Deirdre Miro. She's focused on a suspect she's calling Axis. She thinks he's building a rebel network. She started looking into stolen Imperial naval equipment. Now she's looking for a link to Aldani. She thinks there's a link. She's been tearing this place apart. They're searching for a thief and the middleman. She's gathering interest. Partagaz likes her. She just captured a rebel pilot running supplies for Anto Krieger. They turned him in immediately. They staged an accident. We know there's a raid planned on the power station at Spellhouse. If Krieger attacks, they'll be waiting. Luthen's response is, and if he doesn't, they'll know something's amiss. But Lonnie responds, 50 people are going to be slaughtered. Luthen doesn't care. He says, you, Lonnie, are worth more than that. We can't ruin everything. What better way to reassure the ISB that there's no leak in security than by sacrificing Krieger? I'm doing this for you as much as anything. And then he opens the door. Now we see Luthen, but Trevor, we've we've gotten hints of this from Luthen in the last couple episodes, but we know now in that phrasing, in that wording directly from Luthen's mouth, he's okay with the death of 50 people who are all part of their cause. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, When you started getting into that about him saying, like, I'm sacrificing these 50 people for you, Lonnie. Well, yeah, but we've also, you know, Aldani, he's fine with the backlash that everything happened with Aldani because he knows that that's going to be a rallying point for his cause. So if Krieger, if Krieger and 50 people die, that's another rallying point for him and his cause. Like, he's all about sacrifice to piss off the common person and turn turn uh, the feelings against the Empire. Yeah, you know, Trevor and, and Gino, you know what it reminded me of? I don't know if either of you have seen the Imitation Game 
with a uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. He plays Alan Turing, um, and you know they're, do- they're they're World War II code breaking, and they they crack the German code, and it's almost exactly the same thing where yes, they yeah. they can't they know where they're going to attack, but they can't. Uh, they can't, you know, intercept all of them because if they do, the Germans would be like, oh, they know they know our code. So yeah. we're going to scrap this. And it's kind of kind of the same thing. And Lonnie, poor Lonnie is is bringing this information kind of like a gift. He's like, hey, I'm going to bring you this stuff and then let's I'm save out, all right? these people. Yeah. And here you go. And it, like you said, let's get this. I'll save them. And then I'm out. I, I don't want to be in this anymore. I want to get out of this. I, I, I got a family now. I got a kid. Like, let me get out of here. I've done my work now. But Luthen, he's not um, having it. No, Luthen. And oh, very quickly. By the way, the way this is shot, where the when that elevator opens, you just see Luthen in the distance, and they don't dark. get close to each other. Yeah, oh, they stand. Yeah. His cloak is just waving. I, I mean, I'm gonna watch that scene as soon as again, as soon as we get off here, because it's it's so well done. And the again, like another fantastic monologue here coming from from Luthen. Uh, first, Lonnie lets him know, "Hey, look, I, I'm." I'm out, you know, I'm honoring my vow. I'm warning you about Ferrix. The vow gets mentioned again. Luthen says, look, we took a vow. Hey, I'm giving you Deidre Miro. I'm giving you Spellhouse. Warned you about Ferrix. I'm out. Luthen asks, what were you going to do? Give me a big basket of goodies as a farewell gift? No. Um, he was going to tell the ISB it was his health and his family has, uh, his wife's family has an import business. But Luthen says, we can't let you go, Lonnie. We can't spare you. We've been grooming you for too long. And yes, you've been alone, but your career has profited greatly from information we provided, information that costs me dearly. You love your daughter. Krieger's men will be dying to make sure she has a father. You're trapped, Lonnie. There's no pleasure in saying it, but you're going nowhere. Lonnie's like, what? What about my sacrifice? Doesn't mean anything to you? And Luton said, I I said I think of you constantly, and I do. Your investment in the rebellion is epic. A double life, every day of performance, the stress of that. We need heroes, Lonnie, and here you are. And then Lonnie asks him one more question. What about your sacrifice? What do you sacrifice? Calm, kinship, kindness, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago when there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight. They've set me on a path for which there is no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice. Without contemplating the cost and time, I looked down. There was no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my en- enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. Uh, what do I sacrifice? Everything. You'll stay with me, Lonnie. I need all the heroes I can get. Foster, I'm gonna do it again for you from the top. I, 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 oh I was from gonna, the, I was gonna say my, uh-huh. my, my connection cut out from the top. Let's again one more time. Gino, can you do it just a little softer this time? It's like a little less oomph in your voice uh, when you like when you the, do it. The, the performance is is so great. I think you know, I think it could have been. Unfortunately, I thought this in the moment. I was like, this could probably be like ten percent better. If Stellan Skarsgård, if English wasn't a, um, like a second language, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's because because the wording, the writing is so good. Like these, like my mind is a sunless space. Like these these images are 
so incredible. And then he says, he says, what if I sacrifice a picture? They do. It's incredible. Yeah. And then when he says, what if I sacrifice everything? There's that echo, like it like reverberates almost like the voice of like the voice of God or something. It's, oh, it's so good. There are some good. This is is another. Yeah, I was going to say this is another speech that's going to end up being used in monologues. Mm-hmm. I, I remember you know, Foster and I have Foster and I have been we've said this before, but, you know, we went to high school together and there were a couple of times where when we were both doing drama that we would have to pick out a monologue for auditions. Uh, and this this is definitely going to be those those Star Wars nerds in the future are going to be like, I'm going to oh, say man. that. I, I feel yeah. bad for the for the adults who have to. uh judge those forensics tournaments you know dramatic interp <laughs> and you're gonna see these these monologues and they're gonna be like not again oh, no, no these, that one again. i don't want to see this 15 year old kid you know the do this guard one. Oh goodness that's great he's like rolling his eyes oh j- really good stuff on the writing in this episode we we finished up with uh cassian and melshi they've made it to the shore they're running on the beach so they're together they're alive. We don't know how, who, any of the other prisoners that have made it that have not, but Cassian, Melshi are out, and we have two episodes left, eleven hey, and twelve. I, ahead, I think this Melshi guy is going to become something. Yeah, you know, something I feel like he might pop up again somewhere in moving forward. And but, but in seriousness, uh, he. I mean, the the end of that speech is, "I need heroes." And you're looking at Lonnie when he says it, because he's already called Lonnie a hero. They then immediately cut to Melshi and, and Andor. Yep. Ooh, good point. Good catch. So, uh, Michael, episodes 9 and 10, we, I mean, I, for me, this was as good as I could have hoped for the prison scene. Like, they set it up, and this, I felt the same thing about Eldani. Like, they set it up, set it up, set it up, and then the heist came, and it was awesome. This was fantastic. It made you feel things like that's what you're that's what i want when i'm watching anything i want to feel and i felt here sad happy excited like trevor said anxious like you're nervous while you're watching it and you're like come on come on like you're talking to the tv and it's getting all the feels and i have to say i've got i've definitely got feelings for for mon mothma (laughs) yeah Yeah. me me, me too this show uh... is the show is is better than it deserves to be. Like that, it has any any right to be, and it just keeps. Um, I, I right. That's a great point. Uh, than so I good. ever so expected, good. and I think, you know, like Obi Wan had a bunch of expectation because people knew a lot of the characters here. And in this world, we've only touched it in Rogue One. So, I, Cassian Andor compared to like Obi Wan Kenobi or Darth Vader, you know, those kind of characters, it it's night and day. We don't know a whole lot about him. And Trevor, it's something that you've been hitting on. It's a it's a space that's that has not been explored all that much. And so so much of this feels fresh, even though we know where they're headed. We don't know a whole lot about this time, exactly who was pulling the strings and everything here. So I I could not be more pleased 10 episodes through. Yeah, I mean they've done the, they've done an excellent job of taking one character that most everybody liked from a movie that was pretty well received and then building a world around that character in order to get to that character to his movie. Um, And the world is so immersive. You're so invested in so many of these characters. I mean, literally we were somewhat rooting for one of the big bads in this, this thing until like an episode ago 
until she started torturing people and smiling about it. We were like, we don't feel bad about what she's doing. Like she's understand her motivations are understandable. Now she's straight up torturing people and smiling about it. And obviously we hate her, <laughs> but like everybody else, like Cyril Karn, like they're still like, he's, he's getting into the creepy stalker levels and, and starting to follow her down that, that sort of path. But like, you can still kind of understand his motivations and, and everybody else that we've pretty much met, you know, Kino, the stuff with Kino in this, this episode is heart wrenching. You feel bad for Uli. You feel bad for the med tech whose job is literally probably all day while he's awake just to go around killing people for the Empire because the Empire doesn't want to actually spend, you know, any resources on trying to get these expendable prisoners healthy. Like, he's, his job is literally just to go around, I'll give you some oxygen, check you out. Oh, there's nothing I can do for you. I'm going to go ahead and put you down. Like, there's there's just such like a connection and a down to earthness and everything it's it's been such an amazing season to watch so far and and consume and we're 10 episodes in there's two more left to go i am i'm ready for them you know i want to ask you a question gino something sort of foster just said um you know got me got me thinking about it is we you know this ep this show is better than it deserves to be Yes. Who would have thought that that random character from, you know, if you're going to make a movie about a character from from Rogue One, it's probably Jen Erso. Absolutely. Andor, like she's the star, so that she's the one that you're probably. Or even like, like Saw, right? Mm -hmm. If we if they saw like we knew him, some Cassian, I, I totally agree with where you're going. Like it's it's just it goes to show how smart the writing is how well they put in and honestly i think it's kind of cool that they are they like they're not caring as much about all the star wars tropes they're not getting kind of caught in some of those lazy like oh look it's star wars yeah here. right yeah, we got to go to tatooine we got to show r2d2 and so, other stuff and reference the huts or thankfully they're yeah they're not doing that no so my my question is with you know, this show being so good and the three of us, uh, you know, just literally drinking the Kool-Aid from episode one of this show. One way out. <laughs> is, climb! You know, climb! Is, is, is this show the best Star Wars show we've gotten? Has it, I, has I it eclipsed so. the Mandalorian? I think so, so far. I mean, and it's not like, this isn't anything to put, um, the Mandalorian is, is fantastic also. I, I like... I think the and the Mandalorian is more Star Wars-y, right? So that's more nostalgia. Yeah, there's lightsabers, there's stormtroopers, Baby Yoda, there's right? Mandalorians. Yeah. We get like Sokotano. We're getting all of that in there. This it feels so different because it's just it, it's such a show. It's it's a show that's just set in Star Wars, but it's not about all that Star Wars stuff. I, I think this is my personal favorite of the shows we've seen so far of, of Obi-Wan, of Mando, of Book of Boba Fett, and now this one. I would rank Mandalorian right behind, then probably Obi-Wan, then probably Book of Boba Fett. But the, um, Yeah, that's kind of my my ranking too. I, I, just, I every agree episode, with you on the back end. I agree with you on the back end. I don't know if it's eclipsed Mando yet, but good lord, it is close. And it's so different that it's fun to talk about because it's like they're they're just really different things like man the mandalorian did like has done about as well as you possibly could do with playing on our heartstrings and this is just like 
this just feels like a show that should win awards. It's just so well done. It's so well Absolutely. done. Absolutely. They, there must have been a hell of a pitch when um, they were putting this together to where Disney let them go in this direction, you know, and I, you know, my hat's off to them. I know there's, I know a lot of people have issues with, with Disney, but man, they're, they're at least willing to take risks, mm-hmm. you know, with this. And uh, I, I've got a question now. Where, where, well, one, should we, can we do quickly do like maybe predictions for the end of this season? Please, please. And two, um, in my mind, I think I said this last time. I really think with the way they've set it up, I imagine they're going to do three seasons because I think it's, I think it'd be tough to get all the way to pre rogue one with, with just one more season. I could be wrong, but I think, I think they got to stop at at three or less. I think so too. um, With this show. I agree. I think two to three, two would feel a little bit cramped any more than three would feel like they're dragging it out a little bit. But I think I, I don't think didn't they didn't they say that they were just gonna do two? Isn't that what they've gone out and said? I gotta look. I'm not positive. I mean, I know we've. I'm 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 not 100 positive. So maybe we can find uh, we can find that out if there, if it's. There's out there. no way to look that up, Trevor. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is Google or anything like that. Nothing like that. But um, my bad. My I bad. I think that I think Luthen's not making it through season two, one. I think he's out at the end. I think something's happening to where he's gonna get caught up and 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 be gone. So by the end of the season in the next two, I'm not exactly sure quite how. And I, the one question I keep asking is Mon, when we get, ca- when we catch up with Mon Mothma, it doesn't feel like she's someone with a family anymore. What happens to her family? Does something happen to her family between now and then? Those are some of the main questions that I'm our, some of the things that are, I'm kind of thinking, kind of predicting that are going to happen. But I, I think Cassian's going to make it. I feel like Cassian's going to be, <laughs> around that's that's uh that's right? pretty controversial man that's, right uh, <laughs> i don't i think he i think he and melshi are probably gonna find they, their might, end they on, might make their way to on rogue the one. planet they're on yeah they I don't might think make their make way it, to rogue one so I mean, like, like the last well i i have to imagine like the last two episodes are probably gonna revolve around well one we got to get andor off that planet but i met ma- i imagine it's gonna be all like ferrix centered mm-hmm. uh, gotta get probably home. Cor- coruscant too gotta get home to marva Got to check in there with her. We got to see what's going on with Bix. And find out what's happened. Yeah. Find out. Right. Find out what they've done to Bix. Mm-hmm. You know, the, and the bait where's the is manifesto? Yeah. Yeah. The manifesto. Yeah. Maybe it's there. You know what was funny? The way, like towards the end, Luthen was talking about how he basically wrote. He was. He was. Was Luthen Nemec like 15 years ago? He was talking about how he like wrote a manifesto almost, and he was 15 years ago. I started writing all these things oh, down. Yeah, he said, "Yeah, again, great writing." He says he, the equation that he started writing mm-hmm. 15 uh, years ago. So wait, wait, what? I'm trying to. Okay, nope. So, sorry, did did some mental gymnastics trying to think of the timeline. Um, I don't. I actually don't know anything about this this time period before uh, a new is, hope. I know, which is so cool. So Which cool. Is, yeah, great. It's so great. They don't have to, we don't have to see a Skywalker or or anything. It's it's wonderful. Gotta find friends that you can dive into these episodes of Star Wars like we do here with Michael Foster, with Trevor Hayes. Very lucky to have these guys joining me to talk all about Andor. And it makes it easier that the show is good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like sometimes you talk about shows when I'm doing recaps of shows or something that aren't as fun. And if they're really, really bad, it's kind of funny because you can talk about it. But if they're just like, eh, it's okay. It's it just it feels like work sometimes. But it 
it's so much fun rewatching these and just kind of diving into it again and talking with one of you because Mike, you might hit something that I wasn't talking, thinking of. And then Trevor hit something that I'm, it was like, Oh man, I, I almost got to that thought too. It, it's so fun when we can really get nerdy on these shows. I, I thank you so much for doubling up this week. And uh, next week we should be good to go to talk about episode 11. Then we can have real uh, final predictions for the finale Michael, thank you so much again, buddy. Really appreciate all your time. And Trevor, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Folks, we'll be back next week for episode 11 out of our 12-episode run in season one of Andor. Stay tuned. We still have a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. That's going to do it for this episode. We had a lot to get to. NFL with Eric. Big thanks to him for helping us out every single week. Hopefully we led you to some winners at Del Mar on Friday and Saturday. This week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. And then Trevor and Michael for helping us out with Andor. Just two more episodes of Andor left in Season 1. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll be back next week with a lot more each and every week. Every football game, we'll get into... All of the uh, the biggest races, wherever they are. Good luck and have a fantastic weekend.